everybody and welcome to anime baby where christmas time is here happiness and cheer fun for all the children call their favorite time of year this is your holly jolly host mikey and joined with me as always is grin the host was a jolly happy soul because <laughs> we're gonna review re-zero <laughs> and i'm not gonna show no Fuck it, I'm not Frosty the Snowman. I can't rhyme properly. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. Oh, <laughs> uh, and welcome to a very special Anime Bay Bay kind of Christmas. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you all. Yes, happy holidays to everyone out there. Yes, we've got ourselves uh, right here in my uh, cozy little apartment here. Uh, the stove was just on, so it's really kind of warm in here. And I've, uh, I've got my Santa hat on that you uh, can't see. And we're also enjoying some uh, nice hot cider that I made for us both. Yeah, it's not quite uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, but still pretty damn good cider. Mmm, sets my chestnuts on fire, let me tell you. So, since we're in the spirit, in the season of giving, I feel like for this special episode, we'd give you listeners an extra special, an extra large episode of the podcast. We're looking at a big one as we'll be talking all about one of the biggest hits of 2016 and in recent memory, ReZero. And unlike previous anime we covered that were around like 13 or so episodes, we'll, we will be covering all 25 episodes in this. So no two-parter like we did with the My Hero stuff. We're looking at the whole enchilada here. Yeah, we're just going to go arc by arc with this sucker. So pre-warning you guys now, this could possibly, maybe, definitely be a long one. So similar to when we did Black Clover earlier in the year, but unlike that episode, we will include the usual splicey-splicey of certain scenes, which wasn't in the Black Clover episode. And I feel like we're going to have a lot more to discuss this time around. And uh, for me personally, I can I consider ReZero way better than Black Clover. So I want to take my time with this and not rush through it like I was kind of with Black Clover. And I've got maybe some uh, strong feelings otherwise about ReZero here and there. So uh, yeah, so a uh, nice little tip to all you listening out there. Uh, just put on your favorite sweater. Um, grab yourself a nice uh, hot cup of uh, hot toddy or your hot buttered rums out there. <laughs> And uh, just cozy on up with a blanket and your favorite cat in the house. And, uh, you know, just enjoy the whole ride. Yeah, so get comfy because, yeah, we're going to be here a while. <laughs> As always, first things first is a little bit of the background. But before we get into ReZero's background, let's go over the background of its genre as this is the first anime of the genre we're covering on this show. So let's talk about Isekai. <sighs> <laughs> Oh, God. 
head. <laughs> that should really tell you everything that I like have to say about this this genre. Like I I, I hate it. I really truly just despise it with all my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start all the way back in the beginning. Isekai, which translates to different world, is a genre mostly commonly seen in Japanese media like manga, light novels, video games, and anime. Isekai typically revolves around a normal person getting sent to another world, either through being summoned, reincarnation, or simply being trapped. It basically turns into a fish-out-of-water story as the protagonist tries to use their knowledge of any other resources, such as local inhabitants or knowledge of fictional worlds, to survive this new world and make it back home. It's like, it's, it, it, most plots just kind of go down to like, uh, I'm just going to go into, like, I, I just magically uh, died for no reason, uh, I go to another world, uh, I feel no prerogative to go back to my old world, to my family, to my friends, um, and then I'm basically going to use my uh, knowledge of uh, iPhones and memes to uh, <laughs> somehow become the god emperor of this uh, fantasy world in which I will uh, gather and accumulate women who will have uh, no rights under my rule <laughs> and uh, surround them around me into a big uh, sort of like meat bed. <laughs> and then I will uh, live out the rest of my days until I'm an old man and uh, my, I have uh, absolutely... Uh, no sperm left in my body to uh, give to anything and stuff, and then I will die. Yeah, and also this genre isn't exclusive to uh, Japanese media, as uh, many famous stories from uh, the Western world also have hints of isekai, such as Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Chronicles of Narnia, so on and so forth. You know, the concept of stories of being trapped in another world is universal, no matter the language or the culture. It's, it's as old as, like, storytelling, really. Yeah, funnily enough, I find, like, uh, one of the earliest versions of, like, uh, isekai in uh, Japanese... Uh, Folk tales. It all it dates all the way back to this old uh, folk tale of Urashima Taro. It's about a fisherman of the same name who saves a turtle brought back to an undersea kingdom. But uh, the story has a twist. After spending what he believed to be four or five days there, he returns home to his village, only to find out that it's been three hundred years in the future. So that's like the earliest known record of like uh, isekai in uh, Japanese folklore. Really, I did not know that. Yeah, but as far as Isekai goes in the anime world, some of the earliest titles in the 90s and early 2000s included, but aren't limited to Fushigi Yugi, Inuyasha, Digimon, and Spirited Away. Yeah, like, it's it technically is a genre. It has lasted since, like, um, the 90s and such. But uh, it didn't really, really take off. Or rather, it didn't really truly become profitable, I would say, up until more recent years. Yeah, like, uh, I would say at first, like, uh, the earliest, earliest known of, like, Isekai starting to become a bit more profitable was around, like, uh, 2002, with uh, one of the big game changers being the Dot .hack series. Uh, any experience with .hack? Fuck none. Absolutely none. Like, I barely even knew what Dot .hack was. Yeah, like, me. Like, even among regular people, like, I feel like not many, it was still, like, very niche, even with Dot .hack. I don't feel like it was really that popular. Yeah, I knew it was on Toonami, but, like, Around that time, all I cared about on Toonami was Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon. Like, it wasn't as universally loved. It didn't have mainstream... That's the, that's the term there. It didn't have mainstream appeal to as many people, I would say. Yeah, I would feel with that one, like, because uh, of uh, certain other titles, it had, like, retrospective kind of love. People saying, like, oh, this was the first one. This is where it all began with the uh, trapped in a virtual world type thing. Right, it, it wasn't really... Like, works like back then just weren't really as, like, viewed as being, like, essential watching among the likes of, like... Other anime that uh, some people have said you kind of have to see, like Cowboy Bebop, or Attack on Titan, or like a Dragon Ball Z, or, um, you know, what else ever. Yeah, but uh, I was kind of tiptoeing around it a little earlier, but, uh, you know, and uh, you kind of helped me lead into it, because uh, there was another uh, novel series, because uh, most of these began as light novels, that did the concept of being trapped in a virtual world, 
that came out around the same time as Dot Hack, around that early to mid-2000s, but didn't really see any real popularity until it received an anime adaptation in 2012. You all know I would bring this up sooner or later, so for better or for worse, in my opinion worse, it's because of this series that Isekai saw a big boom period within the last decade that we are still feeling to this day. I am, of course, referring to Sword Art Online. Uh. <laughs> Quick thoughts on Sword Art and its effects on Isekai as we know it. It was shit. It was the most influential shit in anime that's like happened in years. That is it. That is all I will say about Sword Art. <laughs> I have so, so low of, an, low of an opinion on that. And I feel like so much has been said about Sword Art. Like, there really doesn't need to be said much else. Yeah, like, listen to our, like... It's uh, terrible and it's problematic. And yet it was so influential. Yeah, like, listen, go back and listen to our uh, anime detour panel on uh, Toonami Year in Review where we briefly talked about the recent season of Sword Art and how it's so, so awful. And I hear, like, the, the newest season is out, too. And, like, not only is it awful, it's boring now, I hear. Oh, yeah. Which is surprising, because I thought the last season was boring as hell before it got really, really dirty. So it's like, fuck, it's even more boring now? <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my god. <laughs> but I feel with Sword Art Online, we now kind of have a marker for, like, isekai anime. There's uh, pre-SAO isekai, and then there's post-SAO isekai. Yeah, there's a very fine line between, like, what was made before and what is made now. Because now everything that has been made since then has been made in the shadow of Sword Art Online. And many have also gone on to do their other things, but none of it has stopped. None of this entire, like, gravy train has not stopped, has not lost any steam whatsoever. Yeah, like, with pre-SAO Isekai, you know, it yielded, it, uh, yielded some anime that are considered classics, like Inuyasha and Fushigi Yuki and whatnot, and Spirited Away. All of them taking very different uh, approaches, too, because that's when, like, people started to realize that you can take this take this shit from, like, different angles. Okay, you had, like, you had video games, like, the first one. Okay, well, what if we, uh, what if we make, like, an anime where it's, like, it's not isekai, but it's fantasy, but there's still video game elements in it. Well, dang, you've got how to pick, is it wrong to pick up girls in a dungeon? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, uh, we, people, well, uh, this also ties in with uh, tabletop games, too. So let's make, um, let's make a uh, horrible, dark torture fantasy like teenagers torture fantasy that uses uh D elements my god we've got goblin slayer <laughs> <laughs> but yeah with like post sao east sky it just has yielded a never-ending slew of mostly god-awful garbage that only exists because people want to cash in on sao's popularity and the best way to do that is to tap into the horny otaku wankfest power fantasy market and dear god if there's anything the past decade has proven it's that 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 entire market will pay like, insane amounts of money for that shit. Yeah, and they also, and, like, the thing is, all of these are pretty much the same. Like, they feature the same exact setup. You know, teenage boy who's a nerd, single, and straight gets sent into a fantasy world similar to worlds you see in RPGs, like your Final Fantasies or your Legend of Zeldas. Then they use their knowledge of video games to succeed, take down monsters and villains, become big dick Gs, all while women in the RPG world sploosh all over them. Like, they aren't all like this, but nine times out of the ten, they're pretty much all like this. M most of them are honestly pretty sexist. <laughs> yeah, incredibly sexist, too. That very sexist, like, works. I have a list here of, like, uh, a bunch of post-SAO isekai in uh, no particular order, so shall oh, I boy. Like, go off them? I should clarify, too, that um, this upcoming uh, anime detour in Minnesota, uh, we're I'm going to be uh, doing my very first solo panel and um, I'm so glad to say that it will actually cover uh, the uh, terrible 
or at least in my opinion, terrible isekai and fantasy works that have come out from SAO in these years. And I'm just going to basically spend the whole panel uh, lampooning all of them and just shitting all over them and um, hopefully getting some laughs out of my audience. And, you know, I'll point out if, like the, the stray few ones, the handful of good ones out there. And I'll also point out uh, how uh, those are even uh, kind of bad in their own rights, too. <laughs> and really try to... Really beg, but not really answer the question of, uh, when is this shit gonna end? <laughs> Working title right now is, uh, Isekai Must Die. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I will be there front and center. Oh, I'm so counting on it. But, uh, yeah, uh, go down your list so that, uh, I know of, uh, pretty much everything I have to watch for that panel. So we have Log Horizon, Rising of the Shield Hero, Isekai Cheat Magician, Wise Man's Grandchild, Gate, Reincarnated as a Slime. Sword Art Online 2, In Another World with My Spark Foam, No Game No Life, The Master of Ragnarok, Cautious Hero, Sword Art Online Alternative, Gun Gale Online, Do You Love Your Mom and Her Two Hit Multi-Target Attacks, <laughs> Ari Ferretta From Commonplace to World's Strongest, Sword Art Online Alice's Asian, Death March to the Parallel Death March to the Parallel World Rhapsody, and Ride, High School Prodigies Have It Easy Even in Another World, Ascendance of a Bookworm, Didn't I Say to Make My Abilities Average in the Next Life? Sword Art Online, Alicization, War of the Underworld, Kimono Michi, Isekai Quartet, The Saga of Tanya the Evil, Overlord, Konosuba, and of course, ReZero. Oh, and by the God. way, and by the way, I should mention, a good handful of those shows came out within the last year or so. And also, out of all those shows, I legitimately only like five of those, being Konosuba, Kimono Michi, Isekai Quartet, Overlord, and ReZero. You all see how like oversaturated this is, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is this is this is like I it's going through my brain and it almost looks dystopian to me. <laughs> like when I was reading off that, I kind of like had like the, a thought in my head like you remember that scene in Clerks where Randall is reading off all the porn titles in front of the mom of the little girl? <laughs> like I kind of felt like that. <laughs> you felt just like, wow, there is some absolute filth out there in this world. <laughs> And I like five of those. I can count on one hand how many posts. How many porns? <laughs> <laughs> you have watched in your life that you can watch all, watch to the end. <laughs> but like, no, it's like, I can count on one hand how many isekai I like. When I can do that, you know you have a problem. And I listed like, what? How many, how many do I list? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15, 16... 28 Dear God. Okay, I'm not gonna watch all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only okay, I'll make one rule for that for that panel. I will talk about the ones that actually I can actually talk about stuff with. Because I know there are some in there that are just gonna be boring as yeah. shit. And plus you only have like an hour, so. Yeah, exactly. I only got like an hour. Like fuck it. I'm not gonna talk about Grimgar fancy and ash. <laughs> like, who the fuck even remembers that? Or like the fucking mom isekai. Who the fuck remembers that either? And that came out months ago. I, I only I only like remembered it because people just kept posting memes online of like, oh, it's MILF the anime or something. I've seen better MILFs in anime. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even into that. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a very oversaturated genre right now. And I feel it's a problem that I don't think it'll ever end. I know you're holding on hope that this bubble will burst, but... 
I don't think it's happening anytime soon. Mm, I'm kind of shifting towards like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen anytime soon either. Yeah, because like I got... It's too profitable. It makes too much money. Yeah, like it makes bank. Even us and most other Western anime fans see Isekai as mostly a big joke now. It's still popular in Japan and that's the main market that matters the most. Right, so long as it keeps making money, so long as it's popular, they're going to keep adapting and adapting as many light novels as they can out there. <laughs> And on the one hand, I kind of can't even like knock uh, light novel writers out there because it's they they gotta be making good money oh, off this genre. Uh, absolutely, they gotta be making good money off this shit. Yeah. If not, like <laughs> like they gotta like I don't know fucking unionize or something because it's like it's like a factory right now. This oh, shit. definitely. There's, I can imagine like a conveyor belt of like okay, straight dude, okay, female. Love interest, okay, another love interest, another love interest. The books okay. are just, like, rolling down in a conveyor belt, like, each one, like, writes a different part of the story. Maybe that's why, like, all these, like, have, like, such inconsistent writing styles. <laughs> There's also, like, one conveyor belt that's just, like, everyone white writes one word of the title, and then, like, you have, like, a big run-on sentence of a title. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why, like, all the titles end up being so long. <laughs> yeah, like, you Because they're big, massive mad libs. You heard me reading through that list, I kind of flubbed myself over those really long titles. Right, right, because they, like, oh my god, I'm so gonna make a joke about that during my panel. <laughs> I'm gonna try and think of like the best isekai title I can I can possibly conceive, <laughs> and like make it grammatically correct. Like it's a full on sentence, but it's still grammatically correct. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know some like I still know some people from college who did like English courses and stuff. I can maybe hit them up to like make sure it's like grammatically correct. Just like reread it, you know? Okay, okay, just you know. Oh, I need a comma there, need some commas there, maybe a little hyphen, semicolon, and other than that, it's pretty good. Or, you know, I could also just, uh, you know, proofread myself because I used to be a journalist. Did you forget that? <laughs> Thanks for remembering, bud. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but I feel like despite 80% of Isekai being Otaka trash, 80% is too nice, 90% of Isekai being yeah, Otaka there trash, you go. there are those diamonds in the rough that come out once in a blue moon well, once in every two blue moons, that help reinvigorate the genre and kind of shake things up for the better, like the shows I said I liked. And on the show, subject of Diamonds in the Rough, in my opinion, let's talk about ReZero. So ReZero, or Restarting Life in a Different World from Zero, is based on a light novel series of the same name, written by Taipei Nagatsuki. It initially began in April 2012 as a web novel series, which is basically the same as uh, posting fanfiction online. And uh, he did this during his free time when he worked his other job. Can you guess what his other job was? Ooh, I'm gonna guess... KFC worker. It is in the food industry. Oh my god, that's close. There, there is food related to it. <laughs> um, uh, worked in a ramen shop. No. Uh, McDonald's. No, uh, it involves meat. Did he worked in a fuck it crab shop. Yeah. Butcher shop. Ah, uh, butcher shop. He was a butcher. I, I was close there. But like, well, okay, I was non I was nondescript, but <laughs> But no, like this guy, he worked his day job as a butcher and then he went home and at this free time he wrote ReZero. Well shit, there's a go-getter right there. <laughs> this makes you want to see like an episode of like say Hey Arnold where Mr. Green spends his free time writing the next great American novel. <laughs> Uh, well, first we'd have to get Hey Arnold back for that one. <laughs> yeah. No, he just writes his own isekai that he's gonna, like, sell in the U.S. <laughs> but Mr. Green, isekai is really only popular over Japan. You can't sell this in America. Ah, what are you talking about, Arnold? I, of course it's gonna do well over here. Don't you see? The kids, they just eat up all this isekai out there. <laughs> 
It's gonna be great. It's gonna be tastier than a nice sweet kielbasa. <laughs> <laughs> and then next thing you know, the rest of the episode, like Harold is like working at the butcher shop, and then he accidentally like use like gets like grease all over, and then he has to, like rewrite the rest of the book. Bam! I just wrote for you the next Hey Arnold episode. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, Craig Bartlett, hire him. Yes, please, Craig. <laughs> So, the series editor, Masahito Ikimoto, first became aware of the web novel in April 2013 when he began to appear on his Twitter feed, and he was immediately impressed on how it was depressing, yet surprising, twist on the fantasy genre, and began working with Nagatsuki to adapt the series to a regular light novel, a published physical handheld book. To be fair, I think that's what they say. I think that's what most publishers say about most isekai out there, though, to be honest. Like, oh, this is a, this is a dark work that really uh, turns fantasy on its head. Well, like, congratulations, Goblin Slayer is going to get published. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I don't have a high opinion of that anime. <laughs> no, it looks like garbage. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> also, most light novels are around 250 pages in length. But uh, Nagatsuki, he submitted his manuscript of more than 1,000 pages for the first novel. Fuck, dude. Forcing his editor to heavily edit it. Rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, he, Nagatsuki, he wanted to engage with uh, world building, like, very early on. But he felt, but uh, Ikimoto felt like it was more necessary to, like, get the readers engaged with the characters and then do the world building a little bit later. God, but that is such a, that is such like a first timer writer's like mistake right there. Like focusing so much on the world building, but not focusing so much on like character or like how the story is structured. That is such a beginner's move. It's pretty much how the first, uh, that's how the Star Wars prequels kind of worked out. Right, right. Like it was just kind of a big jumble of like ideas that were kind of like all like mis mismatched and not really like fitting together, but somehow a good crew of people put them all together. Oh yeah, I got this idea, you know, he's gonna go to like a big lava planet, you know, it's called Mustafar and everything, it's all really cool. There's also Naboo, which is kind of like a, an Italian Venetian style thing. Uh, what, what was that? Uh, and I also have this love for Taoist, uh, for Taoist uh, philosophy as well, and uh, Buddhism as well. I really want to really work this all in, but there's also some uh, Jesus type stuff in here that I really like as well. Uh, and then they're just like, yeah, 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 like, okay, George, like, we'll just, <laughs> we'll, we'll work with it. George, can you like write us a script? Oh yeah, um, uh, let's see here. I love the water. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just hand it off to the script doctors and they're just like, just, just fucking make gold out of it. Okay. Now, bring about, now let me see what Jar, Jar Jar looks like in CGI. <laughs> <laughs> but soon enough, ReZero would have proved to be very popular and was seen as high quality enough to officially be published as a light novel in 2014. And it's currently being published by Media Factory, which is under Katakawa in Japan, with 17 volumes and counting. Jesus Christ, 17 volumes. Thanks. I know fantasy series in, like, the U.S. that don't go for that long. <laughs> they go for, like, seven volumes. Like, I get that they're light novels, so they're shorter and they're more self-contained, you know, but, like, 17? <laughs> I swear to God, like, like, light novels and, like, even, like, isekai to, a, like, a lesser extent, I, they, they never fucking end. <laughs> like, outside, outside of, like, the anime can end, of course, but, like, in the realm of light novels, they just keep fucking going. They never have endings planned out. Ah, oh, Jesus. So the idea of the series being adapted into an anime came up early on in its production. Uh, producer at Katakawa show Tanaka wanted some ideas for anime adaptations and asked the uh, editor Ikimoto for ideas, so he recommended ReZero to him. When talks about anime soon became serious, Tanaka went to Studio White Fox to handle the adaptation as he felt they produced very well-made and faithful anime adaptations. So some of White Fox's previous works include, but aren't limited to, Devil is a Part-Timer, A Kamigakil, 
and my favorite anime of all time, Steins Gate. Mmm, okay. In fact, it was White Fox's adaptation of Steins Gate which made Tanaka want them to work on ReZero, and without giving too much away, ReZero is... In a way, very similar to Science Gate. Mm, yeah, actually, it's got I, that like, feel. Di- direction, direction wise, and the the way it handles the uh, the, the way they pour, they uh, animate and uh, like block the drama in the series. I can definitely see Steins Gate in there. Although I also see a little bit of uh, Devils of Part Timers humor, though, yeah. <laughs> like uh, as a little bit of inspiration from that as well. Mm-hmm. What but, was the uh, third work there? Uh, a comic got kill. A comic got kill. Eh. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've kind of had lesser opinions of that as the years have gone by. But, uh, you know, White Fox's words aren't all winners here because they also did stuff like Supersonico and the aforementioned Goblin Slayer. So production of the anime began in October 2014, the same year it began being published as a light novel. And it would be directed by Masaharo Watanabe. He was chosen as he previously worked with White Fox doing key animation on a number of shows. And he also directed a couple of shows such as Grand Blem, which I never heard of, Wakaba Girl, which I also never heard of, and the Naruto spinoff Rock Lee and his Ninja Pals, which I have <laughs> heard of and seen and think is alright. <laughs> so quite quite the quite the resume. Quite, quite the killer's row there. Yeah. <laughs> so during production, Taipei Nagatsuki was actually very active in the process as he would sit in on script meetings and recording sessions. He would even help out staff anytime they ran into a problem with the scene. Such as, you know, he would write lines for them to use as a reference for the script and stuff like that. Like, he was very hands-on with production. Yeah, yeah, from what I read, yeah, he he, he did actually put a lot of, uh, a lot more work into this than I've uh, seen reported compared. Then again, maybe it was more that, like, his work was reported on more compared to, like, other directors out there. But, uh, no, he, he, I will say he did show his work on the series. Which kind of makes sense, because, you know, like, this is the, this is something that started off as, like, a hobby, you know, writing these, like, web novels and all of a sudden like hey we want to turn this into an anime like wouldn't you be all like oh i i want to make this like exactly as my vision you know like i want to get make sure you guys get everything right i want to help you on well here here's the director that will do all of that yeah (laughs) he's your man you ever see rock lee and his ninja pals (laughs) (laughs) you like that chibi naruto Uh, The director, Watanabe, his uh, goal was to make sure the anime captured the mood and spirit of the original novel as much as possible, so having the original author on board must have helped immensely, and also, like, can you imagine the crazy career path this dude had, you know, like like I said, do this hobby, work your 9-to-5 job at the butcher shop, then all of a sudden, hey, published into a light novel, hey, made into an anime adaptation. Like, this is a crazy career path. Well, what I kind of don't understand in that regard, though, is why, uh, like, why what he saw, like, in this in particular to really be as hands-on, like, because you don't hear many, like, directors, like, be so vocal about that, about, like, maintaining authenticity and making sure it's, like, exactly like what we saw in the manga and stuff, like... You know, that's kind of just a given in, like, most, like, anime adaptions, you know. But, like, mm-hmm. I find it fascinating that was, like, emphasized so much here. Like, I don't know, that just kind of interests me. Because it feels like one of those things that just should already be known, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I feel like in this case, it's more like you just kind of, like, he kind of came from nowhere. Like, I tried looking up, seeing if he had, like, any writing background and didn't really look like he had much. Oh, really? So, uh, well, yeah, I can understand being nice to the guy, you know, because it's, mm-hmm. like, one of his, you know, like, early works. Yeah, you know? a bit of a rags to riches story sort of thing. Right, right. Well, maybe there's also, well, I can also understand there's that concern that, like, uh, you know, some things might uh, get cut out that might be, um, you know, plot relevant, because this is kind of one of those stories where, like, details yeah, like, here yeah. and there do kind There's of a lot of, like, long-term booking in this series. Where, like, yeah, I would say that you definitely, compared to um, other works, if only due to, like, certain storytelling elements in here. 
you know, it's it's not like any other regular old anime where it's like in like a shonen and like there's like small little jokes that you can cut here and there. Yeah. Or you can be like the author of like Fire Force and like you just basically cut out all the fan service that he wanted to put in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you ever actually like flipped through like Fire Force manga? Yeah, I haven't. It's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty fan service. Yeah, especially. yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's pretty cheesecakey. Yeah, I I dig it, but like the stuff that kind of he does with Fire Cat is a little like. Yeah, I'm glad they kind of cut that from the anime. It's like, it's like, yeah, I'll stick with the anime. Thank the you anime. very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and soon enough, the anime would premiere on April 4th, 2016, and would go until September 19th, 2016. Over here in the States, it would be licensed by Crunchyroll for streaming, and Funimation would release the English dub later as part of their partnership with Crunchyroll at the time. Though Funimation released the dub, they didn't produce it in-house, as instead, the dub was produced at Bang Zoom Entertainment. Not one of the first times they did that, because, uh... Funimation, they licensed Mob Psycho 100, and that is also recorded at Bang Zoom rather than mm. in-house. Okay, I understand now. And the dub is directed by Chris Kaysen with scripts by Mike McFarland. So hey, back-to-back -back, uh, anime where we have Mike McFarland doing adaptive scripts. Hey, nice. Nice, Mike. So, <laughs> with all that out of the way, we're talking ReZero, and after a quick break, we'll be right back to start the show. It hurts. Do you want to die? Die? Am I dead? Am I still alive? Now slow. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Oh. I'm dead. What's going on? I'd say I was dreaming, but this is obviously really happening. A fantasy in another world. It's kind of hard to believe. Where's that money from? You don't want to get hurt. Chop up whatever you've got. But this has to be a time leap. And each time, I return to my initial state. How strange. You don't seem afraid of dying at all. Are you out of your mind? I'm insanely scared of dying. Mohit, you guys! Which is why, this time, I'm determined to find a way out. Wait, what? It's plain to see that you're overwhelmed about something. But you're not going to tell me what's really going on, are you? I tried so hard. <laughs> I was so desperate to set things right. Super Do you really want to die or something? <laughs> So 
First things first is the opening and the ending. The opening for the first half of the series is Redo by Konami Suzuki, and the ending is Styx Helix by Myth and Royd. Uh, what do you think of our song choices here? Mm, not too bad. I like the opening uh, just fine enough. Uh, you know, like the endings to the series are just kind of like, just okay, you know, like I can take them or leave them, you know. Really? I mean, I, I kind of really dig the endings to these. They're they're fine enough tail ends, I guess. You know, like it's okay. It's it's like all right. They do their job. Yeah, I dig them. Like probably mostly because like uh, when they pop in, they usually pop in at like big moments. Because there's a lot of those the series where like there's stuff that plays over the credits of uh, certain episodes. I think the openings just have a lot more content to them that's actually like worthwhile too. Like all the different like symbolism they have and stuff. You know, and um, this first opening especially. The the first opening in particular, I like quite a bit actually. I like it more than the second one personally. Yeah. I really like the opening riff to it, that, the kind of old... Well, there's also, like, good, like, rising action to the way the uh, music progresses as well that I think is, like, really nice, uh, adds a nice little edge to it, uh, since there is ever-encroaching encroaching drama in this series. So I like, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, and also, like, uh, the use of, like, the animation in there, where, like, it's all very kind of, like kind of fuzzy in the way like the Im the images are like breaking apart and stuff like uh, that in particular is very very steins gate like, i did the way sense a few I, I i don't know i think i sensed a little bit of like effect of like uh, effects in like the music as well that uh, kind of like sounds a little bit like video scratching or something yeah that like too. time is rewinding a little bit oh yeah that's another good detail Right, right. I mean, it'll. I mean, as far as like, as far as like OPs that have done that, nothing will ever like compare to like JoJo's Part Four. Oh yeah, the <laughs> bite the dust bites opening. The dust. Funny enough, you bring that up. Uh, people have actually edited their own version of uh, the Reezer opening, bites the dust. <laughs> of course they have. Yeah, I actually saw one that was like actually really well edited. I mean, I hate to play the bite the dust card so early in this, but like, <laughs> oh fuck it, we'll bring it up again. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a joke. It's it's a reference so good, we got to do it like twice or thrice. Yeah, or thrice. <laughs> so we have the first arc, a day in the capital city, which covers episodes one through three. So we kick off with pretty much how most isekai kick off, as we're introduced to Subaru Natsuki, played here by Sean Chiplock who, while stop shopping at a convenience store, is then suddenly transported to another world. And don't you hate that when that happens? You know, you go to make a simple quick trip run, and then all of a sudden you're in some magical fantasy world. I mean, I don't see why these I don't see why people say these works are so unrelatable, you know? Like, you're just a normal dude, you know, just going around. A normal, normal uh, straight dude, just like... <laughs> Going around, straight hetero dude, just walking around. <laughs> Straightening it up. Straightening it up. <laughs> Loving titties, man. And then all of a sudden, you just, uh, you're, you're just doing nothing with your life. You have no family to really, like, turn to, no friends or anything. You're just, uh, you're just a complete loner, just waiting for something to happen in life. And then, uh, you're, you're basically rewarded for that <laughs> by dying and being sent to another world. I mean, it, it's, it's so relatable. It happens to the best of us. Man, I just wanted some Fleming Hot Cheetos and a Pepsi and not get drafted to fight the forces of evil led by a demon king or something <laughs> come on like like i just wanted to go take a trip to 7-eleven <laughs> i just had to use the bathroom and my place is clogged up now all of a sudden i get flushed down into another world <laughs> <laughs> oh man i did the take a penny leave a penny thing hopefully they're not mad that i took it oh god is this is this like the curse that's going to be incurred upon me because i did not obey the take a penny leave a penny <laughs> Though things are a little different as, for one, Subaru seems savvy enough to understand the situation. Another thing is, unlike most isekai or any fantasy RPG, it looks like he doesn't have any new powers and he wasn't summoned to 
this world to, by a princess to fight a demon king or some or be some legendary champion as you see in most uh, isekai. No. Well, I've I'm well, I've, to be fair, I've also seen others do the whole like you know start from zero angle where they have like just nothing to start with in the series. Yeah, but that's the case with this one. Like he's just regular old Subaru Natsuki stuck in a mysterious fantasy world for. Right, we're coming from that home of isekai right here. Yeah, he's stuck here for apparently no reason with nothing but the stuff he bought at the store and the tracksuit that he's wearing and will be wearing for the rest of the series. And he's relatively cool with it, I guess, apparently. Yeah, he was just all like, wait a minute, I'm in a new world. This is awesome! Like, okay, okay, I've seen this stuff before, I've watched Sword Art Online. Okay, is something gonna happen, you know, am I gonna be, like, thrust into some kind of, like, uh, special event where I gotta save someone and then I level up and get some powers or anything? Uh, no, that doesn't happen. Right, right, it's, uh, it's, yeah, clearly, clearly the series is kind of coming from that, uh, background a little bit to where this is, uh, kind of already well-known, you know? Yeah, like, he has a rough go of it trying to get acclimated to this world at first, like, he can't read their language, which causes some awkward moments where he walks into places where he shouldn't be, like, a bar full of lizard people, or a bathroom full of dog women, stuff right. like that. And he finds out that his money is no good from a hard-ass Apple salesman played here by Patrick Seitz, you know. Hey, what's this uh, friggin' money with holes in it, man? Like, I need real, real bucks, you know. Republic credits don't work here, only money. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, first impressions of Subaru here. Subaru, first impressions. I don't know if, like, ugh, honestly... I don't know, when it comes to Subaru, you really gotta, like, view him in, like, uh, different stages of, like, uh, where he is in the story, I suppose. But, uh, so I feel like, I feel like one initial look at him was, uh, can only do so much, but, uh, initially, honestly, initially I did not give him a whole lot of credit to begin with. Like, when I, cause when I first, like, saw him going through the story, and he's, like, all, like, genre savvy, and I'm all, like, I was just thinking to myself, oh, it's cute how they think this is so original. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, it's cute, it's charming how they think it's charming that, like, they think they're so original here. <laughs> Like oh he's 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 genre savvy. Oh, I'm like, I haven't seen fucking that like everywhere. <laughs> I mean to be fair, this came out in 2012, so probably before most of those were ever really much of a thing. I, I don't know, but it's like an I'm talking about like other stories you've seen previously where people go in like another world and they're all like, oh I've seen this before. I'm genre savvy. Like it's it's a fucking old trope. Like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I initially did not think much of Subaru, although. Um, the, the one thing that becomes very clear in these, uh, first three episodes that I do at least appreciate is that he is at least likable for the most part. Like, he's, he's, like, actually a good person. Yeah, like, I kind of find this kind of... He's got some, so he's got some decent social grace. Yeah, I, I kind of find his, like, little kind of goofiness and his genre savviness, you know, a bit charming in a way, you know, like, oh, he's just the lovable little scamp here. It's, it's on and off for me. It's, yeah. it's kind of on and off for me. But for the most part, I tend towards, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a nice guy. Yeah. Better than most East Cap Pro Tags. Right, definitely. I, I give him a lot of credit in that regard, and that he has more. He definitely has more personality and character in these first three episodes than most uh, other isekai anime characters. And it's a low bar have throughout their entire episode runs. A very low bar. Very. This is a very low bar we're reaching over here, people. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of the angle I'm going to be approaching this show from. Yeah. But for me, it's like I'm actually giving a praise here. Right, right. But well, we'll we'll just, we'll see we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, things go from bad to worse as Subaru runs into some hooligans in an alley, but it looks like Subaru's savior has come in the form of a small girl, the same girl we've seen running around the city rooftops in uh, previous moments early in this episode. However, she has no time for this guy and probably tells him to see you later, fucker, and she pieces out. By the way, uh, side note, this whole scene here, uh, 
when I went when we went to ASIN back in was it 2018? Mm, something like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, I went to one of the uh, Bang Zoom, you know, recording uh, panels, all about recording and voiceover, and uh, they actually had volunteers come up and actually do some actual ADR recording with some actual legitimate anime. And the scene they did was this exact scene right here. Oh, that's cute. That's nice. Yeah, like they brought a guy in to play uh, Subaru. They brought in a girl to play the uh, the young girl who runs past them, you know. And, like, uh, it was a lot of fun. The guy seemed like he had some experience doing this while the girl kind of, like, she she had, like, a little rough start. But she, like, really got into it with, like, some motivation from the audience and from the uh, the staff doing the uh, the panel. Oh, I think I might rem- Wasn't I there for that? I think I, I think I do remember that, actually. I think you were there. Yeah, I think I was. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I do actually remember that. Yeah. now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. Funny enough, that was my first exposure to a ReZero because I'll be honest, I didn't watch this until about say a few months ago. Right, right. This, this we're we're coming to this pretty this whole thing pretty recently. So then Subaru gets the idea to fight back, and then he manages to fight them off momentarily. You wouldn't think it, but under that tracksuit, Subaru's got a little beef. Well, kind of, but like I would like one of the first things that comes to mind in these first episodes is that uh oh wow it's almost actually somewhat kind of refreshing that uh he uh he sucks at fighting <laughs> yeah he sucks but he's still got a bit of a he's still got a big bit of strength yeah they they clear he clarifies at one point that uh he's he, he at least keeps himself somewhat physically healthy i mean what else is there to do besides play video games watch tv and masturbate <laughs> right exactly <laughs> you know he's probably got good like grip strength <laughs> come on let's be real here super will like wax off like as much as, like, a regular teenage boy does. I mean, we can probably assume that, like, in the in-between parts in the series, when he is not on screen, he's probably just fucking jacking it, like, whenever <laughs> he gets the chance. Just really getting into it. Really getting into there, into there because, uh... What, <laughs> I was gonna make a bad, dirty joke there, but, like, I think I'll say... I think I'll, uh, bank that in my head. Just keep it off to the side for a rainy day. <laughs> The, one of the guys pulls a blade on him, and Subaru surrenders, and they proceed to put the boots to him. But this is interrupted by a silver-haired girl as she's looking for a thief. But the person she's pursuing, the girl who ran by here, has since passed, and she goes on to continue her search. But she isn't going to stand for this mugging, so she shoos the goons away with the help of her little cat spirit. Introducing the familiar-slash-cat-spirit-slash-series mascot, Puck, played here by Erica Mendez, and uh, the girl who introduces herself as Satella, played here by Kaylee Mills, who, by the way, she celebrated her birthday earlier this week at the time of recording. So, happy birthday, Kaylee! Happy birthday! Although I will, I would dispute that Puck is as the, the the biggest mascot of the series, but uh, I guess I will dispute that later. Yeah. But uh, as it is right here, it's a pretty good intro for both these characters. First impressions of Puck and uh, Satella, quote unquote. Puck and Satella, um, honestly, like, I still low opinions at this point <laughs> I had when I initially watched this. Just like, okay, here's a, here's is a girl who, like, you know, is decently designed, and, oh, it's a little summonable creature here, you know. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I gave him a chance, but, you know, like... Oh, yeah, I was giving him a chance, too. I was all like, okay, like, I know it's probably gonna get, like, better at some point, but, like... Okay, let's just get... I was just like, okay, let's get the usual stuff out of here. Usual tropes, you know. Uh, for me, my first impressions on them was just like, oh, Puck's super adorable. I want one. And uh, Satella, you seem cool, but please do not be uh, an atypical Sundere. You kind of had that little feel to you when you were kind of talking to Subaru, being all like, yeah, I helped you because I want to help, so don't go bothering me or anything like that. Uh, right, there's a, there's a little bit of ink. I was kind of like, first. don't be a Sundere, don't be a Sundere. It's it's a fine line that, that uh, they tread here at the beginning. Yeah. By the way, I gotta point out, uh, Subaru's introduction here, 
where he strikes the friggin' Saturday Night Fever John Travolta pose, and he's all like, My name's Subaru Natsuki! Not only am I totally clueless, but I'm also broke beyond compare! <laughs> I mean, that, that was the point where I was all like, Okay, this guy's got a little more... He's got, got some decent character. He's got some moxie. Right, he's got a little moxie. Also, one thing I want to point out here is, like, during their introduction, Subaru mentions in kind of very genre savvy and kind of a cute way saying like ah i am from an island nation in the easternmost part of the world but then uh Satella brings up saying like oh we're in the kingdom of lagunica and this is the only country that's on the easternmost part of the world map it implies that there's nothing past lagunica but that shouldn't be true because the world is should be it should be like our world shouldn't they be like on a round planet you're saying it's a fucking flat earth they're like on in there is Satella a flat earther is what i'm trying to get to <laughs> That's 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 the true discussion that should be had about like ReZero. You know, Satella, I'm pretty sure she's hanging around AJ Styles too much. <laughs> Satella, I gotta break it to you. The Earth is actually in fact round. I don't know how it works around here. What no, that's that can't be true. Like we the sun revolves around us too. Like there's nothing past the kingdom of Lagunica. And in another anime, that's where that uh, whole story would have created an entirely different isekai anime. That would have been 13 episodes on its own. <laughs> Stuck in a world in which I have to disprove flat earth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's your title right there. Oh no, I can do better than that. I can do better than that for the panel, but that was just off the top of my head. Oh, but that's amazing. <laughs> Stuck in another world where I have to disprove flat earthers. <laughs> hey, I'd watch it. I'd, I'd be down to watch that. It'd basically be like Dr. Stone, but like about like serious world like societal problems <laughs> about science denial. And there'd just be like the stupid idiots out there going like, oh, this is just Japanese socialist propaganda. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I gotta have some cider. Anyway, Satella is looking for her insignia, which is a small pin with a jewel in the middle surrounded by a certain symbol, and Subaru decides to help her, his reasoning being that he wants to pay her back for helping him, and also he thinks she's pretty bae. During their search, we learn a little bit more about Satella as she reveals that she isn't technically a human, but rather a half-elf. It seems like she expected this to be garner a big reaction from Subaru, but instead he's all like, neat. He's like, he's like, neat, yeah, fantasy world racism <laughs> I'll have to deal with. <laughs> hey, I mean, if I were in a fantasy world and the girl said they were a half-elf or something else like that, like, whatever, she said she was a Galeet Glob, I would be like, yo, that's dope. Yo, that's dope, you got pointy ears. <laughs> that's sweet. <laughs> but uh, we, can, we can gather from this world, from this uh, little conversation here, that there is some kind of prejudice in this world towards half-elves. And also, there was something about the way she gave her name that kind of, eh, it doesn't sit right. Right, right. Mm-hmm. While they continue looking, they find and help a lost little girl in what is a pretty cute scene. I kind of admit them helping this little girl, Subaru, kind of doing a little magic trick to kind of cheer her up a bit. Right, right. You know, it's, it's, it shows his uh, kindness towards, uh, you know, regular lower people, you know. Yeah, they return her to her family and find out that her dad is the hard-ass apple salesman from before. And as payback, he tells them about the girl who stole Satella's insignia. Her name is Felt, and she lives somewhere in the slums on the outskirts of the city. They search and search until nighttime, and they get some info from one of the denizens of the slum as to where Felt might be, and this leads them to a large loot house owned by a guy named Old Man Rom. Another thing I should mention is that uh, they need to search, do the search without Puck as, for now as he can only maintain his uh, physical spirit form from uh, 9 to 5, so you know, 
Spirits work eight hour shifts too. I, yeah, I think that was like an in joke. Like he works like a nine to five job. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was like a cute little bit. I, it kind of flew over my head, to be honest. <laughs> so Subaru goes to the loot house first to check and see if the coast is clear. While searching, he finds blood on the ground. Hope this isn't Chris's blood. No, instead, this blood belongs to a giant dead body slumped in the corner. Holy fuck. Subaru is then attacked by an unknown assailant who slices his belly. Satella comes in to see what's wrong, and then she is attacked too. Well, this is looking like a short series here. Yeah, like this this is gonna end pretty quickly. While they both lie on the ground bleeding out, Subaru reaches out and grabs Satella's hand and promises to save her. He passes out, and when he comes to, he's back in front of the apple salesman. It looks like he's back where he started at the point when he first arrived in Lagunica. What the hell, did you just imagine all that? <laughs> Uh, no time to think about it now, as Satella needs saving, so Subaru needs to make a run to the loot house where he meets Old Man Rom, played here by Bo Billingsley. Hey, Bo! Oh, yeah. I love seeing this guy anywhere. Of uh, Jet Black from uh, Cowboy Bebop fame, and he was also the main villain in the uh, recent Toonami Total Immersion event, The Forge. Yes, yes, he did He did just do that recently. He he had a hand in uh, finally ushering in Tom Six. Yeah, so yeah, always a pleasure to hear him. Yeah, yeah, like he's just got that like delicious chocolate-like baritone oh yeah it just like it's just so smooth oh and a lovely dude too got a chance to meet him at anime detour a little while back i know right so subaru tells the old man about the insignia and that he knows about felt old man rom says that felt is coming by later and might have that very insignia and so later on we are introduced to felt played here by christine cabanos as she comes by with the insignia in hand and subaru proposes that they make a trade for the item he offers up his uh, crappy flip phone, saying that it's a magical device that can capture moments in time. It's a, a metia, as you guys refer to it as in this world. You can use it to illegally <laughs> go under girls' skirts <laughs> and snap a photo. All in great, great 240p quality. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking miracle of fu the future, you know? <laughs> but wait, there's more. Here, after pressing a few of these magical buttons, you can play a game where you play... As a snake. <laughs> oh, you know, those glorious old flip phones and Japan's like willingness to hold on to those. I only feel like it just seems like recently that they started animating uh, characters with smartphones in recent anime. Eh, I don't know. I feel like that's been around for a little bit. I want to give a little bit more credit to say that it was around for a little bit longer, but like. I would say I would say they've uh, been depicting smartphones a bit more for a bit more longer than that. I would say, but there was a, like there was a brief while where it was just like everyone had these like crappy flip phones. Yeah, yeah, there was still that kind of like grace period. I'm sure you can pinpoint that grace period where like they were still depicting flip phones in anime, whereas like iPhones had already been adopted. Yeah, I'm sure you can like find that range out there if you really looked for it. Old Man Rom says the phone is worth even more than the insignia, but felt won't trade it just yet as she's set to negotiate a trade with another client. Said client is a woman named Elsa, played here by Christina V, who's fetching the insignia for another buyer. After some quick back-and-forth negotiations, Rom declares that Subaru's phone is worth more than the 20 holy coins Elsa has, and it looks like he's the victor. Elsa then looks to take her leave, but first she asks Subaru what he intends to do with the insignia, and he says he's going to return it to the owner. Probably shouldn't have said that. Mmm, yeah, that sets everybody off. As Elsa attacks and Old Man Rom defends, but, uh, nah. Surely no way he'll lose. Oh shit, he lost. <laughs> He's left dead and slumped in the corner, just like before. Elsa then kills Felt, and all that leaves is Subaru. He tries to fight back, but Elsa is too much for him, and he ends up getting gutted just like before. So, should also note that Elsa seems to kind of get off on this, you know, uh... 
you know, you get all hot and heavy slicing and dicing your little people here, Elsa does. Yeah, I guess, like, what, you never looked at a nice, like, hot pile of entrails and just, like, gotten, like, rock hard? <laughs> All I'm saying is, when it comes to Isekai, where Christina V plays a character with some odd kinks, I'll stick with her as Darkness and Konosuba, thank you very much. Oh my god, that, that has happened before. <laughs> Christina V, I hope you're not getting typecast. <laughs> and so, Subaru dies. Or does he? He's back in front of the Apple salesman again, just like before. What the fuck is happening? So Subaru is rightly freaked out by all this and faints. When he comes to, he just so happens to see Satella walking by, and so he rushes her and calls out her name loud enough for her and the entire town to hear. She stops, and the townsfolk look startled. However, she doesn't know who he is, and on top of that, her name is not Satella, as it is the name of the Witch of Envy in this world. And saying that name out loud is quite the taboo. Think of it as saying Voldemort out loud in the Harry Potter world. Mm. By the way, all this was just the first episode. I know, it's a particularly long episode. Yeah, an hour long, I would say. I know, like really put, well, I guess it now kind of makes sense why like the series is 25 episodes. Like, oh yeah, they had to account for like the the long ass first episode. Yeah, and there's also a bunch of other episodes later on where they had to like add some more stuff in there because like. Mm, Yeah, because of course you kind of have to like elongate some things here and there. Yeah, so this turns out into a huge misunderstanding and during this felt swoops in and steals the insignia again. So yeah, then Subaru starts to put all two and two together and figures out that every time he dies... He returns to a previous point in time, so just like most video games, there's a checkpoint he can return to, and it would have also appeared that he must have activated the uh, Konami code as he has unlimited lives, so up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, left, right, BA, start. I know, I know, although I wish she would, um, I wish she would uh, take advantage of the whole, like, unlimited life thing, really, because, uh, but, uh, I don't know, I'll save, I'll maybe save that criticism for, like, uh, later, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, and he soon calls this power Return by Death. So, Subaru considers in this run not helping Satella, uh, sorry, I mean the artist formerly known as Satella, but he can't bring himself to do it as he just can't live with the knowledge of Elsa killing her old man Ramen felt. You know, he's gotta go save the cute elf girl like in My Legend of Zelda's. <laughs> with his new power to bite the dust! <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Like, I, I, I hate that anime can never, like, reference other works like that. Like, they're just, like, going around at the time. Like, come on, it'd be perfect. <laughs> he could have had, like, JoJo was, like, old enough at the time. I know, right? Ugh, God, it'd be perfect. I mean, if I mean, if fucking like Arky can like reference like anything he ever wants in his works, like well, in other anime, you know. Right. So Super plans on changing fate, but first he has to deal with dumb, dumber, and dumberistic once again. But instead of fighting, he calls for help, and I kind of really like the scene here, where he's all like, "Okay, I got a plan to deal with you guys." Help me! Help me! I need a big, strong man. <laughs> Trying to sound like a woman in peril. <laughs> And help does come in the form of Reinhardt Vanastrea, played here by Robbie Damon, a royal knight and one of the strongest in all of Lagunica. He's so strong that it's said that when he unsheathes his sword, then you know it's all over, but he only saves that for the toughest of opponents. Hmm. Yeah, and again, Robbie Damon voicing a pretty boy nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he does a good job here, too. Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, he definitely does. Like, he's probably got no problem getting typecast <laughs> in that part, right. in those parts. Hey, if he does it well, you know. He does it well. Reinhardt runs off the goons and Subaru thanks him and salutes him Attack on Titan style. Like, did you see this? He kind of did the whole fist on the heart thing. Mm, 
Yeah, kind of, I suppose. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's somewhat reminiscent. Yeah, I, I would say it makes sense, because I would assume this dude reads Attack on Titan. He probably would. <laughs> in route to the slums, Subaru decides to go to Felt's place before she goes to the loot house. Subaru finds Felt at her den, and she attacks him, thinking that he's here to steal stuff from her. But then Subaru explains that he's just here to buy the insignia, and she brings him to the loot house, where once again, he has to barter for it with his flip phone. At the loot house, Subaru tries to get the deal done before Elsa arrives, and he explains he wants it, and he's trying to return it, but Felt doesn't buy it. Then, there's a knock at the door. Subaru warns Felt not to open it, and it turns out to be Natsutella. Hey, things are different here. So it turns out that if Subaru didn't try to help her before, like in the first timeline, she would have just shown up to the loot house first on her own. And also, like a nice little detail here is that apparently, even in this timeline, without meeting Subaru, she still helped the little girl find her lost parents because she still has the little flower she gave, the little girl gave her. Oh, right, right, I like that. Like, kind of shows that she's, you know, still caring on the side. Yeah. Subaru tries to de-escalate the situation here, you know, put your ice shards down, you know, put your knives down, just kind of cool it down. We're all cool here. But uh, before he can, Elsa sneaks in and tries to attack. But Subaru, thinking wise, as it's before 5 p.m., he calls on Puck and he blocks the attack. And so the third confrontation with Elsa is underway. Natsutella performs a big ice blast, but it's no use, and Puck runs out of mana as 5 p.m. hits. Elsa then gains the big advantage, takes out Old Man Rom, but he doesn't kill him this time as Felt was able to lessen the blow by blocking Elsa's blade by throwing one of her own. Subaru joins in on the fight so he can buy Felt enough time for tuck in her tail and run, which works. Subaru and Natsutel do their best to fight off Elsa and press it, and it's like, I'm kind of finding this really impressive during this whole fight where like, Subaru, like this small skinny knacker kid here, like, can swing around Old Man Rom's club as easily as he did. <laughs> I don't know, it's a little unrealistic, but like, whatever, I guess he's, I guess he's fit enough, I guess. I bet when he takes off that track suit, he's kind of like Ned Flanders when he takes off his shirt, he's got like ripped and has like a six-pack abs. <laughs> Probably does, you know, he does, he does look like you would say, how, how do you, how to, how to Reno, like neighborino. <laughs> uh, Elsa goes in for the killing blow, but then Reinhardt shows up and comes to the rescue. So, you know, while Felt was running away, calling for help, she happened to bump into him. Reinhardt battles Elsa while Natsutella attempts to use her powers to heal Old Man Rom. And even though he's part of the reason why her insignia was stolen, she's still willing to help him. Ooh, what a good gal. And I shall splice in the finish to the fight right here. I would rather not resort to using violence on a woman. Look at you. My. You're just as good as the rumors say. Maybe better. I hope that I can meet your expectations. Aren't you going to use that sword at your hip? Love the chance to experience its legendary sharpness firsthand. This sword can only be drawn at times when it's truly needed. The fact that it hasn't left its sheath as of yet means that this is not one of those times. I believe you underestimate me. Truthfully, it's an upsetting judgment for me as well. Therefore, I will take you on with this instead. Any objections? Of course not. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Do entertain me, please. If you've lost your weapon, then I suggest you surrender. Watch out, Reinhardt! She's got a second one! I'm impressed you knew. I've experienced your blades personally. But I have more than two fangs, I'll have you know. You wouldn't mind if we started again, would you? If I deprive you of all of your weapons, will you be satisfied? If I lose my fangs, I'll use my claws. If I lose my claws, I'll use my bones. And if I lose my bones, I'll use my life. That's how a bowel hunter fights! 
There's no way Reinhardt's gonna fail to land the decisive blow, right? Unfortunately, he's not able to fight at his full strength because I'm using my spirit arts. What do those have to do with each other? If Reinhardt were truly intent on fighting, all the mana in the atmosphere would turn away from me. I've almost finished healing him now, so be sure he knows when I give you the signal. He should be alright now. Go ahead. Hey, Reinhardt! I don't really get it, but do your thing! What are you going to show me? The swordplay of the Astrea family. You're facing the Vowel Hunter, Ms. Elza Granheert. Master Swordsman's line. I'm Reinhardt Van Astrea. Monsters is your specialty, my ass! Look at this place! You're a monster yourself, you freak! Even I'm a bit hurt by a cruel comment like that, Subaru. I'm sorry I asked too much of you. Rest well now. So, what do you think of this first uh, boss battle of the series? Eh, it's alright. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's fine, like, you know, like, uh, like... That's that's most of what I will say about this anime is that like okay like the action scenes they're good you know but it's like it's 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 good but it's like I I already kind of expect this quality from anime you know it's like this is this is the bar that should already be passed over you know mm. like this is the kind of the good shit we should already be given on like a pretty good regular basis yeah but uh, I, I kind of dig this for like for for a first outing in the it, it works to me just based on like how like the whole time travel angle kind of worked into it how um you know Subaru kind of used. Uh, the knowledge of the past that he kind of used here to uh, kind of play the game to his favor. And so, all's well that ends well, and Subaru reintroduces himself to Natsutella, and as a reward, he only gets one request. He simply just wants to know her name. Her real name, that is. And that name is Amelia. Amelia, I just met a girl named Amelia, <laughs> and suddenly that name won't ever be the same to me. Subaru would fucking sing that, wouldn't he? He probably would. He probably sings it in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I think this is like a little of a cute scene where she was all like, that's all you wanted to know? <laughs> oh yeah, the, the cuteness is like set up well here in yeah. this opening. Though Oswald isn't. Well, as it turns out, Subaru got sliced by Elsa as he collapses, but thanks to Amelia, he doesn't die this time around and instead just passes out. Amelia and Reinhardt wonder what to do with Subaru, and Reinhardt offers to bring him into his place. I like where this is going. <laughs> but Amelia decides she should be the one to take in the neat, as she wants to know more about what's going on with him. I, I don't know. Like, if I was there, I'd probably want to go with Reinhardt, if only because, like, I could probably learn... I, you go into this world and you know how to do nothing... And you see this guy whip out his sword and, like, just, like, kill, like, just wreck shit everywhere. I'd immediately think, like, oh, I want to do that for as long as I'm living here. I want to learn how to be a good swordsman. Teach me or bring me into the fold. Also, I have no job, so I need money. And swinging a sword sounds much cooler. I don't know, dude. Amelia, 
She's pretty bay. I mean, <laughs> there's other women in the sea, you know. Like it's a fantasy world, you know. But are any of them half elves? Yes, probably. It's a fucking wide ass world. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking wolf people and lizard people. You can have whatever you fucking want. <laughs> but what about this one? I don't know. I'd want to maybe get with like a crocodile lady or something. See how that is. Ooh, that'd be pretty nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm kind of thinking more of like a, a cobalt dog woman. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Uh, but Amelia forgives Felton Old Man Ramesh. He sympathizes with them about how they are the only ones who have each other in the world. They're family, and it's kind of similar to how she sees herself and Puck. Right, right. Like, I have, I have that perspective in fantasy worlds of, like, when it comes to thieves of, like... I, I don't see them so much as, like, criminals, where I'm just like... You know, like, equal opportunists in yeah. a world like this. Yeah, I don't... Where I'm just like, if I... Okay, if I were an adventurer on the other side of the angle and stuff with, like, nothing to me, I'd probably commit, commit a few crimes to try and get up in the world. Yeah, and I kind of like that idea of, like, thieves being kind of, like, familial in a way, you know? We only have each other and we kind of steal, but we make sure we have... We steal for everyone. Right, because they're, they're people in the end, you know? Yeah. And it's like... It's how I try to approach, like, every thief character out there, yeah. too. Like, if, if, like, if you steal from me, I'm just like, okay, you did a good job there. You were actually dexterous and, like, clever to steal from me. Yeah. <laughs> good for you. You have a skill in this world. Good on ya. Now I'm gonna get it back. <laughs> Fair game. <laughs> and, and so, Felt returns the insignia to Amelia, but when Reinhardt sees Felt with the insignia in hand, he immediately changes his tone and gets serious. He questions her about where she came from and decides to take her in for some questioning. Something's up here. And so the first arc comes to a close. Uh, how about that start to the series? Mm, not too bad. Like, it was a lot better than I thought it would be. Yeah, it definitely follows kind of like the, uh, you know, the idea that most uh, anime fans in particular, this can also apply to, like, anybody who watches TV or something, the whole three-episode rule, you know, where, like, okay, first three episodes, you gotta wow me, you know, suck me in, and it did this exactly in three episodes. I will admit, like, compared to most of, like, many other anime, and, like, it, this goes for, like, anime in general, too. Like, I'll watch, like, one every now and then, but, like, if it doesn't hook me in, like, the first four episodes or so, I'll just drop it, you know, and it's, like, move on or something. But I'll give credit. This one did actually, like, do it for me. Yeah, you know, kind of, like, set up the world, set up the characters, introduce the problem, introduce a solution, do a little trial and error, then have the finish. All right, it was all pretty well-paced overall. Yeah, which brings us to arc two, One Week at the Mansion which covers episodes 4 through 11. This will be this is like the longest week I've ever heard of in my life, by the way, before we go into this. Oh, bro, you've never seen the Endless Eight from Haruhi. <laughs> so Subaru wakes up in a huge mansion, and what a mansion. After recovering from his latest injuries, he decides to take a stroll around the manor and get a good feel of his surroundings. This leads him to picking and opening a door at random, and he comes across a huge, sprawling library. And in said library sits a small girl, I suppose, named Beatrice, I suppose, played here by Kira Buckland, I suppose. So you can give your thoughts on Beatrice, I suppose. Be be is all right. <laughs> <laughs> little, like, snarky little girl character. I think she's a fun character. I'm sorry, I didn't feel much towards her in this series, to be honest. She's not, I, uh, like, this isn't too much of a spoiler, but I don't think she's given a whole lot to do in these, like, initial, in this, like like, first season, and, um, I don't know, I feel like she's one of the, um, uh, lesser, um, used characters in this first season. Not as much as others, I would say, like, she, she's, she's, like, smack dab in the middle, where, like, she's not as well-developed as, like, the best of the characters, you know, but, like, 
not as like underdeveloped as like some other ones. She's kind of in the middle. It's like a weird spot for me. Yeah, I would say this is the uh, only really arc that we get to see much of her. But uh, maybe that's why I feel weird about weird about her, and that she is that she's really only used uh, extensively in this arc right here. But uh, for me, at least, what I've seen of her, I think she's kind of a fun character, and I kind of like her sassy attitude. You know, she kind of reminds me a bit of a terrible tornado from a One Punch Man. You know. What's with the sassy lost child here? Mm, I guess, but like Tornado had psychic powers, though. <laughs> that is true. But still, the attitudes are kind of like in a similar way. And they, they are similar, but it's also I also have that angle of like, okay, I've kind of seen this before. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and again, the fact that they didn't do much of that in the end, like it was just I was just like, oh well, uh, okay. <laughs> I like what I see, and also I really like uh, Kira Buckland's performance as her. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I will say it right now, all the voice actors in this, actors and actresses in the series, do a fine job overall. Especially uh, Subaru's uh, voice actor as yeah, well, Sean Chiplock. Yeah, Sean Chip. Yeah, Sean Chiplock. He he's. I would say he's the MVP of the series, <laughs> given the lines he has to deliver and like really nail the emotional delivery. He did a fucking fantastic job in the series. I have another MVP for me personally, but he's a damn close one. Mm. He's a close second for me, but he's still really good. I see. Okay. Yeah. Though with Beatrice here, though her name is Beatrice, you can also refer to her as Betty. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha uh, Suru gets on Betty's bad side, and she uses her powers to zap away the rest of this mana, knocking him out, I suppose. By the way, I like that gimmick of her just adding I suppose at the end of Always every line. Always like, suppose the end of every sentence. That's a nice little quirk. It's nice. Should also mention that uh, during this first meeting between the two in, and in some scenes later, Subaru tends to refer to Betty as a, quote, lolly. And even though Subaru totally comes off as someone who would unironically use that word, I hate that word so much. Yeah, like, it's it's just creepy. <laughs> like, lolly, it's short for Lolita, which comes from a book of the same name where a man becomes sexually involved with a 12-year-old girl. A book you read in high school and told me all about. Yes, it's it's very gross. It's a very gross book overall. Yeah, like doesn't. But like intentionally, but like intentionally written to be gross. You know, you're you're supposed to be disgusted. Yeah, like isn't the thing where like he he becomes her stepdad and Lolita is his private nickname for her. Right, comes from right, right, and then it's like a sort of like back and forth relationship, and then it gets like farcical near the end, you know, and it's like. You know, it's it's a, it's an entire story that's like written to like really offend you, you know, mm-hmm. and like you know really confront you with this like uncomfortable angle, you know. I mean, I, I don't blame anybody for not reading it, of course. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> if if I had not read it up to this point, like today, like I would not have fucking read it. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like it's a word that uh, Lolly Lolita meant. It means to imply a girl is uh, sexually precocious, but. A good majority, and I mean a real good majority of anime fans, have decided to use it as a way to describe any young-looking girl in an anime. Oh, you're a 10-year-old girl. Oh, look at the little lolly here. Oh, aren't you cute? Fuck off. I hate that. I hate that so much. I, I just I just call those people pedophiles. Yeah. Like, you're, you're just a low-key pedophile. It's like, me. what are you implying here? I know. Like, if you use that term unironically, I'm going to see you as this fucking would-be sexual predator. And part of me kind of thinks, like, do they not know what it means? No, they gotta know what it means. They gotta know. Yeah. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's some out there that don't fully know the implications. But like, like I'm sure there's plenty of others that just know absolutely. But like, just don't give a shit. Like it's hard for me. Like looking up like fun little clips of Love Live on uh, YouTube, where where like most of the comments are like, "Oh, look at Ruby. She's such a lolly," and I urge urge the kill rising. Ugh, yeah, I know it's pretty shitty. Anyway, Subaru comes to again after being knocked out again. And this time he wakes, he's greeted by all oh, your favorite characters, I assume. Twin maids. 
twins, Basil, twins. <laughs> but here we have... Not only is it the maid trope, we're also pulling out the twin trope. Yes, yeah, so we have Rem, the girl with the blue hair, played here by Brianna Knickerbocker, and Rom, the one with the pink hair, played here by Ryan Bartley. You have the floor, bro. Tell us your thoughts on these two. Well, I mean, like, uh, well, like, having seen, like, how they're developed later in the series, I can say they, you know, they, they, I would say they at least rose up beyond uh, the tropes that they kind of represented here. Because you just see this, you just see these two (laughs) twin girls with, like, different hair colors and they're dressed up in maid outfits. And, like, the the words, oh, no, just happen in your head. (laughs) Like, I kind of, oh, no. I kind of imagine, like, you watching this for the first time, they make their first appearance, and it just goes. Well, no, I knew to expect them, so it's like that was already out of the way. Like I knew what to expect here. But like I guess I I don't know. I guess like my my feelings on them. It's just like yeah, like I will say like they get like character wise they do get elevated above their tropes. I will say that is at least one success of the series. But uh overall it's just I'm just I'm just still kind of indifferent towards them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have Rom and Rem here. Uh Rom being the fuck, I keep fucking this up. <laughs> the pink-haired one. The pink-haired one and Rem is the blue-haired one. Yes. yes. Um, the actual mascots of the series, I will say, because just just look at them. These are like I like from the get go. These are like the most designed by committee waifus I've ever fucking seen in my life. Yeah, and I still hold that sentiment by the end of the series that design wise, they're designed to be waifus. Yeah, like I like these characters, but like even I'll be the first to admit that this is like total waifu bay here. Yeah, it really is. But and, I, like, and they never change out of their costumes in the series. That's too. another thing too. Yeah, they keep the costumes entirely through everything. Though they do explain it, like Subaru does ask them, like, "Hey, why don't you change out of your maid outfits?" And like I think it's Rem who goes like. We are happy with the outfits Lord Roswell gave to us. Yes, yes, that's the that's the bullshit excuse they'll pimp, they'll pimp out for these uh, ladies because there'll be any excuse, any excuse to keep them in those made outfits, keep them marketable, Though keep I, them in the, into the products that they are. It's <laughs> like this is the angle I harp on right here. Is that like they're like they're. I describe these two characters as products first and characters second. <laughs> two marketable twin maids. I feel like that had to have been intentional. Yeah, like I would imagine something like that. Like the like the writer of the series, he had uh, some kind of angle and stuff. Like oh, I'm gonna have these two maids that uh, you know I can't really like depict it too well in my writing, but like they're exactly the same except for like their hair colors. Uh, they're they're both wear maid outfits. You know, they both have um, very like um, you know they have like uh, shapely figures. You know, like. And uh, they both like have like strange uh, speaking quirks, but like I'm gonna dump a whole bunch of like dark character story into them and stuff. And I'm gonna develop the hell out of them so I can have my fucking cake and eat it too. Because <laughs> that's what every isekai writer fucking does. That's what every fantasy writer this fucking day and age does. Every single fucking one of them. It's always a contest to see who can have their cake and eat it too. And that's how this fucking genre keeps like going, like and going and going endlessly without end. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> but no, like, I do agree with you on some points there, but, like, in the end, like, looking at the characters by themselves, I do quite like Rem and Rom. And yeah, they're, yeah, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, won't correct the top five made characters, in your opinion? 
And the, well, actually, no. They they will. They are. I, I will at least give them this that like character wise they like okay I get angry because I just don't like the whole like business behind like these like designs and stuff because right. like it's like I, I like it's so fucking obvious what they're doing here you <laughs> yeah. know but character wise like I do have to technically say okay yeah they would be I would say you know what sure like I'll go on record to say they are number one and number two on my top made characters out there okay. I'll say that much okay. I'll say that much at least until I find better ones. Okay. You know, better made characters out there. I mean, there are the maids from Dragon Maid. Okay, they get the second and third <laughs> spots. So Toru number one, then Ren, then Rom. Yes, there we go. <laughs> there like go. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. I respect that. To go back on casting here, I really do like the casting choice here with uh, Brandon Knickerbocker and Ryan Bartley. I think. Oh yeah, they both do fun, great jobs here to portraying the two twins. Yeah, and it's just like. I feel when it comes to, like, casting twin characters, especially in, like, anime or any kind of, like, media, I feel like it's got to be really hard to do. Like, not only do you have to find people who fit the characters well, you have to find, like, actors who, like, have voices that gel well together. Like, you can tell that they are siblings just by hearing them talk. Right, right. And uh, they fit perfectly, and I really think that their voices are very complementary to each other. Mm, I would definitely say they, they uh, are fairly complementary yeah, to each yeah. other. I would say they both complement their, their both, res- both of their respective characters quite well. You know, I love the inherent sweetness from uh, Brianna, how she brings to Ram, and I love how the haughty confidence that uh, Ryan brings to Rom here. Right. And also, it's definitely clear that they love their characters as well, as uh, they cosplayed their characters and did, like, professional cosplay shoots while just as Rem and Rom. Oh, that's cute. And I, they, always, I always appreciate actors and actresses whenever they, like, um, do their, um, whenever they cosplay their respective characters. Yeah, and also uh, Kaylee Mills, who plays Amelia, she joined them, too. She's cosplayed Amelia before. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, they, that, that's a good, that would make for an awesome photo op. Yeah, they did, like, professional photo shoots, and they, they've actually sold prints of them in their cosplay at like conventions and stuff <sighs> must have been making fucking bank that day maybe sad that we couldn't do Daisho Con this year because they were there oh really they were there uh <laughs> yeah next time like yeah that's that's my attitude on all voice actors at like conventions and stuff like i'll see him again some other day anyway after this subaru reunites with amelia and puck and i really like the scene where he kind of shows them both to do a morning radio calisthenics you know your morning stretch routine here it's pretty cute, and also it kind of reminds me how, like, I actually had to do this when I went to the uh, Japanese camps back in 2005-2006. Well, yeah, that's just, like, a very heavily ingrained uh, daily routine in uh, okay. Japanese uh, culture. Yeah, but I believe there's, like, a radio... Especially in work culture as well. Yeah, but I believe that there's actually a, a radio program, like, every day that is for specifically radio calisthenics. Right, right. Yeah, I, I at least saw an example of that uh, in the... Um... Uh, Kingdom in like the the one documentary film the Kingdom of Hopes and Dreams I think it was it was the documentary about Hayao Miyazaki's uh, working in his studio on um, his quote unquote last film (laughs) The Wind Rises last film last film (laughs) The Wind Rises and like they do demonstrate some of the uh, calisthenics that were done there as well yeah like I remember doing them and I thought that they really work like I remember when I did them back in those Japanese camp days and I actually did feel refreshed after doing them Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's it's any kind of uh, like physical activity you do in the morning, yeah. really. Will, and I even remember, get you going. And I even remember, specifically remember the song that they played, where it was like. Oh, cute! Oh, nice. You even remember it. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, to go back to Subaru and Amelia here, I really do like their re- interactions, and like, there's just something so endearing about Subaru's kind of puppy love crush on Amelia and the way he tries so hard to impress her and he just ends up acting like a jackass. Right, right. He's, he's, he's like, he's a major fucking doofus in the series. Yeah. 
big goober. He even gives her a nickname. He calls her Mealy, short for Amelia. <laughs> and while Amelia doesn't reciprocate his romantic feelings, you do get the impression that she does indeed care a lot about him. And I like how she plays off his attempts at flirting. You know, she kind of gives a bit of, oh, you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like, they, they kind of sell that, uh, the cuteness pretty well. Yeah, I think it was, like, another bit where he's just like, oh, Amelia, did you spend all last night talking about who you loved, who you have a crush on? And she's like, oh, I love Puck. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He's doing all the over dramatic stuff you'll uh, do in a first in a relationship that'll uh, really just tire out the crush that you're uh, trying to get with. <laughs> and kind of make you more annoying to her. <laughs> But enough of Subaru and Amelia being cute for now, as it's time for breakfast, and Betty looks to be joining them, too much to her in uh, Subaru's chagrin. However, she does change her tune once she's reunited with Puck, whom she absolutely adores, the little guy. And uh, she acts all lovey-dovey to him, but then again, who wouldn't? I know, right? He looks... I, I'll give I'll give it that. He, he Sure, he looks like a, you know, intentionally designed... Just like many other characters in the series, he looks intentionally designed to sell toys, toys but like... No, he, he does at least have the cute factor going for him. I do like that she gives him the nickname Bubby. Right, right, and he caters to Subaru's fur fetish, too. Because <laughs> he's always looking to, like, pet him, you know? Oh, man, second isekai anime I've seen this year where the main character has a fur fetish. <laughs> First one being Kimono Michi. <laughs> and then, a clown shows up. Ah, sweet, breakfast and a show. <laughs> Uh, no, this is Roswell L. Mathers, played here by Ray Chase, as he is the lord of Roswell Mansion. That's on Roswell here. <laughs> well, uh, well, like, okay, I, I, I don't know, like, initial thoughts was, lo- well, I guess initial thoughts were just like, no, really, does he actually, like, paint himself like that every day? <laughs> <laughs> this ain't makeup, kid. <laughs> <laughs> you watch the Joker movie too many times. <laughs> <laughs> does he do the dance down the stairs every morning? <laughs> He's just doing that down the stairs da, da, every da, fucking day. Da, da, hey, but uh, what up? Da, da, hey. hey, this guy, this guy who's saying this allegedly touched kids. Hey, hey allegedly touched kids. <laughs> uh, but uh, Roswell, uh, like, because again, I'm going based by like how he's actually handled in the series, and I'm just kind of like. Okay, they set some. I think they've they're kind of setting up some things for this guy that like is obviously going to pay off way further down the line past like this first season here. So honestly, I thought he's he's the, one of the characters that I thought of actually less than uh, Betty actually. Where I'm just like I still don't know much about this guy, but like first impressions, I. I guess he's uh, I guess he's annoying. <laughs> yeah, all the way, like uh, I do, kind of like the way he he's rates. he's a little too campy for my taste. Yeah, I, admittedly, yeah, he's a little too over the top. But I do kind of like Ray Chase going like, "Oh, Subaru, how are you today?" I know, kind of almost like doing like an almost doing like a, an audition to play like James from <laughs> Pokemon. You know what he kind of really reminds you of? Uh, you remember back in a uh, One Piece during the. Uh, Annie's lobby arc, the uh, the Kabuki CP9 guy who Chopper fought. Oh, Kumadori. Kumadori, yeah. you know, like the bit where he's like, oh, the door is open. Right, he elongates like many of his like words, you, you know. know. He's kind of like act doing like the, the Kabuki style acting. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that quite well. It does kind of remind me of that a little. Yeah. So according to Doink Bra here, he's the master of the house, but uh, Amelia technically outranks him as she's one of the candidates to become the next king of Lagunica, as we have this uh, plot point brought up here. Long story short, easy for me to say, the kingdom is without its ruler, so an election will soon be held to determine the next king, and Roswell has sponsored Amelia to be one of those candidates. 
After that revelation, Roswell want, wants to reward Subaru for helping Amelia with the whole insignia incident, and Subaru decides that his reward shall be becoming a butler at the mansion. I mean, he's, he, he needs a job, so it's like it's not like he's going to go back to the fruit stand or anything yeah. and ask for one there, so might as well take advantage of like the one favor he got. I do like the way Rom reacts to this, where she just gives a little sneeze to break up the silence. I feel like she really wants to go, <coughs> jackass. <coughs> <laughs> sister, sister, are you coming down with something? Oh no, Rem, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some form of airborne contagion brought on by an unwanted pest. Wouldn't you agree, Barzu? <laughs> and so Subaru's life as a butler begins, and he has some trouble, but he, you know, he still gives it a good old college try, you know? What do you think is butlering here? Um, he doesn't find enough job initially, I guess, you know, but, like, he definitely tries, you know, first day, you know, he's no Sebastian or anything. Yeah, he's not one hell of a butler yet. No, he's not one hell of a, he's not one hell of a butler. He's one, I don't know, like, <laughs> one crap of a butler. I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> They're not all gonna hit. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I do like the one scene where, like, his him trying to peel the potatoes, but he just ends up cutting his fingers repeatedly. That's where you kind of get more with the uh, the comedic bits that would be at home and say, like, uh, Devil is a part-timer in a way. Mm, yeah, I would definitely say that. You know, he ends up destroying most of the potatoes, and I do like, uh, I do like the way Rem talks about this, you know, in, like, a very passive-aggressive way where she's all like, I pity the farmer who grew those vegetables. <laughs> Come on, come on, you don't gotta be that savage. Though Rom has better success peeling and cooking potatoes as she says, you know, steamed potatoes are her specialty. Mm. Yeah, steamed potatoes, it's a, it's a regional dialect. <laughs> what region? Uh, the kingdom of Lagunica. Yeah, well I'm from the capital, I never heard the term steamed taters. <laughs> oh, not the capital, no, it's a demon clan expression. Ah, I see. <laughs> yeah, patented Rom taters, old family recipe. <laughs> For steamed taters. Yes. Yes, and you call them steamed taters, even though they're quite obviously roasted. Uh, well, you see, uh, the, the thing is, one thing you should... Excuse me for one second. Uh, good thing, have by all, I'm pooped. Yes, I really should be going, Good Lord, what is going on in that kitchen? Aurora Borealis. Aurora, Aurora Borealis. At this time of year, in this, t in this part of the hemisphere, localized entirely within your kitchen. Yes. Oh. May I see it? No. <laughs> sister, sister, the house is on fire. No, Rem, it's just the Northern Lights. <laughs> we just had to get that in. <laughs> uh, but during these long work sessions, we see that uh, Rom isn't as good as Rem when it comes to certain chores, yet Rem still mentions that her sister is the greatest and can do anything she ever wants. One thing I love about this scene, and like, uh, I really want to bring up the whole like passive aggressiveness from this thing, because it's, you know... It's very Minnesotan of them, the way they act this way, you know? They take these very snipes at Subaru every opportunity, especially Rom, but, you know, you, you, don't, get, you get, don't get too malicious. You just gotta, get, like, get your quick hits in and then just go about, go about your day. The, the shit you brought up is, like, the only shit you would bring up when you're Minnesotan, because, like, nobody, nobody ever brings up our state in reference to, like, anything, ever, <laughs> except pertaining to, like... Some bare stereotypes they, like, saw in, like, Fargo once. <laughs> yeah, I want to see more stereotypes of us being very passive-aggressive. Because that's a thing. We are really passive-aggressive here. We we are, like, little Canada over yeah. here, you know? We're, like, Canada lights. Yeah, not enough to ruffle any feathers, but, you know, we will let you hear it. Right, right. So after a few days of work, Subaru gets a break as he and Amelia spend some time together outside looking at the night sky. 
He tells her all about the work he's been doing, such as how earlier in the day he had to go grocery shopping in a nearby village and had to deal with some wiener kids and their little dog who bit him. Emilia sees how hard Subaru's been working and agrees to go on a date with him to the village as a reward for all of his hard work. Well, initially she doesn't even know what the fucking date is. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what do you even call that in this world? Like, if you don't call it a date, then what do you call it? We're speaking the same fucking language here. <laughs> you think some fucking, like... <laughs> You think some, like, tricks of, like, the la- of the Japanese language would, like, cross over here. How do you even know what, like, the Japanese version of, like, the fucking means? <laughs> Clearly you got a grasp of Japanese prepositions. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at you, Betty, with your kishara, which translates to I suppose. <laughs> Gotta get Schoolhouse Rock up in this bitch. <laughs> oh, man, can you imagine, like, Isekai Schoolhouse Rock? Don't even fucking go there. <laughs> With the quality of, like, animation they had in, like, Isekai Quartet, and I would fucking believe it. <laughs> kind of like that show. You're not going to get me to watch that. <laughs> not for the podcast, not for anything. <laughs> well, Subaru is on cloud nine because he gets to go on a date with Melee, and he goes to sleep that night thinking about that date. However, when he wakes up the next morning, he finds himself not in the new room he's been given, but instead the same room he first woke up in, and he's greeted by Rem and Rom, who don't know him. Also, his hands that have been riddled with cuts and bruises from all the work he's done, they're healed. Subaru went back in time to his first day at the mansion. So we have our setup here. It seemed that Subaru died after he went to sleep and then returned by death sent him to a new save point. He really should just be like, oh shit, did I like die from a stroke or something? <laughs> I don't know. My guess is that he was too excited for his date with Amelia, so he started practicing kissing with his pillow but he did it too much and too hard that he inadvertently smothered himself. (laughs) (laughs) Can just imagine him dying in the series from, like, the stupidest shit. Just like, oh, Melee, oh, Melee. (laughs) Stuck in another world, but I die like a fucking lemming. Nice. (laughs) Fucking another one. Mm, Two for two. Yeah. No, it's no, but uh, very, very, very clearly a Groundhog's Day uh, situation we got with this series. Even if you kill yourself, you're just gonna go back to like your starting point from before. So Subaru begins his life as a butler at the mansion again, and now he has to figure out how did he die, and the way to do that, he's gotta trigger all the events that happened before, so he makes sure that it happens at the exact same time, so he can catch it. But he did reach a checkpoint, at least. You know, he didn't go from the, that back uh, that further in time, so there is that working for him. Yeah, moral of the story, save your game, people. Yes, definitely. And make sure to rotate your saves. Mmm, that's also a good idea, because that screwed me over before. <laughs> but uh, there are slight variations this time around, as he starts to get a little closer to the twins, specifically Rom, as she tries to help him learn how to read and write their language. It's really lucky that, that the main language <laughs> in this world... In the world of Lagunica, it sounds exactly like English, or Japanese, or whatever they're speaking. Right, right. But, like, it's it's just written differently, you know. Yeah. It's, it's got a different alphabet. Yeah, they have, like, a sta- different alphabet and writing style, but, like, it sounds the same as... Subaru, you lucked out! <laughs> Can you imagine, like... I would love to see this. No, no fucking isekai would have the balls to put a character in another world where they have to learn a new language. I would love to see that. Like, imagine some nerd being sent to, like, a fantasy role and he's got to learn their gleek clock language. He's got to learn the new language. Oh, but then again, I imagine the problem would be that, like, the problem none of them would want to face is that you would then have to, like, subtitle the entire series. No, don't subtitle it. Make it like the Star Wars holiday special where, like, Chewie's family just, like, roared. <laughs> you know, we got we just gotta, like, use context clues to learn the lives of itchy, lumpy, stinky. 
Sound like Tim Allen there. <laughs> I guess we had to bring up the Star Wars holiday special somewhere. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Life Happy Day. Happy Life Day. There you go. <laughs> so Rem seems to be bothered by how her sister is getting too close to Subaru. She's constantly giving him weird looks and glances. And Rom does eventually notice this, and she assumes it's because Rem is bothered by Subaru's unkempt hair, and suggests that she give him a trim, which she agrees to. If there's anything you want to do with Subaru, you know, changes, teach him languages, you know, changes dress style, but nah, don't mess with the hair. Yeah, he does have a nice little hairstyle there. Just kind of slicks it back a little. That's kind of cute. Rem seems to be warming up to Subaru as the two do some shopping in the village together, and once again, Subaru deals with the wiener kids, as well as their dog, who bites him again in this timeline. Seriously, keep your dogs on the leash, people. I know, right? <laughs> While walking back, Subaru asks Rem about her relationship with her sister and why she's so dedicated to her despite clearly being much better at everything than she is. Rem does kind of know that this to be true, but she's still dedicated to Rom because she loves her and loves how she carries herself. You know, she says she's like a fanatical demon. Subaru adds that she's demonically inspired, a demon version of divine inspiration. Ah, uh, he's so fucking clever. <laughs> I don't know, I like it. It sounds cool. Yeah, it's one of those lines where like you just write it like in like the like rough draft stages, and you're like, yes, this is gonna be a line that everybody's gonna repeat in their heads. It's gonna drill in their, it's gonna bore into their brains. They're they're gonna remember it. They're gonna remember my series because I'm special because I wrote the series, and I'm it's special because I wrote it. You think Taipei Nagatsuki goes to conventions, and when he like autographs people, he goes like. Stay demonically inspired. Oh, actually, I would not put it past him, to be <laughs> honest. I would not. Because, like, what other notable works does he have? Like, did, did, has he come up with, like, any other notable works after this? No, this is it. And yeah, because he's, he's only done this, right? And he's still working on it. Right, still working on it, and he probably will be for the next uh, 20 years of his life. <laughs> uh, you know, like, after he comes home and washes up the blood from all the, the poor cutlets he's been cutting all day. Right, right. <laughs> So then Rem asks Subaru what he thinks of demons, and he talks about how much he likes them, you know? He thinks that demons are pretty cool, they kind of march to the beat of their own drum, you know? No one can stand up to demons. To which makes uh, Rem pretty happy. She gives, a, she gives a very nice smile that Subaru says is worth a million volts. I would be like, you, Subaru, have you ever read The Lesser Key of Solomon? <laughs> <laughs> demons are not cool, dude. I mean, they kind of suck. They're kind of ugly. <laughs> they, they're, like, weird chimeras that, like, people made in, like, their subconscious, like, collective subconscious or fucking whatever. And they're just put in a book and, like, perpetuated through history. And then you, the only reason we care about that book anymore, like, those demons, is because they showed up in the Persona games at one point. <laughs> I mean, demons are stupid. They're, they're dumb. They're, they're, they're useless beings. And I look over at, like, Rem, and I'm all like, why are you crying, Rem? <laughs> hey, there's some cool demons out there, like Demon Finn Balor. Super should have brought up uh, Devilman. Oh. <laughs> Did you think he would have read Devilman? I, yeah, I believe Subaru would have read Devilman. <laughs> it seems right up his style, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I, I would think so, too, yeah. But no, this is a nice little, nice little moment between Subaru and Rem. Kind of seems the two are kind of... Getting a little close together. Right, right. That's that's the point of the scene. They are getting close. And this is the first time Rem has kind of dropped her guard a bit, and the first time we get to see a bit of her sweet side. Because up until this point, she's been very formal and professional around Subaru. And later that night, after re after a reading and writing session, this time with Amelia, so Subaru is probably like trying to learn to read and write while not staring at her chest. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he still kind of has that pervy angle to him. Like that—that that is one knock I will still give against Subaru is that like he still has that pervy angle that you yeah. see in many other. He still has that angle you see in other. He's still a teenage straight boy. That's that's and what's unfortunate. Th- that's why the series does kind of lose some points for me. In is that just like I feel still still like I still feel like we're kind of retreading stuff a little bit here like we're like we're still not entirely like going off the rails here doing something cool and different with the genre i feel that's kind of the point but at the same time i kind of think like you don't have to do that like i still like subaru but you don't really have to do that i mean you you don't have to create art (laughs) you can just create a product that uh people will consume and uh keep the market going shut up and take my money (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Subaru asks Amelia out, and she says yes again, and he vows to keep this promise this time around and decide that he's not going to sleep that night. So time passes when all of a sudden, Subaru falls violently ill, and I mean violently ill, like he is just vomiting out his insides here. Right, right, very sick. Just staggering through the mansion, throwing up, just calling for help, until he's attacked by an unseen assailant. He gets hit with something big and from the sound of it, attached to a chain, and he's hit so hard that his arm flies off. Like, he lands on the ground, and then he looks up, and he sees his arm hanging from, like, a chandelier. Jesus, like a cannonball just shooting past it. And then he is brutally and gruesomely killed by this attacker, and this was pretty freaking graphic. Like, his body just explodes all over the place, and we just see a single eyeball rolling on the ground. Yeah, I'll say, this this series does not mince, does not mince on the, um, on the uh, gore here and there. Or, like, it's not, it's, it's certainly willing to get, like, brutal. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's what makes me realize, like, okay, like, you probably just can't recommend this series to just anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it the most accessible series. It did earn that TVMA rating. Definitely does. And so, third verse, same as the first, as Subaru once again starts his week at the mansion from the moment he first met Rem and Rom. I wonder, though, this was around the point where I kind of started wondering, like, Subaru, he's he's gone through, like, unimaginable pain through these deaths right now. You think maybe, like, he should just maybe, I don't know, keep, like, some really potent poison on his body or something? That, like, he just knows when, like, the going's getting tough, he'll just be like, oh, time to kill myself again. (laughs) He has, like, a little, uh, death pill capsule in his teeth. Like a cyanide capsule or something. Like, that's, that's, that's one knock I will give against the series. He never comes up, at no point in the series, does he come up with an idea as good as that. You better, you better believe, if I had the power to, like, die and then reset my life, I would be carrying, like, a little, like, pill bottle full of cyanide capsules. Yeah, but at the same time, dying sucks. Like, you still have to feel it. Uh, not, fantasy world, you can look for a really good poison. You just look for the best poison out there that will kill you painlessly. They had it in Game of Thrones. They can put it in this. It's gotta exist somewhere. You just gotta find, like, the equivalent of, like, a lethal injection. Yes, exactly. Like, a painless, like, a, like a painless lethal injection thing, you know? Like, what they got up in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just, like, uh, pump it into yourself, and, like, uh, you just you just go to sleep forever. Doctor, then you just reset. Is Dr. Kevorkian still around? Oh, yeah, he'd be a, he'd be a great asset in the series. <laughs> he'd be Subaru's greatest ally. <laughs> Too bad he's dead or in jail or whatever. Right, right. (laughs) So this time around, to change things up a bit, Suru decides to become just a house guest instead of a worker. I mean, if you're going to die anyway, it's like, why not just, like, learn, like, from, like, your world around you, you know? Yeah, you know, 
don't spend your days cutting yourself, peeling potatoes, or, like, trying to keep this big-ass lawn of theirs mode. Right, learn your world, like uh, Bill Murray did in Groundhog Day. <laughs> yes. Well, he's gonna need some help, and there's only one person who can do just that, whether they want to or not, I suppose. Time to talk to Betty. Through her, through her, Subaru discovers that him getting sick could be the result of a curse, or that his mana was being drained. Turns out the only ones in the mansion who have the ability to drain one's mana are Betty and Puck, and neither of them would do something like that to Subaru. Well, at least not enough to kill him, because, you know, Betty did drain his mana on the first day, knocking him out. But he was a kind of annoying her, so, you know, she had no choice. Yeah, precisely. So Subaru deduces that this be the work of some kind of assassin, and he's going to use all of his time to plan out a way to deal with it. And so the fourth day arrives, and Subaru decides to take his leave from Roswell Mansion. Or does he? He says he's leaving, but instead he's going to hide out on a nearby cliff overlooking the mansion. That way he can see what's happening, and if there is an assassin after Amelia, he can stop them. At sunset, he's suddenly attacked by a heavy spiked ball and chain. Subaru is able to evade the attacks, and he calls out the attacker, demanding they show themselves, and the wielder of this flail turns out to be... Rem. And I will splice in the reveal here. As long as you do not resist, I can make your death a painless one. Why? Why are you doing this? Look, might be a cliche to ask, but I gotta know. It's simply the rule of maids. If someone's suspicious, punish them. Tell me, does Ram know too? I intend to finish this before my sister sees anything. Is that... is that how little you trusted me? Yes. Damn, I'm so pathetic. I was so sure that we were getting along well. My sister... I don't want to hear it! Take this! to get any information out of you. <laughs> if you had stabbed me with this, you would have been able to flee a bit further. I ask you this. Are you a faction member supporting one of Miss Amelia's rivals for the throne? My heart belongs to Amelia forever until the end of... <laughs> Answer me. Who hired you, and under what conditions? Melee smiled, and it was priceless! Let's try again. Are you affiliated with the Witch's Cult? The Witch's Cult? I don't know what that is. My family's been secular for generations. Why? Don't you play dumb with me! Your bald-faced lies can only take you so far when the foul stench of the witch is covering you from head to toe! Every time I watched you conversing with my sister, I felt as if I would go out of my mind with anger and unrest. 
Someone associated with the one who has caused my sister so much agony. Having the audacity to boldly encroach on the place in which she and I belong. I can't bear it any longer. Even if I know deep down my sister only acts friendly with you and only pretends to care for you! Look, I don't cut my hands when I peel vegetables anymore. I can read, and I can even write now too. Just the basics, but hey, I kept my word and I studied hard. I can read those fairy tales, all thanks to you two. Fairy tales? What are you talking about? I'm talking about all the wonderful things you guys gave me. I have no memory of any of that. <laughs> Why? Why don't you remember? Why do all of you keep leaving me behind like this? What did I ever do to you? What am I supposed to do? What did I do wrong? I don't understand. Why do you guys hate me so much? <laughs> Even when you said you cut my hair. <laughs> all that time, I... I... I really like you both. <laughs> my sister is too kind. Holy shit, this scene. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, we see that Rem was the attacker the whole time, and he even concludes that Rem was the one who attacked him during the second loop, too, because of the spike ball and the sound of the chains. Right, right. But uh, thoughts on this uh, reveal here? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's all right, but like it's it's if not a little predictable, a little. I don't know. I was kind of shocked about this. And then again, I'm not shocked about most things these <laughs> days. I've listened to too many stories, so I kind of know how these things go. But like when it when it happens, I'm just like, oh, that's not too bad, you know. So it's like whatever. They like used a, you know, they had a decent little reveal here, I guess. No, I, I thought this was big. Like, uh, first time I saw this, I was just like, whoa, what's going to happen? But then I remembered that, like, I do know that there was a scene later on with Rem in the uh, the, ch the Spike Chain Ball later on. But then I thought, like, oh, I thought that was later. There's another scene? Right. So I was kind of like, oh, whoa, this is interesting. And then we find out more about this because, like, you know, Rem hated Subaru from the start here. And because he never got close to her this go around, then she just killed him without remorse right he went down the bad path in the uh you know the multi-ending uh, video game here yeah and the reason for because of her killing him is because he reeked of the scent of the witch which is associated with this uh known cult called the witch's cult and it seems like uh, she has like an intense hatred of them as far as we know in this uh early early arc right right the one thing that kind of bothered me during this uh during my first time watching ReZero, as well as my second time with uh, Ren killing Subaru in the second loop. Because uh, in that one, it seemed like uh, she was suspicious of him, but she was starting to have, like, second thoughts on him. Because, you know, we had, like, that conversation in the forest with, like, the demonically inspired thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it thought, like, she was warming up to him. So, but, uh, apparently, in the light novel, there was an extra detail that the anime didn't make clear. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, so, like, uh, while Subaru was, like, staggering through the halls, vomiting out his insides, calling for help... Uh, in the book, it said he was heading straight for Emilia's room, so one can assume that uh, Rem heard this, saw Subaru going towards Emilia, and thought, like, oh, he's gonna kill her, I gotta stop him. I, I, I guess, but, like, I don't know, I would've thought, like, she just saw him on the ground there and just be like, 
oh, I'm just going to let him suffer and die. He's clearly going to like just die without my help like right here. <laughs> no trouble here. I'm just going to go back to sleep. <laughs> but no, I thought that was like a thing that like helped explain why she killed him that time around. Right. I don't know why they couldn't have just included that. I feel like it probably was hard to hard to probably show that he was going to Amelia's room because we never actually saw her. Uh, yeah, the scene is kind of dark in there and like the... I don't know, like, the inside of the mansion and, like, the mansion overall doesn't have, like, too many, isn't, like, too visually distinctive. Yeah, so there it's aren't, like, like, any landmarks or anything. No, not really. Like, it's it's a it's a very shittily designed mansion, I will say. I would say it's more, like, typically designed, you know? There, there's, Keep everything uniform. There's no artistic angle to it. It's a generic fucking mansion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I come from the perspective of, like, you know, I, you know, I've... I took art history courses, so it's like I have an appreciation for architecture, so I'm all like, come on, put some like thought or history into this architecture here. It's like, that's fun to do. That's fun to do with like world building. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I know, but like it's a nitpick. But no, with the scene here with like uh, Rem killing Subaru here, I kind of thought this was like a really heartbreaking death scene for him because he was just thinking like, I still like you guys, you know, aren't we friends or anything like that, but she's just like, just beating him with her chain like it was kind of rough to watch subaru should have invested in that cyanide <laughs> so subaru resets again and when he wakes he's rightly freaked out by rem and rom so immediately goes to check on subaru and he decides that it would be best to tell her the truth about what's been happening to him he tries to tell her all about return by death but time quickly freezes and subaru is overwhelmed by a black shadow However, he can only, he's the only one who can see that and he ends up not telling her as it seems like that shadow was going to crush his heart Right, I really felt like he was going to die right then and there. So a couple days later, Betty goes to see him, and she says that he's got the strong stench of the witch on him. And this is where it all starts to come together. You know, Return by Death is a product of the Witch of Envy. And because of that, Subaru has the lingering scent of the witch on him, which is why Rem assumed he was with the witch's cult. And also, there's a restriction now for Return by Death, as Subaru can't tell anyone about it, otherwise he will be silenced. Right, he just feels that he's gonna, like, die or something. Which is gonna be just shitty luck that, like, really? You had to, like, incorporate that in there that I can't tell anybody? Yeah. Either? I, I guess it would mean, like, if he could tell people, then, like, the story would just get turned into a mess after that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Like, we wouldn't have a... It, it. We wouldn't really have a story here or anything, I guess. Or, like, I don't know. Like, things would be a little too easier, I suppose. Yeah. Such an obvious writer's trick. They just throw out there like a monkey wrench. It's a trick, but I'll, I'll accept it. I was put off. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of put off by that. Like, oh, okay, so we got to have this bullshit angle in here with the with within here as to why he can't just explain it. I'll accept it because he does use it to his advantage later on. And then, you know, yeah, I'll accept, I, accept, I accepted it too because at least it had some, like, you know, consequences. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, it does make the story more fun to see develop i suppose yeah it kind of adds that hindrance where it's just like it's another obstacle to get past right so yeah our boy here is in a dilly of a pickle so he asks beatrice for help he wants her to protect him at least until the fourth day is passed betty agrees to this as when she makes a contract with someone she can't go back on it so subaru ends up getting through the fourth night safely as betty keeps him locked up in her library all day and subaru is relieved but there's still a problem someone still dies on the fourth night and that's someone is Rem. So, and so a grief-stricken Rom attacks Subaru because she believes he's to blame for this as she feels he knows something about what happened, but he can't say anything about that. And I really gotta bring up uh, another acting bit here. Ryan Bartley just going absolutely bananas here. Like, she's really, really good. Like, oh yeah, this stretch of episodes is where, like, uh, she and, um... 
Brianna Knickerbocker. Like this is where like this is where these two actresses really show their um, chops and range in the series. And I give a uh, second chair for the series to uh, both of them at the same time because ah. they really. They really fucking pull through with their characters. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, especially this scene here. Like, you can just feel Rom's hatred of, like, Subaru. Because, like, you just lost your younger sister. And you think that, oh, this new dude coming in here, all mysterious, like, he's got to have something to do with this. Oh, yeah, Ryan belts it out here. Fuck, dude. Mm. So Beatrice tries to protect him as Subaru runs away and ends up on a nearby cliff. And I will splice in this scene right here. I finally found you. Why? What's the matter, I suppose? Why did you come out here for me? Didn't I? How quickly you forget. The contract I entered into was to protect you. You're still my bodyguard? I thought you were only supposed to do that until this morning. In that case, you must be mistaken, I suppose. I don't remember discussing there being a time limit. <laughs> Clinging to faint hope just serves your own convenience, I suppose. <laughs> What was lost can't be reclaimed. You'll have no more chances to explain yourself to the older sister. That opportunity has come and gone. No matter which is lost, they'll never be complete again, I suppose. But I really cared about those two very much, and I wanted to do whatever I could to protect them. Why? What do you know about them, I suppose? Either way, they'll never be restored to what they once were. They can't be. So... In the end, what I was really doing was making a selfish, disgraceful fuss without actually knowing anything at all. At the very least, you need to die where I can't see you, or I'll just have bad dreams, I suppose. So I'll do what I can to help you escape this territory. Come to think of it, back then, somebody was holding both of my hands. Rom, Rem. If they couldn't bear to see me suffering and in pain, and they held both my hands, if that's the kind of people they are, how can I leave them? I heard a voice filled with hatred, but more than that, her cries were haunting. They won't leave my mind. All my life, I've always been the type to drift toward whichever path was easiest. Hey, Subaru, you're thinking of something pretty stupid here. And after all that I went through to save this life... That's right! I simply saved my own life! So then... What's wrong with taking the path that's easiest? That will let me live longer! I'll decide... How I use my life! Huh. Afraid you were a bit too slow. I finally found you! I'm not gonna let you get away! Stay back, I suppose. So long as my contract exists, I won't hold back, not even against you. And you, Miss Beatrice, you seem to have forgotten we're not in the mansion now. We're in the forest, away from the Forbidden Library. 
Are you so certain that you'll be able to protect him from me? <laughs> oh, yeah, that feels good. What are you doing, you buffoon? Do you want to die or something? Of course not. Don't be dumb. That isn't what I want at all. I only want to die once at the end of a long and happy life. That's how I really feel. You've got guts, so you finally accept your fate? That's not a very accurate description. If anything, I would say that now I've made up my mind. Sorry. I caused a lot of grief for you guys by being such a pathetic loser. So you do know something about Rem? Nope, sorry, but I honestly don't know a thing. Frankly, there's too much I don't know. Even so, I decided to learn more about the things I don't understand, and to not be in the dark. How can you possibly say that? My sister Rem is already dead! What can you do by learning anything now? It's way too late for that! I won't make any cool statements about what I'll be able to do. After all, this is what happened when I couldn't do anything. I know better than anyone that my words aren't convincing in the least. But I do remember. I know parts of you two that you've forgotten. What are you saying? What is it you think you know about Rem and me? Don't get me wrong, because in the grand scheme of things, what I know doesn't really matter. But it does to me, and you have no idea what it is, do you? Tell me. I care for all of you! Every one of you means the world to me! What do you think of uh, Subaru's uh, cliff jump sacrifice here? Smart. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the few times he's actually smart in the series. Yeah, where he just seems like, okay, I'm literally backed into a corner here. Now it's starting to get all together. I gotta, I know what I must do now. I gotta, like, get close to the sisters and I gotta make sure neither of them die. Well, then it's, like, one of the only times he actually, like, kills himself willingly. Like, yeah. Because he probably figures, like, well, it's a steep drop here. There's a stalagmites down at the bottom. They'll probably kill me instantly once I, like, fall on them, you know? So, uh, whatever. Uh, free life right here. <laughs> Bombs away. At least I can go out and leave a handsome corpse. <laughs> I would just fucking cannonball right off there, like, to my death. Yeah. <laughs> Now nah, I would pull like a, a pox style red black arrow style splash on there, or maybe or maybe like a little like wrestling move, you know? Yeah, <laughs> just like slam right down. Do a macho man elbow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's like you're gonna die either way. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, better yet, I would do like uh, Mustafa Ali the uh, the O five four where you like turn around and do an inverted four fifty. If there was like a wall near the cliff, I would just want to like do like a wall kick, like wall run up the wall a little bit and stuff, and then just like fall like fall backwards to my death. <laughs> I didn't think we'd have, like, so much fun talking about how he'd commit suicide on this episode of the podcast. 
we tend to have fun talking about dying in this show. Like, remember the, talking about kids dying in Promised Neverland? Yeah, a little bit, you know. <laughs> then again, we were laughing more at like kids dying in that one. Like here, we're laughing at ourselves dying. <laughs> That's a quote right there. We're laughing more about kids dying. <laughs> There's one for the ages. There's a highlight. <laughs> so Subaru resets again, and now he has a plan for this go round. Yes, he know he know he now knows what uh, confidants he has to like follow for this playthrough. <laughs> yeah, he's got to raise his social links here. Yes, he's got to raise those up. So Subaru takes on his butler job again, and he works himself ragged to show that Rem and Rom that he's a good person. You know, he's a hard worker. You know, you can totally trust me. Please don't brutally murder me with a flail. He's got to fuse uh, the Satan and Lucifer <laughs> to, fo- to form his ultimate persona. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, he messed up on a persona here. It looks like Rem's got to take her flail to it and kill it. <laughs> Put it out of its misery. Looks like he wasted the spot there. Good job, Barasu. <laughs> uh, and in between chores, Subaru takes a moment to learn some magic to defend himself as Puck determines he's able to use shadow magic. As in this world, everyone has mana and a special magical attribute. Though he ends up struggling with it, though, as he just releases a big burst of magic and he's just left kind of motionless. Like some kind of motionless octopus yeah. just escaped. <laughs> Though that's the least of his troubles as Subaru continues to work himself physically and mentally to the bone. He tries to keep up a strong front, but it's taken his toll on him to the point where it's honestly hard to watch. I know, he gets like intentionally really annoying to me during the section. Yeah. Like the bit where like he knocks over a flower pot and Rem's just like, you did that on purpose. Why did you do that on purpose? Like, oh, look at me. I'm Subaru, just a big old klutz. Da, 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 da. He then becomes that guy. Yeah. <laughs> just overacting and everything. Yeah, And it reaches a point where Amelia just has enough of this and she just has a really sweet scene with him where he just she just lets him lay on her lap and just relax for a minute. Right, she senses that he's probably covering up a bit here so uh, she just wants to make a nice little uh, safe space where you can just like relax you know yeah and i was placing in the scene because i think it's pretty good all right subaru you heard me <laughs> let's go now sit down right here can't i sit on the bed or a chair why does it have to be the floor just sit down with pleasure right away yes ma'am Only this once, all right? Your position is a little weird, and it tickles a bit. I can rest in your lap? Don't say that out loud, it's embarrassing. And no looking up here. Face the wall. Close your eyes. You're even more adorable when you're embarrassed, but... Why did you suddenly let me do this anyway? I mean, when did I do something worthy enough to earn a reward this awesome? Enough of that weird tough act. You don't need to do that right now. Isn't this what you wanted? Didn't you tell me to lend you my lap when you were exhausted? I can't do this all the time, but today is special. Hey, it's only my second day of working here. If I'm already completely worn out, what kind of weakling am I? It's plain to see that you're overwhelmed about something. But you're not going to tell me what's really going on, are you? I don't know if doing this will make things any easier for you. But if it helps at all, I'm happy to. <laughs> Neely, come on now. You don't have to. Are you tired? No, I'm totally fine, really. Do you feel troubled? 
If you're this nice to me, I'm gonna fall in love with you. When you, I mean, like that. It's been rough, hasn't it? Yeah, it was rough. And it was so painful. I was just so terrified. I was so sad, it hurt. It hurt so much, I thought I'd die. I tried so hard and I, I couldn't get things to work out. I was so desperate to set things right. So desperate to make everything turn out okay. It's the truth. I honestly never tried so hard to do anything in my entire life. Yes, I know. Because I love this place so much. Because it was so important to me. I was so scared. I just... I was so desperate to set everything right again. I didn't want those eyes looking at me like that. It was so completely terrifying. And I hated myself so much. So much for feeling that way. Subaru? Is he just asleep, or...? Yes. <laughs> he looks like a child, doesn't he? A little bit, but he definitely looks like he can't do any more work today. You're right there. I think he's done for the day. What a bad boy, taking all this time off on his second day working here. When he feels better, you can punish him then. When I see him like this, I almost don't want to. I'll go inform my sister that Subaru will be useless for today. Ram? Huh? Subaru is a good boy. Yeah, this is actually a pretty sweet scene. Yeah, you know, Subaru just like opening up and then you just like another really great acting bit with Sean Chiplock as he just builds and builds where he just immediately starts bawling halfway through it. Right. Like, you can feel that he's trying to hold back crying, but then halfway through it's just like, I just want this to just be right this time around. Another good good, another good example of the acting chops here. Yeah. And it was this moment that kind of really put over Subaru as, like, a good isekai protagonist for me. Like, you know, I just kind of felt like, wow, I really do care about this guy here, you know? He's going through a lot, he's going through a rough patch, and I just kind of want to see him get through it. Yeah, I'd say it had that effect on me, too. Yeah, you know, more so than most isekai protagonists. Like, if this shit happened to Kirito, I'd be all like, ha, you deserve a loser. Uh, well, yeah, many others, they, like, you kind of just know they're gonna, like, get out of their situations anyway, though. Like, they often don't, like, up amp up the, uh, uh, drama to that big of a degree to where, um, it really gets, like, that bad or anything. Yeah. Or you kind of trust that, like, some quirk of the text or will really, like, get them out of the situation. Or, like, something might be pulled out of the, the like, the writer's ass here or there. Yeah. It happens. Also, another thing is, like, I kind of I kind of feel that most generic Isekai protagonists are very kind of, like, emotionally blank. Like, not only are they blank slates, but they're, they don't kind of really, like, let it all out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you it feels like, oh, no, these are, like, big big manly men they can't show weakness they like show yeah vulnerability. like that's 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 another often problem too no they gotta be macho they can't cry or anything like yeah, that yeah there's only like a few here or there that really like break that fold or like even when they're not like super like macho don't when they don't like put on like um 
when they don't like seem all that like macho too they also just seem kind of like too, almost like too uh a uh, little too serious or something or like they don't really like break down with like yeah. um and their character too much to uh too great of a degree or anything yeah as most like for that case it's like all we can really get from that is just they're just quiet like you can feel that they're upset but they don't want to show it it's like it's like the qui-gon jinn angle like stoicism is sto- yeah. stoicism is not character it is literally qui-gon jinn <laughs> <laughs> having no flaws is not having flaws <laughs> <laughs> he's stoic got a beard <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but later that night, during com- another conversation with Betty, he like uh, learns more about curses, and he finds out that curses are activated through physical contact, and he uh, deduces that uh, Rem must have been killed by a curse in the previous timeline, and that curse might have come from the village, as she was the only one who went to the village during that run. The next day, Suru plans to look for the culprit as he goes down to the village with Rem and Ram. And while in town, he does some radio calisthenics with the uh, villagers, and he makes sure he comes in contact with everybody, you know? He kind of high-fives one dude, he kind of... Pats one of the kids on the head. He gets touched on the bum by an old lady. He gets. He plays a soccer game with like a whole bunch of people, and afterwards they'll slap her hands and go like, "Good game, good game, yeah, good game." <laughs> gets another pat on the bum. Nice game, Percy. Nice game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the reason for this is because everyone in town is a suspect, so he's got to make sure he touches every single person. You know, don't leave any stone unturned. He's got to literally go over and touch everybody. That just has a funny sound to it. Wait, I gotta touch you! Hey! <laughs> Wait, Jeffrey, I gotta touch you! <laughs> and he also even gets bitten by that dog again. You know, that dog must have, like, a real vendetta against Subaru. Oh, well, he touched that, definitely. Subaru goes to Betty to have a curse looked at, and uh, I like how he persuades her to, like, uh, try to check out his curse, you know, saying that, like, oh, if I die, then Puck will surely be sad, and you wouldn't want to see that, you know? And uh, that does persuade her, and I kind of like that. You know, use her love of Puck to kind of get her to do something. Right. Betty gets rid of the curse, and it's revealed the source is emanating from his left hand. The very same hand that was bitten by the little puppy. The very same little puppy that the village kids were playing with. The very same village kids that are probably in danger right now. That little shit. <laughs> this is why I don't... Cursing me with a bite. This is why I don't trust dogs with bald heads. <laughs> that, was an ugly that, dog. that being said, I'm still a dog person. Yeah. <laughs> but I gotta admit, that was an ugly little puppy, don't you think? It was. It had like a little bald patch on its yeah. head. It was suspicious from the start. So Subaru goes to Ram and Ram and he tells him what's going on, and then it's decided that Subaru will go to the village with Ram while Ram stays behind to protect Amelia. They return to the village to find that the kids are missing somewhere in the forest, and they continue their search there. And I do like the moments between uh, Ram and uh, Subaru here, you know, where Ram wonders why. Subaru's so determined to save these kids and he talks about how he's gotten to know them. He knows their hopes and dreams or goals. Like, he's made a connection with these kids and he wants to make sure that these kids survive. Alright, still further shows he's caring. I, I, I like that um, one thing the series does at least emphasize that um, I, I do like, and I will say is at least um, one unique uh, aspect to its uh, storytelling is at least that it is that it does emphasize talking to other people and learning more about them as people. Yes. And trying to figure out what they what their personalities are, how they think about the world, and how to sort of um, guide them to be uh, 
either allies or friends or just understandable to uh, the protagonist. You see that in, like, other Sky where people, like, just assume things about a person, like, nobody chats with each other, but in this series, like, yeah, they do that, exactly. Mm, yeah. Like, you would expect that from, like, the best of anime out there, too. Mm -hmm. You know, and you, do, and you do get that in, like, for the most part, I would say. I'm not that cynical to where <laughs> I would say, like, anime, anime people don't talk to each other, you know? No, 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 in any good written work, you yeah. gotta have that. yeah. So I'm guessing I'm saying, like, all the other isekais, mostly shit. Yeah, it's mostly garbage, man. <laughs> but hey, like, uh, ReZero, you, you, you passed a very good bar here. Yeah. And you passed, and you, you actually soared over it quite well. <laughs> I will give you that. You get, you get an eight at, you get an eight. I give you, an, I rate you an eight on that uh, pole vault there. We give him a, a black clover gold star. <laughs> <laughs> I will give them uh, three good noodle stars. <laughs> uh, right before Subaru leaves, he brings up that he knows Rem can smell the scent of the witch on him, and promises that they'll talk about it after everything is all taken care of. They even pinky promise, and he don't go back on a pinky promise. I don't know, in this world, this it could also just be, like, the middle finger to, like, other people. Like, you grasp another person's pinky, like, you tell me to fuck off right here? This means peace among worlds. <laughs> peace among worlds. <laughs> <laughs> just flipping them off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, this was great. Like, they're building trust and connection with each other and promise to talk later. And he even brought up the whole demonically inspired line again, which is a nice callback. Subaru goes and finds the last lost girl, and he comes face to face with a mob beast, which are magical monsters of this world said to have been created by the Witch of Envy. This one in particular is a big dog called a Wolgram. Mob beast, it, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, it sounds like they want to say monster and beast, so it's like a mob Ma beast. Or maybe they should have worked. They, like, I, I want to see the, the fucking wizard in this world that like had to workshop that. Or maybe it's something like ma as in a, a mother, you know, it's a ma beast. A mother beast. I don't know. You gotta workshop that. <laughs> <laughs> now you gotta workshop this shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll put it on my to-do list. <laughs> uh, but a really cool moment here where Subaru squares up to the dog and he wraps his jacket around his arm. Dog bites on it. And then he, Subaru just swings the dog into like a down tree branch impaling it. I was just like, damn, that was pretty cool. However, that's just one dog as many, many more show up and they're all being controlled by the little bastard puppy. It looks like Subaru has nowhere to go until Rem shows up and absolutely massacres these mobbies here. Like, she just fucking destroys them. The mobbies look to overwhelm her, but then she goes into beast mode herself, or rather demon mode, as a single horn manifests from her head and she just rips these dogs to shreds. She just goes into platinum games mode. Yeah, platinum games mode. <laughs> just destroys everything around her. Funnily enough, uh, Brianna Knickerbocker did play like a lead character in uh, the new platinum games uh, game, Astral Chain. Oh, how nice! Yeah. yeah, she just goes riding on all these dogs. <laughs> Frozen nature. <laughs> you could probably play that over this a little bit. But then one of the dogs tries to get the jump on her, but then Subaru runs in, pushes her out of the way, which also knocks her out of demon mode, and Subaru gets nommed on by all the dogs. But this is not the end of him, so no need for a return by death this time, as Subaru wakes up the next day in a house in the village all healed up thanks to the combined efforts of Amelia, Puck, and Betty. So after walking around the villages, making sure everyone is okay, Subaru and Betty have a conversation where they, he finds out that uh, he's been cursed to the point where not even her magic can like uh, lift the curse on him because he's just been bitten so many times by all those dogs. But she does clarify, though, that if those dog, that if all the dogs that did bit him died, then those would, that would actually uh, get rid of the curses on him. Yep, and also the best way to take out all the dogs is to go after the little puppy, because he's the one controlling all of them. So take him out 
that are all gone. It's like the head vampire angle. You yeah. take out the head vampire, you know, you break the curse everywhere. Exactly. But uh, this is not the only thing you have to worry about because uh, we haven't seen Rem in a while, and it turns out she has taken it upon herself to go and kill all the mobbies that have her Subaru. Yeah, so she's just like out vibing on like a death march right now. Yeah. <laughs> nice to see that she made a 180 on Subaru and is now willing to go help him out here. Right, right. So uh, Rom overhears this, and now both she and Subaru have to go and look for her sister. And the problem is she's not as good of a fighter as Ren is, even though they're uh, both demons here. The source of demon's power are their horns, but uh, Rom lost her horn at a young age, thus nearly losing all of her magical strength and abilities. So all she can do is just basic wind magic and just clairvoyance, which allows her to see what creatures in the forest can see. Right, useful, but like eh, not too good in combat. We learned another thing about the uh, demon horns, is that uh, if you stay in demon mode for too long, uh, you'll lose your senses and go nuts, which is what happens to Rem as she's just killing mobbies left and right. It's just a berserker mode. Yeah, and she's just stuck in it. So Subaru and Ram are still far behind, and Subaru again then gets an idea, and he brings up the whole thing I brought up, where it's just like, okay, Mobby sort of creation of the witch, I reek of the witch, and I get even more witch stinky whenever I talk about return by death. I'll talk about return by death and summon all these uh, mobbies to me. So he just learns that he just learns that he has the power of aggro. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a smart move in theory, but at the same time, you still gotta fight these guys. You gotta be quick. You gotta be, like, faster than what's chasing you. And also another problem is that uh, since Rom lacks her horn, she gets tired a lot easier. So now Subaru has to carry her unconscious body while running away from these big dogs. Yeah, so not looking good. Soon enough, they fall off a cliff with Rom using the last of her magical power to cushion the fall with wind magic. And it looks like they're boned as all the dogs have them surrounded. Until Rem shows up to save the day. And then she still loses her senses and now starts attacking everything indiscriminately. Probably not the smartest idea to draw her out there. I do want to say I really love Rem's fighting style here with her spike chain as she's in berserker mode. Like, Oh yeah, the, the animators clearly had fun animating this. Like, I like one bit where like she throws her spike chain and then she like swings on it while in midair to like fight some other dog. I love one point where it just kind of made me go, holy shit, where like a dog like bites onto her arm, she slams it to the ground, and then she just punches hits Ed and it just explodes all over the place. I mean, yeah, it looked nice, you know, but like, I mean, nothing nothing I was too impressed by, but like, you know, it's, it all looks good. It yeah. all does look good. I'm just more, Animators did do a good job. I was more impressed by her strength. She's this tiny little maid girl and all of a sudden she just obliterates a dog's head with one punch. I know, you were suckered in, but like many other people too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because again, I'm approaching this from the angle of like, oh yeah, and she's also super strong and can kick ass, and it's like, ooh, she's so special. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh yeah, Rem's on a fucking warpath, and it looks like there's no stopping her until Rom tells Subaru that the only way to calm her down is if he can get one good hit on her horn. Doing that will knock some sense into her, and it was foreshadowed when, she, when he knocked her out of the way and knocked her out of demon mode before. So Subaru thinks of another plan, this time, to get an opening to hit Rem's horn, and it's... I honestly think this is the greatest thing I have ever seen right here. Subaru's big plan were like to get an opening. He takes Rom, who's like kind of lifeless here, like she can talk, but she's kind of just she can't move. So he grabs her. It fucking throws her to Rem. Like he he eats her. He freaking Cesaro swings her to her sister. Mm-hmm. 
And that way, he... I mean, it's 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 not a bad plan, you know. I thought it was. It's not the fucking best thing ever. Let's not kid ourselves. No, here. I love this. I thought this was ridiculous. I'm Fuck just... you! You're getting like suckered in by this. I thought this was ridiculous. <laughs> I'm just like, you're just gonna throw her at Ram. It's good, know? but it's nothing like you know spectacular. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, you know, it's it's just a nice plan. It's just a good plan. I just I thought this was hilarious. I died laughing at this the first time I saw it. Mm, okay. Okay. But yeah, he's able to get an opening, and he's able to, like, uh, hit Rem's horn, knocking some sense into her. And then before we continue on, there is, like, uh, we get a little bit of a backstory on Rem and Rom here. Um, it's, it's fine enough backstory, but, like, the one thing that, like, distracts me a little bit is that, like, it's just, um, uh, just, it's, it's one of the things that, like, kind of ticks me off a little bit, like, in, like, these, um, isekai works, and by extension, uh, really any fantasy work in anime today and that's that all the villagers like culturally the demon clan depicted in there is just depicted as like wearing clothing typical of like you would see typical of like people in like Edo period Japan or something you know like old Japan you know and um I was I, I saw that and I was just like really that's that's all you got visually to distinguish the demon clan just that and like holographic because, like, the demon horns that they have, they're, like, holographic and just appear. It's, like, they, they just look like normal fucking people. Like, why are they discriminated against as demons? Like, this can't, seems like a pretty normal... This seems... In a world where, like, there's other, like, stupid fucking magic and stuff. Like, <laughs> why is being a demon any worse than, like, being anything else in this world? If anything, it's the it's the beast people we see in this world. The dog people and, like, lizard people that would face more discrimination than, like, demon people or, like, elf kind, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I would say the more discrimination comes from within the demon clan culture because, like, uh, you know, most demons are born with two horns, but, like... When there are twins, such as the case with Rem and Rom, then they, they each split the horns between each other, and then they think that, oh, that's that's unholy, you know, we can't have a demon with one horn. Because superstition and all that shit, you know? Yeah. Not rooted in any real-world problems or anything. <laughs> I know. It gets, it gets itself over, same, and then it leads to the whole thing where, like... It's yeah. fine, but it's, like, but, but, I'm, but it's also the angle that, like, visually they don't look, like, distinct from, like like, really super distinct or, like, culturally all that distinct or anything. Like, this kind of goes into, like, a problem I have with, like, the larger, like, um, isekai genre and, like, the fantasy works that clearly came in the fallout of it, you know? And that's that in many of these works, I don't care about many of the fantasy stuff they depict in them because it all feels cherry-picked and kind of, like, distilled down from other fantasy works that like clearly cared about doing like more original stuff than that. It's like if, if you see an orc in an anime, it's going to look like every other fucking orc in any other anime. If you see a goblin, it's going to look like any other goblin. If you see like, um, like, uh, a mermaid, it's going to be the same fucking mermaid in every other series. If you see like the same beast people, they're all going to look the exact fucking same, you know, like, none, none of these works have, like, inspired anything short of, like, visual uh, or even, like, kind of, like, awe or sublimity in me, you know? It's, it's, I'm just, like, you can do better than just, like, drawing them in, like, traditional Japanese clothing just because that's something people see regularly in, like, your home country and stuff, you know? You can do better than that. Right. That's why, that's why I honestly think, like, ReZero, as much... As much as I know you're going to praise it, <laughs> the the one thing like you, you're objectively I will say you're objectively wrong on 
is uh, visually design wise, it does not do anything like new or particularly different. I would say it's simple yet effective. Yeah. But uh, with this backstory here, I do like more of the actual story elements of it that were like, uh, we see that uh, because we have two twin demons, you know, they are set to be killed, but uh, it turns out like, oh, Rom is actually much more uh, more profound in her demon abilities, despite having only one horn, and now she's seen as like a prodigal demon, while Rem is just seen stuck in her shadow throughout this uh, rest of the flashback. Right, right. Yada yada inferiority complex. <laughs> yeah, but no, I, I dug this. I kind of thought it was like kind of heartbreaking seeing little little baby Rem just being all like, "I want to do better, but everyone just loves my sister more than me." Yeah, it's a perfectly effective, you know, sad backstory. Yeah, you know, like uh, Rom is still trying to be very supportive of her and still try to give her like you know bring her up every so often. Right. And then eventually uh, shit hits the fan where uh, their village is attacked by the clan. <laughs> or, or rather, the witch's cult. But uh, I do appreciate that Japan knows what evil looks like. Right. They, they, they do at least know the uh, the visual language of evil. Yes, exactly. I, I do enjoy that. You know, you know what you know what you're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we see this is what uh, triggered Rem's uh, intense hatred of the witch's cult and why Subaru having the scent of the witch made her kill him. You know, the cult commits pretty much mass genocide for the entire demon clan, and then kills and burns Rem and Rom's parents, uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru style. <laughs> and we also see that while protecting her sister, Rom's horn is then chopped off, and then that's where, like, she lost her horn. And then the big thing coming out of that is, Rem was happy about that, and then since then has felt ashamed of herself for being like, I was happy for my sister losing her, like, thing that made her special. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after this flashback, uh, Rem is back to normal, and Subaru and the twins hide away from the dog. Subaru tells them to make a break for it while he holds off the dogs, including the little puppy, which transforms into a bigger dog. And uh, I do kind of like this moment Subaru has here. Like, he's he's clearly outmatched, but he's still willing to, like, face off these dogs head-on. And I thought yeah, he shows some decent prowess here. It's, it's kind of cool here, and you know, he's trying to, like, make sure Rem and Ron get to safety, because that's, like the thing that matters the most. He didn't get made into a chew, into a chew toy. That's that's good enough here. Yeah. That's <laughs> that he got out of this. And I know it's cliche, but there's something about like big moments where like they start playing the opening song and for like scenes like this. It still kind of gets me. I mean, I th- I think it's justified in like some anime out there. Yeah. It's a cheap move in all honesty. If but... you have a big enough moment in store for it, yeah. I think it's warranted. Yeah, it's a cheap enough move, but he but I kind of dig it and I kind of dig it here. Like it's still pretty good just hearing the song swell up while Super Dude is trying to fight off this bigger dog. Yeah, so long as you don't abuse it, which this series doesn't. Like it's 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 completely effective. Yeah. And then Roswell is able to come in at the nick of time and able to take out the bigger... Fucking finally! Like, where's this clown motherfucker where, like, when we need him? Oh, I shouldn't have stopped for that haircut. This guy would solve so many problems in the series (laughs) if you were just fucking around. It's like a parent that never fucking visits their child. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, but I just... I'm so busy to see you. Leaves Melee to go out for a pack of cigarettes. Next thing you know, like, a week passes by and Subaru dies nine fucking times. (laughs) 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 What is going on here? I just went out for some tobacco for my pipe. I just needed some Marlboros. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Roz is able to take care of everything. He he kills all the rest of the dogs and Subaru's curse is finally lifted. The following day at the mansion, Subaru wakes up recovering from his injuries and sees that Rem has been by his side the whole time and she's even been holding his hand. And I will splice in their conversation right here. Are you awake? 
Was I the one who did this? Like, grabbed you and never let go? Uh, well, not exactly. It, uh... It was me, to be honest. I was watching you and it looked like you were in pain while you slept, so I... You held my hand? I don't know what to do at times like these. It's always so confusing and overwhelming. So I did what would have made me the happiest if I were in your place. I'd like to hear the rest of that. I mean, uh, I'd like to find out how everything ended. Like, were my curses removed? They were. Lord Roswell was meticulous and took care of all the mob beasts in the forest. So there's no chance the curses placed on you will ever activate. <sighs> I'm so sorry, Subaru. Hey, come on, lift your head up, Rem. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, you always look so calm and collected. But you're not either of those things at all, are you? I'm aware of my shortcomings. At the heart of it all, I'm a powerless and incompetent demon clan dropout. So no matter what I do, I can never match my sister. I'm only her replacement. One far inferior to her at that. Good for nothing. I don't get it. Why was I the only one between us that kept her horn? Why couldn't it have been her? Why couldn't sister be the one to keep hers? Why was she born with only one horn? I've caused her nothing but trouble since the day of our birth. It's my fault. Why did we have to come into this world as twins? <gasps> Goodness, I'm sorry. That was a strange thing for me to say. Please forget it. You know, Rem, you keep putting Rom on a pedestal while undermining yourself at the same time, putting yourself down. But I don't think her situation would be any better if she were in your position. Rom is weaker than you. She can't cook. She slacks off on the job. She says mean things. Y you're wrong. If she had her horn, you wouldn't say things like that. But Rom doesn't have her horn, so I don't know that Rom. I've never seen her any other way. To be perfectly honest, I'm pretty sure you're the only one who cares whether she has one or not. And what Rom doesn't have, you do. You should just acknowledge and accept that. You're kind, hardworking, and you always do your best no matter what. Your chest is even bigger than hers, too. But seriously, if you hadn't been around, those dogs would have chewed me to death. I was saved because you were there. As you can see, I'm alive right now. Not only because of everything your sister did, but because of you. My true sister could have done much more back there. You may be right, but the one who was there for me was you. <gasps> I'm glad you were there. Thanks for saving me. Didn't you hear? I told you that I'm only my sister's replacement, nothing more. Don't define yourself that way, alright? It's too sad. Of course, I haven't actually heard the details about how she lost her horn in the first place, and I won't ask, so I'll never know. Since I don't, that means I get to talk as if I know all about it. Listen carefully. All you have to do is be the horn Rom doesn't have. If you do that, you two can be a demon together. Also, you call yourself a replacement, but no one could ever take your place. But I... Where I come from, there's an old saying, demons laugh when you talk about next year. And you're a demon. So just laugh, Rem. 
wipe off that sad face and laugh. Laugh while we talk about the future. Let's talk about things while we look forward to making up for all the time you've wasted by looking back. We can start by talking about tomorrow. Wait, tomorrow? Yep, absolutely. You can say anything. Like, uh, whether you'll make a Japanese Western or local style breakfast tomorrow. Or whether you'll put on your right or left shoe first. It can be something silly like that. No matter how it might sound, you can talk about tomorrow because you have a tomorrow. How about it? Listen, I, I'm very weak. So I'm certain that I'll end up depending and leaning on you. What's wrong with that? I may be weak, stupid, and scary-looking, and as I'm sure you've noticed, I'm pretty dense. But I never let that stop me. I still live my life expecting others to take care of things for me when I can't handle it. We can just lean on each other as we move forward. Let's laugh and talk about tomorrow with our arms around each other's shoulders. After all, I've dreamed of laughing and talking about next year with the demon since I can remember. You are demonically inspired. You know it. This scene is so good, and Subaru is able to successfully max out his social link with Rem, and it would appear this is the start of absolutely adorable puppy love crush here. Now that I can agree to. Yes. Almost makes you forget that Rem brutally murdered Subaru in a previous timeline. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't really, like, bring that up again or anything, or ponder it. Yeah, those are mulligans, they don't count. Right, right. Like Bad endings, bad endings. We're bad endings, we're friends now, it's all cool. Yeah. It technically never happened. Technically never happened. Hang on to this moment of Subaru lifting up Rem's spirits and praising all the good things about her despite her faults, because it may come back later, hint hint. And so the arc ends with Subaru surviving his first week at Roswell Mansion and finally getting his date with Melee. We completed the one week at the mansion arc, uh, overall th thoughts. I'm not gonna lie, it fe I, felt a I felt like it uh, got a little bogged down a little bit for me. You think that uh, it would have served better if it were shortened a little bit? It, fuck yes, they could have shortened this a little bit, honestly. Because <laughs> going back into like the same mansion over and over again, it's like sure they're talking a bit, you know, but it's like not a lot of like the action is like really progressing at like a good enough pace. I I think it honestly could have like been retooled a little bit to be paced better, or to have or to maybe have a few more. I don't know how to put it, I suppose. Just, like, yeah, I suppose just, like, tweak the pacing a little bit better, or, like, speed it on a little bit more. Because there's only so many times you can see a character die and, like, go back to the same mansion and play out the day again. And, like, all these familiar settings, and you're not changing the setting whatsoever or anything. You're not moving around very much. It's like, sure, we're learning new things, but, like, that... Just seeing the same shit over and over again, visually speaking, it brought it down a little bit for me. I can kind of, I can kind of respect that, you know, the visually speaking, like being at this mansion for like uh, quite a few episodes here. Yeah, and that's the episode count too. We were here for uh, what? Yeah, about eight, eight episodes. That's a lot. 
to have in like this one setting here. Mm-hmm. Like that's a lot. So like that left me a little fatigued. I feel like I kind of enjoyed it more because I'm more of a I'm more big into like kind of whole mystery aspects of things. So kind of like going back and forth in these places. I'm just kind of like, okay, can we learn something new here? I just want to know. I want to learn a bit more. And like, I oh yeah, that's that that stuff is all fine. That's yeah, all good. I got, I kind of dig that on the more like the whole trial and error kind of basis of this whole arc here. Right, but compared to what's coming up though, like mm-hmm. v- visually, we got a lot more to work. With. Oh yeah, definitely. Yes. But uh, I kind of dig this arc too, but uh, I would say the second half is much better than the first half. Yeah, definitely. Once we start getting into the more of the connections between uh, Subaru and Rem, you know, like, I feel like after Subaru killed himself by jumping off the cliff, that's when the arc really hits its stride. Well, it's, it's I guess, I guess it also plays in that frustration you can see sometimes where, like, um, character, like in some anime, characters won't learn from, like, their uh, problems or mistakes as fast as the viewer does. Mm-hmm. Like, compare compare this to, like, uh, My Hero Academia, where, like, everything the character comes up with, idea-wise, is stuff that uh, the viewer also comes up with very fast. And it just, like, hits you with idea after idea after idea. And it, it never lets you feel, um, it never really lets you feel uh, fatigued or anything. And it keep, still keeps, keeps you interested with the ideas that the main character is coming up with. And I guess I give Subaru a little more credit that he would come up with um, more ideas the more he figures out this um, power of his, you know. I mean, like, he, for instance, he ne- he doesn't come up with, like, the, like, you know, quick death idea or anything, <laughs> which I think is honestly, like, the most genius idea you could come up with if you had this power. He's slower to take to his powers. Yeah, like, this is his first big challenge after the, uh, the whole thing in the capital city, so I, I can kind of give him a little bit of leeway here. I don't know. I I think he could have. I, I I give the character enough credit that he could come up with like better, like fast, better ideas faster. But uh, like I said, I feel like this arc really like hits its stride after Subaru kills himself the, off the cliff, and then you know we get to see like his breakdown, him trying to do his best to like build up this relationship, and then finally actually building up that relationship between Rem and Ram, especially Rem, and then we see her backstory and everything, and kind of learning more about the characters and actually fleshing them out. Oh, yeah, I understand, like, the point here is that, like, it's a slow burn. Yeah, it's a slow burn, but, like... You're you're meant to take in everything. It's a slow burn, but I find it very rewarding at the end with a great finish. Right, yeah, it's it's still fairly rewarding, if not a little fatiguing in my perspective. Mm -hmm. After all that, I think we've earned a break, so we're gonna take five, recharge, and when we return, we'll take a look at the third arc of ReZero, which will take us all the way to the end of the season. And I think we're gonna get some hot cocoa to go with it, too. Also, if any of you viewers out there want to stop right here, come back, and listen to the second half later, then I don't blame you. I, I said this was gonna be long, and so far, I've been right. So take as much time as you need, and we'll see you in part two.
I finally figured out how to take care of everything. What do you mean by that? <laughs> when I'm with you, you always push yourself to do impossible things. It was for you, I swear! Tell me, why do you always rescue me? You were the one who saved me. You're my hero, Super. Let's start over right here. I'll start from zero. My life in another world starts here. From zero. with more Resetto Miedo. We're refreshed and ready to talk about the second half with the third and longest arc of the season. This will take us all the way to the very end. And we've got enough hot chocolate now to last us the whole way. That's some ASMR right there. <laughs> hot chocolate sipping. <laughs> Sorry I can provide us with uh, marshmallows and whipped cream though. Yeah, but uh, this is good. I like it. I like my hot chocolate straight. Straight up. Mm -hmm. And with this second half, we have a new opening and ending. So the new opening for this uh, second half is Paradisius Paradoxum by Myth and Royd, who did the ending for the first half. And the ending is Stay Alive by Rei Takahashi, who is uh, Emilia's Japanese actress. So, oh, yeah. nice. Also, cool thing is, is that Kaylee Mills also covered the song on her YouTube page. Aw, how nice. So yeah, we both have uh, Japanese Melia and English Melia doing the song. Aw, how cute. So, Arc 3, return to the capital city. So, with the situation all taken care of, it's nice to have some sense of normalcy around here, but we do have to get this current story rolling as Amelia has been requested to come back to the capital. Subaru wants to come along under the guise of wanting to see old friends like Felt, Old Man Rom, the Apple Salesman, that guy who calls me Bill, but we all know he wants to be next to his precious Melee. And so the two, along with Rem Rem, who seems to be getting a bit more squishy when she's around Subaru now, are all escorted to the capital by Wilhelm, played here by Mark Derison. And Felix the Cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat, played here by Sarah Williams. Sorry, no bag of magic tricks here. <laughs> also, did you catch uh, Wilhelm's last name here? Fanastrea. Oh, yeah, that does uh, come up a little bit. You don't think. Nah, it's probably, uh, like, probably, not. It's probably like Smith or Jones in this world. 
But uh, after reuniting with the Apple Guy, Subaru and Amelia began their search for Felt, since the last they saw her was her being taken away by Reinhardt. So he would be the first person to see. I mean, you should probably bail her out. She's probably in jail right now. <laughs> <laughs> Spare a little money. Yeah, you know, just get, just get, get her some bail. And they tried to uh, go see him at the headquarters of the Knights of Lagunica, and there we are introduced to another knight, Julius, played here by Chris Niosi. Uh, before we continue on, I kind of feel like we need to address a bit of an elephant in the room regarding uh, Chris Niosi, Kerbifer here. Yeah, like, uh, probably just can't go any further without talking about this. Um, uh, certain things has come up with uh, Kerbifer here within recent months that have kind of uh, not have been too great, shall we say. Well, didn't he just, like, basically confess to the, to, to the fact that he, like, abused people in the past? Yeah, that yeah. has come up, and he has uh, fully admitted it in a big uh, Tumblr post on his page. Right, right. So, yeah, he just basically canceled himself. I mean, yeah, he yeah. did shitty things. He, he did he shitty to, things. He had to answer. Gotta throw that out here, because he can't go any further when we ring up this guy. Yep, it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, back to better things is, uh, Suru gets, uh, pretty damn jelly about, uh, Julius here as he kisses Amelia's hand, and he almost gets unnecessarily jealous here. Oh, boy. The jealousy. Yeah, Amelia tells Subaru to wake outside, and she's all like, no, now remember, Subaru, don't get into any trouble while I'm gone. But, uh, trouble he does get into when he sees a woman being led down an alley by the same three dudes from the beginning. I do like Subaru's line here where he's all like, are you three the only three hoodlums in this entire city? I know, it's like, it's like, it's, but this is like even like their last appearance here too. And it's like, you could just like throw in like any other hoodlums, I guess. Hey man, this city needs hoodlums and we're the only three who applied for the job. We're just trying to make an honest living. Plus animators reuse character models, so <laughs> it's easier on them. Uh, the hooligans are ran off by the sight of a returning old man, Rom, who's been looking for felt this whole time. By the way, he's probably been searching for two weeks because like, we had the first week at the mansion, plus it's been a week since the week at the mansion, so it's been two weeks. Yeah, so quite a bit of time, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and he's been searching this entire time. Jesus Christ, dude. As for the woman, it looks like she didn't need any help and could have handled this situation without Subaru's white knighting and old man Ram's appearance. And she leaves with her personal knight, Aldebaran, or Al, played here by Keith Silverstein. Hey, the rare Keith Silverstein role where he doesn't play a baddie. Yeah, that's actually kind of rare. Actually, in a few brief moments, we know Al. He's actually a pretty cool dude. Yeah, no disrespect to you, Keith. We love your baddie roles, too. Right, right. It's just, and just know that you're, 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 you're all around good. Yes. Subaru leaves with Amelia, and later on, she tells Subaru about why she was summoned to the capital, as she is slated to appear at the castle with the other candidates for the ruler of Lagunica. And she also tells him not to accompany her. She's all like, Subaru, no. But Subaru's all like, Subaru, yes. Uh, Subaru says he needs to go with her because what if she were in trouble and had no one to protect her? And Subaru can't allow that. You know, he needs to be Amelia's sworn protector. Two arcs later, and uh, Subaru's starting to embrace the Isekai protagonist role of white knighting. Yeah, like, like Amelia can, like, really look after herself here. She has magic, don't forget. I think it does tie in partly to, like, um... A problem seen among other Isekai protagonists, but I think mostly here it's tied to his character. Yeah. So in order to sneak his way into the castle, he hitches a ride with the woman from the alley, and we are formally introduced to Priscilla Bariel, played here by Faye Mata. Uh, what do you think of Priscilla and her, uh, and what have we seen of her? <laughs> very, very simple. Yeah. Very simple in her outlook character. <laughs> like, I, I know, like, I know probably at some point, like, the light novels they probably do some like anime bullshit where like they find out she was like oh like she had like a rough childhood or something or like she didn't like you know i don't know she didn't have any fucking friends in her life or something so now she's just a total 
a total fucking fascist <laughs> who will rule the world with an iron fist when she gets made um, when she gets made empress. But um, yeah, I mean, like pretty simple here. She's just evil. <laughs> I kind of hope they don't give her that backstory, and I just want her to just be nasty for the sake of being nasty. Well, you do realize if they go to that angle, they probably will have to like you know fight her or something. Oh, probably yeah. hurt her very badly, you know. Yeah, if fun. they go down that path. Yeah, it'd be fine. Like, have her and, me- and uh, Mealy duke it out. That'd be cool. I don't know. Probably imprison her for life afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, it's, it'll be... I, I kind of... I, I already figure, like, I know, like, there's probably some, like, anime bullshit they'll do <laughs> later on in the light novels with her. But right now, simple dictatorial lady that you're supposed to hate. Yeah. Also, one thing I want to mention is uh, a couple of years ago at Anime Detour, uh, Faye Mata was a guest there, and I had the pleasure of meeting her during one of her autograph sessions, and she was actually cosplaying Priscilla. Oh, how nice. Yeah, much nicer than Priscilla, obviously, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, like, uh, I hadn't seen ReZero at the time, so I didn't know, but I did say, hey, nice cosplay, even though I didn't know what she was dressed as. And oh, right, so you didn't have the context. Yeah, but then, like, a couple years, but now, a couple years later, I'm just like, oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, it all yeah. clicks together. So anyway, she gets Subaru into the castle and the big chamber where all the other candidates are, and it turns out she's one of them. Emilia is obviously shocked at Subaru being here, as she specifically told him not to come. You know, sorry, Emilia, my isekai protag senses were tingling. Also, I need to be here to stare angrily at Julius. Oh, I hate you, that purple-haired, hand-kissing motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, we then meet some of the other candidates as well as their knights who represent them. We already know Priscilla and her knight Al, and there's also Anastasia Hoshin, played here by Cassandra Lee Morris, and her knight Julius, Dwight, and there's Cruchet Karsten, played here by Erica Harlicker, and her knight Felix the Cat. By the way, Felix is a rolling knight and also a boy. To me, that doesn't make him any less cute and moe and shit. But there's also a fifth and final candidate who is represented by her knight Reinhardt, a long time no see Reinhardt, and this candidate is none other than Felt. Yeah, that's why he took her at the end of the first arc. Uh, when she had the insignia in her hand, the gem in the middle glowed, and that signified her as a priestess, thus making her the fifth and final candidate. As the rules say, there must be th- five candidates. Three ain't enough, you need five. Yeah, I'm glad it's felt being put in here. <laughs> yeah, plus it's been a while since we've seen her, so it's nice that the series hasn't forgotten about her. Well, they dedicated time to her, you know, so mm-hmm. they gotta, like, bring her back somehow, I guess. Yeah, and what better way to do that? So the candidates make their case for why they should rule the kingdom, and while Amelia and Cruce seem to have noble reasons, such as Amelia promoting equality and Cruce wanting to give the kingdom back to its people and not be under the rule of a dragon, uh, Priscilla and Anastasia have more selfish reasons, you know? They're just like... I just want to rule all over you, and Anastasia's all like, ah, I'm just greedy, I just kind of want everything. I'm just I'm just a capitalist, you know? <laughs> However, Felt doesn't want anything to do with this. I mean, Reinhardt did technically kidnap her and force this against her will, so she kind of has good reason to. Also, the Imperial Knights and the rest of the nobility are against this too, as she's a filthy street rat. And they're also against Amelia too, as she's a silver-haired half-elf, which is similar to the Witch of Envy too. So yeah, prejudice and prejudice as far as the eye could see. This causes Subaru to make an ass of himself. Uh, sorry, I mean stand up for Amelia by calling everyone out on their half-elf racism and then declares himself Amelia's personal knight. This still doesn't sit well with Julius. Not one bit. And as you can't just declare yourself as a knight all willy-nilly, it dis- disrespects all real knights who put in the work and effort to get where they are. You know, you're making kind of a mockery of their profession there, Subaru. You could just, like, I don't know, you just could just, like, not give a fuck, you know, because he's just from another world, like... It's like, what do I care if, I am, if I'm another knight or if I'm not a knight or something? I'll just say it, you know? Like, fuck <laughs> it. Uh, but Subaru was promptly kicked out of the throne room, and there will be no more interruptions. But first, an interruption. As Old Man Ra manages to sneak his way into the throne room to take Felt back, but he's taken down by the guards. 
Felt tells them to let him go, but they can only do that if she remains a candidate, which she inevitably agrees to. So they kind of strong-armed her into, like, accepting this candidacy. And did they strong-arm her to the writers? Because, like, I think it's a little contrived. <laughs> call me, call me. Where I'm just like, it's so obvious they just needed him to, like, have his life be it like, a threat and stuff to, like, get her into the candidacy. But no, but I do, I do at least, like, felt a lot, if, if only because I feel like I want to, like, follow her story a little bit more here, because <laughs> she just makes a declaration that she just hates this entire empire, and that if she, like, um, becomes empress, then she's gonna basically dissolve the, like, the aristocracy, and, like, everyone's gonna be equal, and it's gonna be anarchy in the streets. Yeah, vote for Felt is a vote for anarchy. More asbestos, more asbestos, more asbestos. <laughs> <Spestus>. <laughs> This is the part of the story where I actually kind of wanted to follow her story more. <laughs> and also Reinhardt, because he's just, like, believing in her at this point, like, as almost, like, like through, like, blind religious faith or something. Yeah, even when she, like, gets mad at him for doing this, he's all like, oh, do you not like the dress you were in? I thought you looked pretty nice here. And she's like, no, it's not about the dress, the fact that you kidnapped me. What? You're yeah, kidnapping. I genuinely wanted to see that explored more. Yeah, yeah, we'll see more of that in the future. All right, I'm sure. I'm sure it gets yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Seventeen <laughs> light novels. It, it'll probably cover come up in light novel number sixteen. <laughs> yeah, or eventually in volume thirty. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Julius confronts Subaru and challenges him to a duel, as he's not letting him insulting the knights go. They deal with wooden swords in a big arena surrounded by the entirety of the Knights of Lagunica, and despite not using real swords, Julius still wipes the floor with Subaru. They still, like, arrange this pretty fast, too. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, like oh, just pull you right into this arena. Oh, like, we're in the arena now. Now we're going to fight in front of all these knights. Hey, the arena must have been free that day, you know? No one's training in there. They just, like, like word of mouth must have traveled fast for that, too. Like, hey, look, hey, everybody, come one, come all. Julius is gonna beat the shit out of a novice. <laughs> Get your popcorn here. Then again, most of the crowd are all knights of Lagunica, and they were all in that throne room when Subaru kind of insulted them, so maybe they were all just like, oh, we get to see this little pissy and get his ass kicked. Uh, they couldn't have all been in there and, like, all have been as, like, pissy as, like, Julius. I don't know, they are pretty... There must have been, like, some who just, like, heard about it and were just like, oh, we want to see some guy get the shit beat out of him. <laughs> They're just like that, just kind of sadist like that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Homeboy gets his ass kicked here. It's pretty vicious, and it reaches a point where the knights in the crowd are go from rooting for Julius to being shocked and appalled at the beating. They're all like, "Yeah, Julius, fuck him up, fuck it." Oh, oh, it, it, okay, you can, you can, you can stop now. That's it's it's all right. Oh, oh, oh no, oh god, oh no. It's like wooden, he just wooden sticks like Subaru, Subaru to within like an inch of his life. Stop, stop! He's already dead. <laughs> Amelia finds out about this, and after Subaru regains consciousness, the two have a serious chat, and I will splice you in their scene right here. So I didn't die then. Subaru. That talk with the royal candidates. Subaru. I see. Let's head straight back then. We need to work out a plan for the selection. Subaru. Let's talk, okay? I have some things I want to ask you. Many things, actually. Yeah, I guess you do, huh? Tell me, why did you end up, well, fighting with Julius? I mean, there must have been a reason, right? Knowing you, I'm sure it was very important- I wanted to get him back for what he said. Huh? 
I was being stubborn. He said I was pathetic, powerless, and not worthy of you. He was trying to distance me from you, and I hated him for it. That's why I fought him. Uh, really? Just for that? <laughs> it's true, Melee. I know that you don't understand. I see. Roswell and I have made arrangements to head back to the mansion tomorrow. You will remain here in the capital to recover. Wait a minute. That was our agreement, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but hang on. You came to the capital so Felix could heal your exhausted gait. I was very clear about this. No, wait a minute. How can you suddenly... I... Because... When I'm with you, you always push yourself to do impossible things. Wait, no, hold on. That's not what I'm saying. I just wanted... You wanted what? Let me finish. I just wanted to try and do something important for you. Is that right? For me? <sighs> but it was for you, wasn't it? No, it was for you, I swear! You've said that to me so many times! Stop telling lies about how everything is for my sake! So coming to the castle, fighting Julius, and using magic... Are you trying to say that was all for me? Why? I never asked you to do any of that! Now think back. Do you remember what I asked you to do? Really, I... Let me remind you. I asked you to stay behind at the lodging with Rem. I asked you specifically not to use magic, because using any more would endanger you. Look, I'm sorry I didn't do as you asked. It was a mistake. But you're wrong about my reasons. You're wrong! Honestly, it wasn't for myself. Please believe me! I say that, but you won't believe me, will you? I want to. I want to believe you, Subaru. Very much. But with every choice you make, you show me I have no reason to! You made a promise to me, but you threw it away just like that, and came all the way here despite what you swore to me! You won't keep your solemn vow to me, your word, and yet you ask me to believe you? I can't do that! I can't! I won't! <laughs> Subaru, I still don't understand. Why do you keep trying to help me like this? Because of the many times that you helped me. Wait, I helped you? Yes, that's right. You don't even realize how the things you've done for me have saved me, over and over! No, Subaru. I don't. A and I don't expect you to! But it's the truth! You saved me time and time again! So every last thing I've done has been to repay you for your kindness! I told you! I don't understand! Maybe you don't. I totally get that. But please, listen to me! Because it's the absolute truth! It was you! When I first came to this world, you were the one who saved me from- <laughs> It appears that once again, you won't tell me anything. Why won't you understand what I'm going through? I thought if anyone would be able to understand everything that's happening to me, it'd be you. The version of me that lives within you must be amazing. She understands all of your thoughts, even if you don't explain them to her. She can feel all your pain and all of your sadness, as well as your anger as her very own. I can't understand if you don't tell me, Subaru. 
Everything. Everything we've been through. Everything that we've both faced. It all worked out thanks to me, didn't it? When your insignia was stolen, I saved you from an insane killer in the loot house. I risked my life for you. All because you were important to me at the mansion, too. It worked out because of what I did. Without me there, things would have been a whole lot worse. All of it, all of it, all of it. You are saved because I was there for you. Don't you see? You should have a greater debt to me than you could ever repay. Yes, you're right. All of these debts that I owe you, so many, they've piled up, haven't they? Yeah, that's right. So do you get it now? Then I'll repay all of them at this moment. By ending this. So what do you think of uh, Amelia and Subaru's little uh, confrontation here? Uh, necessary. Because, um, like, Subaru during this time, uh, as we will see in this conversation here, uh, is... Like, it, like, this is where he started getting, like, really unlikable for me, again. Because, like, he kind of swings like that a little bit like that. He kind of goes from, like, likable to unlikable a little bit to, like, likable. Then, like, he dips out again to, like, really unlikable here. Where he's just, he's just clingy during this section right here to Melia. To Melia. Mm -hmm. Like, she tells him to stay and he doesn't fucking obey. And it's like, he's like, I gotta protect you. But then, like, you see, like, nothing fucking happened in the throne room. It was all completely fine. There was no plot or anything. Aside from, um, aside from, uh, Felt's friend, like, dropping in, you know, like, nothing happened, like, it was completely fine, there was no worries whatsoever, so it's like, he's just fucking clingy right here, he's like a clingy boyfriend. Yeah, like, as much as I do like Subaru, I'm siding with Amelia here, like, she told him not to come here, he deliberately disobeys her, he embarrasses her in front of everyone who's judging her on her capabilities of being the ruler of a nation, and she's already fighting an uphill battle with her being a half-elf and folks not liking her. So Subaru just came in and hurt her case even more. It's like, Subaru, you should have read the room here, like, to not speak out in front of, like, <laughs> all of these bigwig people. Thus, like, probably tanking Melia's credibility down quite a bit. Yeah, and, like, she straight up calls him out on his white knighting, and the series knows this. Like, they were intent- I feel like they were intentionally making Subaru look bad for this situation, and I do appreciate that they aren't excusing it. Like, no- you're being an asshole here, Subaru, and you're gonna pay for it. Well, they probably had to take into account that, like, his personality probably would have led him to some kind of, like, big, like, embarrassing proclamation-like moment and stuff, so they just kind of rolled with it. Yeah, as much as I like him as an isekai lead, in the end, he's still an isekai lead and ends up doing some of the boneheaded things typical leads do. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, uh, we also see that because of, like, the first two arcs, he's starting to get a bit of an ego of himself, but it's just being... He's going about it all about the wrong way. He's just being so overly, like presented negatively here right yeah I feel, I feel like if this were any other isekai they would make this all one big misunderstanding that would be kind of the whole plot thing and you know say like oh in the end he's the hero he's always right you know but that may work in sao world but that doesn't fly here in re-zero world you call you call that good writing i say that i call that uh basic fucking writing <laughs> like this is the kind of shit you should do from the beginning in any kind of story right here <laughs> Uh, again, like, you know, ReZero, like, you're, 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 you're at least crossing a bar here, okay? I think they do a good job here, and also, another person I'm siding with, Julius, as he did nothing to Subaru at first, and what does Subaru do? He insults an entire country's guild of knights, and in a way, he did deserve that ass-kicking. Mmm, no, <laughs> honestly, he did not deserve that bad of an ass-kicking. Not to that extent, but to the fact, but, you know, Julius kind of putting him in his place, he kind of did bring it upon himself. 
Honestly, I don't, like, care too much, because I'm just like, who fucking cares? They're knights. Like, what makes them think they're all high and fucking mighty? I'm just talking about it in the world of this <laughs> realm here. Like, you may not give a shit, but they definitely give a shit. You know, they were pro- it was probably beaten into them when they go to night school. You know, you must respect the authority of the Knights of Lagunica. The only thing I have to criticize here is that Subaru should have just, like, taken it more in stride. Like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. You think I'm not, like, a knight? Fine, I'll just say I'm a knight. Like, what do I care? I'm from another world with, like, different, like, you know, like, mannerisms and stuff. Like, unlike you, you know? <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't really fly here, you know? You just can't just do that. Uh, like, he, he just did that, like, all that other stupid shit. I'm just saying he could have done less stupid shit. But <laughs> well, he needs to pay for him when he does do super shit. Oh, yeah, I know, but, like, he could be haughtier about it. <laughs> so, like, if he's gonna do stupid shit, he needs to go all out, all the way. Like, why the fuck not, you know? Like, who cares what they think of you and stuff? Be like Felch. She doesn't care what the, like, nobles and aristocracy uh, aristocracy think of her. Well, in Felch's case, she's not gonna get her ass kicked. She's one of the candidates. I know, lucky, you know, lucky her, you know, like, <laughs> you know, she's not, uh, she has that kind of, like, a uh, political protection, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, you know, Subaru, he's just this, like, Commodore Numpty here, like, you know, fuck you, man. Right. <laughs> he should have played, maybe he should have played it cooler, you know, a little bit, like, yeah, I'm a knight, yeah, whatever, you know, taking stride, you know, like, yeah, okay. That's, like, your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really an opinion, though. You can't make a rank an opinion. <laughs> it's the spirit, though. It's the spirit of that situation <laughs> that follows. Yeah, but in the end, I do appreciate the fact that they're willing to... The show is willing to take their lead guy, you know, the same guy, Otaku, are supposed to, like, see themselves as and put him in the wrong and make him kind of a dick here. Oh, yeah, he had to be taken to the woodshed, like, in, to some degree. You know, he kind of got up. He just didn't need broken ribs out of it. Yeah, well, I, like I say, he didn't deserve that much of a beating, but at first, you know, he kind of d- did need to be put in his place. Right. So, yeah, after that, Emilio just breaks it off with Subaru. They are no longer friends, and she just leaves him. And uh, one thing after Emilio leaves, she leaves her, uh, you know, her little cloak that she wears behind. You know, she kind of throws it at Subaru in anger, and he, like, cries into it and embraces it. Part of me was expecting him to, you know, pull a Tommy Wiseau and start pleasuring himself with it. <laughs> why, Mealy, why? <laughs> and then he just goes on a big room temper tantrum. He's like, ah. Ah, you betrayed me. You betrayed me. Ah. Ah, I hate your TV. Ah. <laughs> I hate you, guy who looks like me. <laughs> <laughs> you tear me apart, Mealy! <laughs> he does pull off a, bit, a little bit of a whistle there. He does. He, he kind of goes full Johnny here. God forgive me, then just kills himself and resets. And then, yeah, he resets. <laughs> Honestly, that should have probably been his move right here. He should have realized he should have fucked up and just been like, ugh. Oh, I'll better suffocate myself in this film. <laughs> Let me see if I can try that again. Just pretend to make out with it again. <laughs> really suffocates himself. He really needed to jump on this idea to just kill himself constantly to reset things and fix things. Well, then the show would turn into a farce. Yeah, I mean, yes, it fucking would. Maybe it should have turned into a farce. <laughs> You'd get Konosuba. That's why this premise works so well for comedy, you know? That's why it worked so well in Groundhog's Day, you know? Like, sure, it's dark humor, but, like, who fucking cares? It's 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 humor. Most people. <laughs> <laughs> I care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But death means nothing to this guy. <laughs> he still feels pain, you know? He can just take, like I said, he can just take poison and not feel pain. <laughs> but what about all the other times where he doesn't take poison? You see, I think about all these things, okay? <laughs> I think about how this could all go. <laughs> oh, in your big magical fantasy world where everything's sunshine lollipops. <laughs> yes, all sunshine and cyanide. <laughs> sunshine and cyanide, that's another title. <laughs> so Amelia returns to the mansion while Subaru stays at the capital with Rem at the Karsten estate while his injuries heal. During which he takes out his frustrations by sparring with Wilhelm. And he also takes out his frustrations on Reinhardt who wants him to make peace with Julius and also the apple salesman when he brings up how people wouldn't want Amelia to be Rula Guinkas and she's a half-elf. He's just lashing out at everyone here. Later that night, Khrushchev and Felix tell Subaru to settle his tea kettle and admit he was wrong and just make up with Amelia. Come on, Subaru, be a big boy here. Because, he, well, isn't he technically kind of homeless here now? <laughs> Didn't she technically kick him out of the, kick him out of, like, the mansion? Yeah, that is a good point. Is like, he going to have to go back for his stuff? Oh, that's going to be awkward. What stuff? I don't know, well, doesn't he, doesn't he, he's got some personal belongings there, doesn't he? He's got his own bedroom. I'm pretty sure that belongs to, like, the mansion. I don't know. Like, I don't think I don't think the mansion's like a hotel where you can like steal the towels. I don't know. Does he still have his plastic bag or something? Or pretty he sure he lost that. I don't know. He's got to have something there. He must have like had some kind of like wage he had to like keep somewhere there because he wasn't. He didn't have access to a bank as far as we know. Maybe he can like do his laundry one more time there, wash his tracksuit, and then leave. Right, right. <laughs> she, you know, he deserves that much at least. I guess. But no, that's a good point. Like he's he, kind of homeless now. Yeah, like that's a good point. Like I didn't realize that because she broke it off with him, and I'm just like, yeah. He can't really go back to the mansion. Yeah. In fact, what, what is the reason that he's being taken in by this group? Uh, just to heal up his injuries, and you know, and also uh, another thing is that uh, Felix is also healing his uh, magic gate that got uh, hurt during the battle with the big dogs. Right, right. The whole gate thing where his, like, magic uh, comes out of... I don't know, they... Mm, that, I don't know, that. I feel like they could have used a better term for that, because every time the, the term gate came up, I'm like, wait, gate? Oh, yeah, that one thing they kind of explained once before. Like, I was just like, I gotta remind myself constantly of that. Yeah, there's a bit a of a learning tur curve to it that, like, kind of reminds me of, like, Nen a little bit. Where, like, there's mm -hmm. so many rules to, from, like, like Nen from Hunter Hunter. Where, like, there's a bunch of rules just to opening, opening your Nen nodes, controlling, like, expelling your uh, Nen energy, confining it around you. Like, you know, there were way more rules there with Nen, but, like, it's still in that same vein where I'm like, Wait, gates? Do you gotta like open those to like do magic or close those? Like, and again, it's and again, it's not a topic they come up with too much because, again, like Subaru only goes through like one magic lesson in this in like the first season, so it's like one of those terms that doesn't catch on real quick. But the situation changes gears as Rem senses there's something rotten in the Roswell domain as she feels through her connection with Rom. So she and Subaru make their way back to the mansion as Subaru is adamant in saving Amelia from whatever trouble is coming. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'll do. I'll save Amelia, and then she'll love me again, and she'll be all like, Oh, Subaru, I was so wrong before. You're such a big dick. Gee, now I want a piece of you. Yeah, that's what'll happen. I'm the hero. Me, Subaru Natsuki. He, he almost dawns on that kind of conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Rem has other plans, as while staying at a hotel halfway to the mansion, she leaves him behind in order to protect him and handle the situation herself. However, Subaru takes this as Rem not trusting him either, so he hires a car driver, Otto, played here by Zach Aguilar, to take him to the mansion. You know, Otto here, I bet, uh, I bet he got held back in the fourth grade twice. Now he drives the land dragon drawn cart. <laughs> he drives the cart. <laughs> Otto is only able to take him as far as the border of the domain, and so Subaru has to hoof it the rest of the way there. 
Subaru makes it to the village and sees death. Death every which way. Then he makes it to him the mansion and finds Rem's dead body. He's probably thinking to himself, too, like, when seeing all this carnage, like, oh, I'm going to have to die a lot before I figure out all this context. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably wasn't looking forward to that. They, they killed them. They killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. <laughs> they saw them as animals, and they slaughtered them like animals. I hate them! <laughs> he does kind of reach, like, Anakin whiny levels yeah. around here, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, it's all at Julius's fault. He's jealous of me. Well, he finds out soon who does it. Uh, Subaru goes into the mansion where he finds an icy secret room surrounded by frozen cultists, and he joins them in their fate as he freezes to death. Time to reset as Subaru finds himself in front of the apple salesman. And, like, when I first saw this, I thought he went all the way back to the beginning, so I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? I had a little bit of a moment there where I was like, wait, how far back are we? Yeah, but then we see Rem is there, and then we know, like, okay, it's not that far. Right. And Subaru is straight up catatonic at this point, and rightly so. Rem decides to take Subaru back home, and on their way, they are jumped by the witch's cult again. Rem tries to fight them off, but one of them gets away with Subaru. You know, one of the things I really like about Brienne Knickerbocker's acting, like, she can be all sweet and nice for Rem, but, like, I really like it when she just goes nuts and just like lets it out and just like lets out those death growls you know just gets really angry mm, yes like, like i said going back like the, she's got that nice range yeah like she really gets over rem's hatred of the witch's cult and i'm kind of thinking like man i really want her to do more of this in the future play like these very like badass like angry characters that can really let her like show off her range right right and i really like the line from rem here too where she's all like first you take away my reason to live now you take away my reason to die too Ouch, like, <laughs> don't, know, don't know why you gotta phrase it with, like, death in there, but, like, <laughs> you can have more than one thing to live for, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, death is prominent in the show. <laughs> so, Subaru is taken away and is chained up to a cave wall, and then we meet him. Introducing Beetlegeuse Romani Conti, played by Todd Creepercorn. Sorry, Todd Habercorn. Uh, not gonna dwell on this elephant room too long, since this pod is already going long enough, but I'll just right. say this. Uh, once a certain known creeper in the anime world is uh, completely dealt with, you know who I'm talking about, uh, we should probably turn our attention to uh, this guy here, you know, just to be safe. Yeah, there's there's been some whispers, let's just say. Yeah. Anyway, what do you think of uh, Beetlejuice here and uh, this this scene? Uh, well, pretty fucking freaky. Yeah. For one thing, it's like I didn't know they were gonna ham it up this much with this character. <laughs> he hams it up, but on the one hand, like it can seem very comical, but at the same time, it's just so unsettling yeah like definitely unsettling i guess although um i don't know i get a little i i i tend to have little patience for these types of characters where like they're like that insane to where they're like kind of campy and goofy you know put me off it put me off a little bit from like some certain villains in (laughs) tokyo ghoul that's for sure (laughs) yeah yeah i would admit that tokyo ghoul does it far worse yeah Mm mm-hmm but uh, one of the bigger moments of this scene, like, uh, in this episode, brings us one of, like, the biggest shocking moments in the series where, like, uh, Rem shows up to save Subaru, but it's all for naught as Beetlejuice kills her in one of the most brutal, brutal ways. Like, he just mangles her in the air and it's just, like, twists her up. No, I will not splice you the scene here, if you're wondering. <laughs> yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty brutal. You don't have to listen to that. Yeah, I'll just say this, that the animators and sound designers were way too good at their jobs here. Mm, yeah. And uh, so Subaru breaks out of his comatose state to just scream and yell and curse Beetlejuice's name as he 
gleefully leaves him while saying that Subaru is just truly slothful. Wow, does Sean Shiplock really let loose out there with just the pure raw hatred? For yeah, him. he's really stretching his pipes there. Like, he's even left hoarse voice for the rest of the scene, and I thought that was a nice touch. Then Rem somehow is able to use her last ounce of strength to crawl over to Subaru, use her magic to break his chains as she dies in his arms, weakly confessing her love to him. <laughs> and Subaru carries her lifeless body, uh, a la Batman at the end of Arkham City, uh, all the way to the village where he passes by all the dead bodies, and then all the way to the mansion where he sees the dead bodies of, Ra of Ram and the village kids. And then a monster with a familiar voice, mind you, emerges from the mansion, causes a snowstorm, and says, Sleep along with my daughter. And Subaru dies and freezes to death as, like, his head is lopped off as this, the rest of this episode just ends with, like, a big snowstorm as blood-red credits, like, fly, like, uh, scroll across the, across the screen. Really hits home that uh, this problem is going to take a lot more uh, time and thinking yeah, to really is, solve. This really gets over that, yeah. There's a lot of angles here that, we gotta, that he's got to approach this from. Yeah, this really sets up that, yeah, you're not going to be able to use your usual tricks and stuff in this arc Subaru. This is going to take a lot of work. Right. But uh, this was considered, like, one of the most shocking moments in all of ReZero. Like, people have honestly compared it to, like, say, End of Ava or the third episode of Monica Magica. I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, it's certainly shocking. Although, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I don't know if like if it's deserving of that much fame. I suppose. But it is a quite notable moment. Oh yeah. Subaru returns by death, and now he's got to find a way to stop Beetlejuice in the witch's cult. His plan is to ask the other candidates for help. So he first goes to Cruchet, but but she says no, as she would have nothing to gain from helping Amelia, especially considering she's a rival in the election. And he goes to beg to Priscilla, and she agrees to help if he grovels before her and licks her foot. And he's about to, what but a freaky fucking fetish shit is this <laughs> that she's doing right now? Yeah, some guy she doesn't even know. Yeah, he's about to, and uh, not gonna kink shame him. But uh, Priscilla does a three sixty brother and kicks him. Yeah, she was never going to help him. She was just testing his loyalty for Amelia, and she was just sickened at the sight of him reducing himself to this. He probably should have saw that one coming. Like, he knew, he knew her personality. Yeah, like, in this situation, he's kind of screwed either way. Like, if he doesn't do that, then she's all like, oh, you don't care about Amelia. I guess that's where you stand. And if he does do it, then it's just like, oh, you're willing to, like, lower yourself to do this? You sickened me. Mm. So there was a no-win situation for him there. Yeah. Also, she's just evil, too. Yeah, she's so just it's evil, like, too. You, 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 Subaru, you should have known how that was going to go. <laughs> then, finally, Subaru goes to Anastasia, who agrees to negotiations, but ends up tricking him into revealing some info on Crochet. So, no one helps him. Wow, all of you suck. I know, all these people, like, deep down just, like, fucking, like, suck. <laughs> I mean, Crochet was kind of justified in not helping him, so I feel she gets kind of a pass. Right. So, with nowhere else to turn, Subaru decides to head to the mansion with Rem and try to evacuate everyone before the attack. On their way, they meet up with Otto again, for the first time, rather, and he and his convoy agree to accompany them. They soon pass by a giant tree called Flugel's Tree, when suddenly a fog starts to settle in. Subaru converses with one of the other carts, and when he turns away and turns back to them, the cart is gone. More carts start to disappear as the fog gets thicker and thicker. Subaru then pulls out his cell phone, surprised that the battery has lasted this long, by the way. <laughs> And when he turns on the flashlight, he comes face to face, or in this case, face to giant eyeball, with the white whale. Yes, this big, giant, flying whale monster in this series. Yep, the, the Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, the Moby Dick, the monstro. Mm -hmm. The white whale attacks, leaving only Subaru, Rem, and Otto. They try to evade it, but it's dead set on going after them. 
Rem decides that the only way to stop the whale and most of all save Subaru is to make a sacrifice play and intercept it herself. However, that doesn't slow the whale down and Subaru wonders why it's so focused on them and it comes to the conclusion that it is, indeed, a mob beast and is drawn to his witch scent. Otto overhears this and decides to just cut his losses and save himself by just kicking Subaru off the card like, hey, good luck, buddy. Fuck you. Yeah, I had a very negative opinion of him after that going forward. Yeah. <laughs> like, you fucking gutless coward. You really pulled that shit when, like, things were hot. <laughs> it's okay. I'm a coward, too. <laughs> uh, it's like, like, I'm gonna fucking remember this when I die and come back to life. Uh, when I see you again, buddy, you are gonna get it. <laughs> but luckily for Subaru, he doesn't die and is only just really, really, really badly hurt. And the whale disappears soon after. He walks the rest of the way until he finds Otto's cart abandoned and from the looks of it, he got got by the witch's cult. Kinda deserved it. I mean, yeah, like you're just gonna run off like that and stuff. It's like, I mean, it's also a way you can think too if like you're gonna get like, if you're just gonna die and reset everything too, like, <laughs> deserved it. Yeah, it's just like... <laughs> I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna come back to life anyway once I die, but... You kind of deserve yeah, that one, like, buddy. I'll, I'll savor this for now, and then I'll <laughs> die again. Right. Uh, Subaru takes the cart and makes it the rest of the way, and the next morning he arrives at the village, and it turns out he got there early as all the kids are alive and well. Subaru passes out, and when he wakes up, he's back in the mansion under the care of Rom, and he tells her the news. Rem is dead. To which Rom responds, Who is Rem? Yeah, Subaru, who the hell are you talking about? We... Romner had a sister. Did you hit your head when Otto pushed you off your cart or something? <laughs> he must be talking about his imaginary friend, Rem Lazar. <laughs> Rem Lazar. <laughs> okay, I had to bring that one up at some point. <laughs> anyway, Subaru is furious that no one knows about his imaginary friend. Even Amelia doesn't know. And fed up, Subaru decides to just tell her everything. If he's going to die again, then he's going to die telling the truth. He tells Amelia about return by death. And rather than him dying... Amelia dies instead. The hands, presumably of the witch, grab onto Subaru's heart, just kind of flutters it a bit, leaves, and then when he comes to, Amelia's just, I guess her brain just explodes right there as she just collapses in Subaru's arms. Something like that, or maybe her heart got crushed or something, because it's all like arranged around, like, everything to do with this curse, like, yeah. has to do with the heart, you know? Yeah, it's probably her way of just going like, oh no, you're not getting out of this this way, like, if you spill the beans, I don't have to kill you. I can just kill the person you tell, and wouldn't you know it, it's the girl you're in love with. Right, right. Yeah. Although one has to, one also does have to wonder why the, why the curse does right there doesn't like just disable or something and just like get rid of his permanent death. Maybe it just wants to give him a sporting chance, you know? Yeah, I feel like the witch is kind of like messing with him with this whole power. Just like, nah, I like to see what you do. You're just, you're just so much fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a little frustrating to not know what this witch is really like doing with Subaru right here knowing that this is one of those things that you're gonna have to saddle up for the long run for the series to learn I suppose mm -hmm. I know this is definitely a, like a long-term booking thing for them. yeah Beetlejuice here prepares to tear Amelia apart with his unseen hands though despite the name Subaru is able to see them which catches him off guard this is enough time for Beetlejuice to be stopped by Puck as he goes into beast mode and reveals that his true form is that of a, of a huge ass big snarling monster the same one that popped out of the mansion in the previous time loop not only that but he's like a fucking demigod or something yeah. too like he like he doesn't he mention something about like ending the world yeah like he kills beetlejuice in the cult and then he goes to kill subaru as punishment for letting amelia die and then he just goes to kill the world because if amelia is dead 
then the world has no reason to continue on for him. Jesus, Melia, I didn't know you were housing Fenrir all this time. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Couldn't you have, like, mentioned that in conversation? Like, oh yeah, this is Puck. He's a nice little spirit. Also, he will devour the world on, like, the, on what's the, what, and will devour the sun eventually if I die. Though, does she know that? Uh, good question, I suppose, mm-hmm. but why doesn't Puck tell her that? Why doesn't he? Ah, he's an asshole. <laughs> Someone that cute probably has to be an asshole. <laughs> Subaru returns to the land of the living, and wow, does he look like shit. And he brings Rem aside to have a private conversation. By the way, good to see you, Rem. Uh, I can never forget about you. <laughs> he has a plan to deal with all of his problems, and what is that plan? Everybody betray me. I fell off with this world. I mean, yeah, that is pretty much it. Yeah, Subaru has given up at this point. He's just saying... Fuck it, I just want to run away with Rem, start a new life somewhere far from here. He's just been traumatized a bunch, and honestly, everything does look pretty fucking big beyond, like, what he can personally, like, solve, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you were in this situation, you'd probably... You'd just be like, I'm a normal guy, like, I can't fucking deal with this. I'd rather just cut my losses and run. Yeah, I'm not a big superhero, like, fuck this. I've been with these people for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) So we get a moment here for uh, me personally kind of really uh, tugged a bit at the heartstrings as, uh, you know, Subaru is trying to ask Rem to, like, leave and go away with him, start a new life somewhere, and Rem says she can't run away with him. As much as she wants to, as much as it is her dream, she can't do it because if she does, she'll be leaving the Subaru she loves behind. And the Subaru that wants to give up so easily isn't the one she fell in love with. I like my Subaru, like, like just absolutely unattainable and loving somebody else. I like to observe him from afar. Then <laughs> uh, Subaru really breaks down and loses it as he just berates her for saying that it was easy for him to come to this decision. Then he just lays into himself, especially with some serious self-loathing. He's angry at himself for how much he wasted his life. He's angry at himself for all the mistakes he's made. And he's angry at himself for being so weak, pathetic, and useless. Subaru just hates himself. Shinji Akari would look at Subaru and go, dude, lighten up. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, this is, like, the best. I do think this is the, probably the best scene in, like, Oh, all... this is fantastic. Everything from, like, when he's, like, asking her to, like, run away from him to, like, the end of this. Like, I, I do have to say, it's pretty well done. And I will splice in the rest of the scene, because I love it so much. Don't care if it's several minutes long. My show, my rules. Listen to me. <laughs> it is easy to give up. But... It doesn't suit you at all. I don't know what painful things you've been through, or what you've done makes you suffer so terribly. And I know it would be wrong of me to say that I understand whatever it is you've been experiencing to make you feel this way. It would. Even so, there's something that I do know about all this. I know for certain that you are someone who cannot give up on something when you're halfway through. And I know for certain that you are someone who can smile when you talk about all of your hopes and wishes for the future. And I know for certain that you are someone who can't give up on the future, no matter what. I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not wrong. You haven't given up on us. Not Miss Amelia, or sister, on Lord Roswell, or Miss Beatrice, or on anyone else. That isn't who you are. You don't know what you're talking about. I have given up. Carrying it all was impossible from the very start. My hands are so small that it all slipped through my fingers, leaving nothing behind. 
No, that's not true. That's not true at all. You have- Bullshit! What do you know? What the hell do you actually know about me, huh? Nothing! I'll tell you what kind of man I really am. I have no strength, but I want it all. I have no knowledge, but all I do is dream. There's nothing I can do, but I struggle in vain like an idiot! I... I hate... I hate myself! All I do is talk a big game and make myself sound like a big shot when I can't do anything! I never do anything, yet I complain with the best of them like it's my job or something! Who the hell do I think I am?! I'm a fraud! It's amazing that I can live like this and not feel ashamed! You know I'm right! I'm an empty shell. There's nothing inside me at all. I know there isn't. Guess that's obvious. Anybody could see that. Before I came to this place, before I got into the situation that led me to all of you, do you have any idea what I did with my life? I did nothing, that's what. I've never done a single thing worth mentioning. I had all that time and freedom, but I just squandered it away on nothing. I could have done anything with my life, but I never did a damn thing. And what you're looking at now is the result. This cowardly, weak, worthless crybaby! All of my powerlessness, all of my incompetence, is the product of my rotten and pathetic character. <laughs> Wanting to accomplish something important when I've never done anything to earn it goes way beyond the limitations of arrogance. The cost of my lifetime of laziness and all the wasteful habits I forged along the way just ends up killing both you and me. That's right. I have no character. Even when I thought I could go on living here, nothing changed about who I really am. The old man back at the manor saw that part of me perfectly. Did me. I wasn't trying to get stronger or trying to make things better. That was a lie. I was just striking an obvious pose to justify myself, to say that I was trying my best, that it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything, to be able to appear to be doing everything I could. I wanted to say I couldn't help it, to be told that it couldn't be helped. I was only pretending to push my body to the limit so that all of those excuses would be possible. Even when I had you help me study, I was just posing to cover up how embarrassed I felt to be such an incompetent idiot! Deep down inside, at the core of my heart, I'm just a small, cowardly, filthy piece of trash who's always worried about how they'll see me, how they'll accept or judge me, and nothing... NOTHING ABOUT ME HAS CHANGED! I've known it since the very beginning. Everything that was happening was my fault. I'm the lowest of the low. I absolutely hate myself. Listen to me. I know that no matter how deeply you've fallen into the pit of darkness, you still have enough courage to reach out your hand. I love it when you run your hand along my hair. I feel as though we can understand each other without ever saying a word, just through that bit of contact. I love the sound of your voice. Just hearing you say a single word makes my heart flutter and feel warmer. I love how much of you I see in your eyes. Normally they look so stern and serious, but in those moments when you're being kind to someone, I really love the way they soften. I love your fingers too. For a boy, they're so delicate. But when they hold mine, I know they're the strong, slender fingers of a man. They make me feel safe. I love the way you move when you're walking. Whenever we're out walking together, I love the way you occasionally turn to make sure I'm keeping up with you. And never leave me behind. Stop. 
I love the way you look when you sleep. You seem unguarded, like an infant. And your eyelashes are so long. When I touch your cheek, you calm down. And when I playfully touch your lips, you don't even notice. And it makes my heart ache terribly. I love you. Why would you say that? When you said that you hate yourself and told me all the reasons why you feel that way, it made me want to counter those reasons and tell you all the absolutely wonderful things I know and love about you. You're just seeing what you want to see. Those things were all phony. That isn't me. I know myself better than anybody ever could. That's not true. All you know is yourself. How much do you know about the Subaru that I see? The one I was just telling you about. Why? Why do you like me so much? Because I'm... I'm nothing but a small weakling. I'm running, running away just like I did last time. So why do you even care about me? You don't know? Because you're my hero, Subaru. Back in that dark forest, when I didn't even know who I was anymore and couldn't think of anything but violently lashing out, you were the one who saved me. When I woke up unable to move, and Sister was exhausted after using too much magic, you faced the mobbies all alone as a diversion so we could escape. There was no way you could win, and your life was in real danger. But you still stayed, and made your way back to my arms, still warm from the battle. When you finally woke up, you smiled at me and said the words I wanted to hear most, when I wanted to hear them most, from the one I wanted to most hear them from. My time has been stopped for so very long. Ever since that horrible fiery night, that tragic night I lost everything I had in this world except for my sister. My time has been stopped. It was you who melted my frozen heart and through your never-ending care and kindness made the time that had been stopped for me for so long start moving again. I'm sure you have no idea how you saved me that morning or just how happy you made me feel. There was so much joy inside me, I couldn't hold back the tears. Understand? That's why I believe. No matter what painful things may happen, even when it looks like you'll go down in flames, when no one else in the entire world believes in you, when you don't even believe in yourself and you think that you can't go on, I will still believe in you. who came into my life and saved me is the hero that I will always call mine. No matter what I did or how hard I tried, I couldn't manage to save anyone. I'm here. Don't you see? The room you saved is right here. I've never done anything. I'm empty. No one will even listen to me. I'm right here. I'm ready to listen to anything you have to say. I want to. No one expects anything of me. No one in the world believes in me. I'm no good. I hate myself. No matter how you feel about yourself, I still love you. You really don't mind that it's me? I want it to be you. I wouldn't want for it to be anyone else. 
if you can't forgive yourself for being empty and having nothing, then let's start from here. Right now. At this very moment. Start what? Just like when you started time for me after it had been stopped for so long. We'll make the time that you feel has somehow stopped for you. Begin to move again. Let's start over right here. From square one. No. We'll start from zero. If it's too hard for you to walk on your own, then I'll hold you up. We can both share the burden, supporting each other walking side by side. Isn't that more or less what you said to me that morning? Show me how awesome you can be, Subaru. Show them all. Rem. What is it? Amelia is the one I love. I know. I want to see Amelia smile. I want to be of help to Amelia's future. Even if she says I'm in the way, even if she tells me to leave her, I want to be right there at her side. Using my feelings for her as an excuse to get her to understand everything was pretty arrogant of me, huh? Man, do I feel stupid. It's okay if she doesn't understand. I just want to save her. If there's a bleak, painful future waiting for her, I want to take her away to a future where we can all laugh together. Will you help me? I need you. I can't do anything alone. I'm lacking in everything. I'm not even sure I can keep walking straight. I'm just a weakling. I'm fragile and small. I'm asking to make sure I stay on the right path, to help me realize when I'm wrong. Will you help me? You're a cruel man, you know that? You ask this of somebody who confessed their love for you and then rejected? Hey, it's also hard for me to ask this of the one who rejected my once-in-a-lifetime proposal. You want to just call it even and move on? <laughs> I'll be there to help with whatever you need. I'll do everything I can for you. If it helps my hero, if you greet the future with a smile, then it's worth it. Thanks, Rem. And now watch me. You get a front row seat. <sighs> You'll see the man you fell in love with become the most awesome hero you and the rest of this world have ever known. Uh, but yeah, this scene is fucking fantastic and I think it is one of like the best scenes in the show. For this anime, I will say it is probably the most important uh, scene and it's uh, quite uh, well uh, handled overall. You know, I love that despite all the- I like it a lot. I love that despite all the like uh, his self-loathing Rem is there to like counter w with like uh, everything that he hates about himself with multiple things she loves about him, you know. You definitely made a lot of mistakes Subaru but Rem still believes in you because you believed in her. You gave her a reason to keep on living after her life went to hell, and now she's turning it around on you. She's giving you your reason to keep on living, you know? She knows you can be a better person. She's going to do everything she can to, like, help him out with this. Right, it felt like a moment that was more inspired by, like, genuine, um, sort of, like, human experience. Uh, the sort of, like, depression we uh, can feel at times, you know, and, uh how we sort of uh, confide in others, uh, the, the love we have for uh, others right here. You know, it's not something that, like, is derived from... Cause, and I put this 
a bit higher from like previous moments because it's not something that's tied to like someone's specific character background. It's not tied to like fucking demon powers yeah. or something, you know. You know, this is tied more to like um, just simple human self-loathing and uh, the the love that we uh, confide in others to try and uh, lift ourselves out of that depression. So, yeah, I like I like this moment a lot for that. I also like that Subaru owns up to his mistakes. You know, he realizes he was wrong at the start of this arc, and he was being a total dick. I would say I would say to anyone that wanted to just uh, watch the best parts of the series and then skip it entirely <laughs> <laughs> to watch this scene more than anything. Well, you would say that. <laughs> I would say that. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, like, like if I was going to say, like, okay, if you're going to skip all this, then at least watch this scene and, you know, then make your final decision. Yeah, oh, no. Again, again, the acting is just beautiful in this scene. Like, Sean Chiplock, I mean, an excellent performance. And uh, Brianna Knickerbocker, I feel she gives it a, a performance of a lifetime here. Like, oh, yeah, I would say top of the resume stuff here. Yeah, call the cops because she stole the fucking show here. Mm-hmm. Just, just excellent. And uh, another detail I really like about this is that as the scene starts to build and build, you know, the, uh, the music changes and they start playing uh, Rem's character song, Wishing, which is sung by her Japanese actress, Inori Minase. And it's a really, really good song. And to make it even better, uh, Brandon Knickerbocker actually did a cover of this song, and it's just as beautiful for a uh, YouTube how page. Nice. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, very, very, very good scene here. Very good. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it to death. And after all that, Subaru still says, Amelia is the one I love. I kind of want that to be the new way for people to turn down others, you know? Like, just, like, you know, not, it's just you, it's not me, it's not you, it's me, you know, people just need to say, Amelia is the one I love, even though they don't know an Amelia, they just need to say that to just turn someone else down. Right. You know, like, in the Choo Choo Choose Me episode of The Simpsons, Homer should have said that, uh, told Lisa to say that to Ralph. Six simple words, Amelia is the one I love. (laughs) But even though Subaru's heart belongs to Amelia, Rem still loves him unconditionally and will do anything for him and remain by his side. That's some love right there. With the spirits lifted and his sorrow and despair gone, Subaru is now more motivated than ever to save Amelia and protect those he cares about. He's going to become a hero, and he's got to start from zero. Make your own Hercules joke right there. So before dealing with the witch's cult, Subaru's got to take care of the white whale first, and to do that, he's going to need some help. But this time, when asking for help, he's changing his methods. He makes a deal with both Crusade and Anastasia's camps to form a temporary alliance to kill the white whale and take down the witch's cult in exchange for information on the whale, his crappy cell phone, which he claims can detect the whale when shows, and the shared mining rights for magic stones in the Roswell domain. Subaru doesn't beg you grovel for when he's asking for help. Instead, he stands on Crusade's level when he asks her, and that she can respect. So he's kind of fixing his mistakes here. Well, he also knows her personality before, so he can, like, play off that. Yeah. Plus, I think her power is really useful <laughs> in the regards that she can tell when um, people are lying. Mm-hmm. So, like, when he says that, like... He said when so when he explains all the stuff that he knows from a previous life, she can confirm shit, he's not lying. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and that's what that's one of the things I liked was that that was a small way in which they actually found a way around the fact that he can't tell people that he's like a time traveler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to see more of that to be honest, like ways that he tries to get around that. Cuz that wish she can't be all that clever. There's got to be ways that he can like convey to other people i don't know though which is pretty crafty ah but we had but he made one friend an ally mm-hmm, yeah who's a big wrench in that plan yeah there's that but i'm kind of wondering if she might have some other tricks up her sleeve 
I wonder, could he actually write down <laughs> the information and pass it on to somebody else? Yeah, that's another thing. He's not speaking it. He just, like, if he writes, I can return by death and passes the note on to someone with, like, the person reading If he writes that in his journal first without doing anything and then just rips it out and just passes it to somebody, yeah. <laughs> like, could it work? I don't know, but would the witch would the witch know if they're re- if they're reading that or like and then cause their brain to explode? Oh, what if he doesn't write in the language of the world and stuff? He writes it in Japanese, oh. and she, the witch can't read Japanese, so he passes it on to somebody, and then he passes on to that person. Then the translation notes, <laughs> and then boom, he can get around the witch. Why does he not think this through? <laughs> Why does he not think about this? Because he's thick headed. <laughs> I understand the plot is going by fast here, you know, but, like, I, I really hope he, like, tries to think this, he tries to think this through in later volumes. Uh, but the two camps gather their troops, and they make their way to Flugel's tree, where Subaru knows when the whale will show up. And he knows the exact time, too, because in the previous loop, he, he saw what the time the whale showed up, so he set a timer for it here. We get to meet some of the members of the anti-whale task force, such as the captain of Anastasia's mercenary group, Ricardo, played here by Imari Williams, and three vice captains who are all cute little cat kids. Mimi played by Eric Mendez, Heitaro played by Kira Buckland, and Tivi played by Julianne Taylor. Aww, marketable. <laughs> all of them marketable. Also a part of this army is Wilhelm, as he has sworn vengeance against the White Whale, as that monster killed his wife, Teresia, the previous Master Swordsman. And uh, another thing I kind of like here is that uh, Subaru kind of makes a new friend in the form of a land dragon, which he names uh, Patrice. A cute little moment. Yeah, it's a cute moment when he meets her and he claims that it, it's a uh, love at first sight, to which uh, Felix tells him, uh, watch what he says about love, especially around Rem, because she's going to get all pouty-wouty. And I do like Rem's line here where she's all like, I'm not pouty, whatever you said. <laughs> Stares daggers at the ground dragon. Yeah, just like, back off my man. What the fuck, he's not going to put a saddle on you or anything. Like, very different situation here, girl. You don't know Rem's kinks. <laughs> Who knows? She might like that. He's probably into some freaky shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They arrive at the giant tree and they wait in silence for the white whale. And in a cool moment, Subaru's cell phone alarm goes off to signify the whale's arrival as everyone just looks around and the music swells up and the whale appears to the shock and awe of the armies. Uh, Side note here, the uh, ringtone is a uh, chiptune version of the theme song to the 1975 anime adaptation of Dog of Flanders. Uh, during the production, uh, they were wondering, like, oh, what song should they use for Subaru's wing- ringtone? And they just kind of went with this song because they just liked it more. Ah, well, I, I said before about anime references. Well, that technically is one. Yeah, also another reference is that uh, Patrice, the name of Subaru's dragon, is the name of said dog of Flanders. Oh, okay, so two for two. And so the battle against the white whale begins. Uh, what do you think of this big battle here? Ah, uh, pretty, yeah, pretty good uh, action action um, scene overall. Which spans... How long does it span? Two episodes. Two episodes. Okay, so I was, yeah, I was kind of um, thinking it through there. Um, one that I think, from what I read up, was uh, elongated uh, from the manga... I mean, from the light novel. Yeah, originally that this was only going to be one episode, but they kind of thought, no, we needed to kind of flesh this out a bit more, so they uh, made it uh, two episodes, which uh, caused the uh, episode counter from this to go from 24 episodes to 25 episodes. Hmm, I wonder, who went, I wonder in what way it was actually shortened, I wonder. Maybe cutting back on some action scenes or yeah, something. Yeah, that's got to be another thing, or maybe there's like a lot more uh, planning and tactician that had to came in beforehand that they probably had to cut out. Maybe added some, like, weaponry in there or something, or, like, a few skirmishes here or there. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Could be likely. Yeah. Then again, it's all in, like, the written form, so it could probably all, like, go by pretty fast. I mean... Yeah. Never forget that, like, in the Hobbit films, the the Battle of the Five Armies lasts for only, like, um, like, 
two pages or so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I don't think it was like two pages, but like like a short section of the book. Yeah, well, like, the it Hobbit's like a really short book. Anyway. Yeah, the Hobbit's a very short book, but like they fucking milked that entire Three final movies. battle. No, they milked that they they milked that final battle in particular very hard in the last film. Yeah, sometimes sometimes when things are just like written down, uh, they don't last really as uh, long as you may uh, think, you know. Um, except for like one's war, except for one battle situation in the Witcher books, uh, the final one, where uh, one entire chapter uh, does take does um, take place and cover the uh, this uh, big battle and stuff. And it's a very well written and like well like uh, explained battle overall, explaining the uh, tactics that are used by the armies, uh, which flanks are getting attacked, you know, and uh, who's talking and who's uh, strategizing, and uh, who eventually gets uh, shot in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the general who just gets like shot with like an arrow by a bunch of dwarves who are just like, who is that guy? Eh, nobody. <laughs> 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 Fucking general of the enemy army, just like. <laughs> Shot once in the chest and he's down, dead in the mud. <laughs> so, a little tangent, little tangent there, yeah. little tangent. Hey, we're all about tangents here. Yeah, no worries. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the moments I love about this fight is uh, Wilhelm being fucking awesome. Now, here. he's the MVP of this fight, I will say. Just him just getting launched into the air, stabbing his sword into the whale, and just running across the whale as he just cuts into it. I mean, I mean, the only thing that really disappointed me in regards to Wilhelm is that they kind of had to, like, throw all of his character development here yeah, <laughs> during the battle. Like, they couldn't have just, like... I don't know, they didn't really talk too much about that or bring that up too much beforehand. Yeah. It's just like, oh, we're gonna go take down the white whale. And he's like, what? My wife was killed by that whale. <laughs> now I'm going to seek revenge. <laughs> yeah, I feel like in the, the kayfabe sense of this world... Uh the people think like oh this is probably a touchy subject for him so he probably shouldn't mention it to him and or ask him about it i suppose so i guess there wasn't really an opportunity to bring it before but then it's just like it just drops and then it's like oh okay i guess now we're gonna learn a whole lot about wilhelm now yeah but i thought those <laughs> through plenty of flashbacks i thought they, those flashbacks were fine the way they were handled yeah it was fine enough i think they could have just finessed it a little bit better yeah but still, Wilhelm being a fucking badass here, that was kind of cool. Like, this is this is something I'll never get tired of. Old people in anime being awesome. You know, we have guys like Master Roshi in Dragon Ball, Rayleigh in One Piece, or even Old Man Kosaki in Dr. Stone. Now we can add Wilhelm to the mix. And uh, also should mention that this whale has a lot of blood. I mean, a lot of blood. It's just gushing all over the place every time it just gets hit with an attack. Almost like there's like no blubber protecting it or anything. <laughs> this entire battle is like a 1.0 on the on the Muta scale. Yeah. Uh, the battle seems to be going well for our forces until the whale spews out its fog, and if you get hit with this fog, then your very existence will be erased. Then the forces start to take even more of a hit as the whale injures Ricardo and then swallows Wilhelm whole. Say hi to Pinocchio and Geppetto for me. <laughs> and when the fog clears, we then see three white whales flying in the night sky. Well, there was one little moment where I was a little confused, where, uh, like, the, you know, the whole fog erasing from existence thing, you know, that's cool enough, you know, but um, they, they had a moment where they had to, like, regather their forces, and they were all like, uh, how many did we lose? Uh, we lost 14 people. I'm like, shouldn't you not know that? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they should at least know the amount of people, but not the people themselves, is what I think it, it is. I, I, I guess? Is that how it works? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, these, like, military guys should know how many people they have, and then when they lose some, they'll just be like, oh, we don't have that many anymore. 
Yeah, but Subaru, when he asked um, that one uh, carriage driver before and stuff about, like, what happened to Rem, like, shouldn't he, shouldn't, he have, couldn't he have just asked the question, like, how many people were in here in this carriage before? Three. Do, do, can you name the third person? I don't know. She didn't, they, they didn't exist. You didn't think of it. It, it. it doesn't follow. That's what I'm saying. Like, how should they know they lost 14 people? Yeah. If they technically got, like, vaporized from existence. Yeah, I'm just thinking that they know the amount, they just don't know the... The exact people they lost like specifically who they lost like oh we lost tim or whatever like they don't know who that is yet i i i guess but it's like if you if you knew how many people were in there like we shouldn't follow that like you knew like they existed and stuff or like that they would have been there to begin with because remember rem got like erased from existence entirely like her room was not furnished when like she got disappeared by the whale before so shouldn't they not know anything about the soldiers once they're wiped away I think I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> I that seems like an inconsistency to me. There, I don't know. I'm just kinda... then again. Then again, this the, this whale's gonna be fucking dead pretty yeah. soon. So it's like, who cares? It's just gonna be a dead whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all hope is not lost as Subaru has figured something out. While noticing the differences in strength between the three whales and the fact that all three have gouged left eyes, when only one should have it, Subaru discovers that two of the whales are doppelgangers, and the real one is hanging out high in the sky, letting its doubles do the work. He has a plan, and it's pretty bold. And to help out with this plan, he has the returning Wilhelm who slices his way out of the whale's body. Like, he is a goddamn beast. I, I admit, his, his design isn't super original, but he does, like, definitely deliver in that action area. I don't know. I, I, there's something classy about fighting in a suit. Mm, I guess. I mean, just, just visually, there's not too many flourishes to the suit, I suppose. But, um, no, he definitely... You know the, the the one thing I the one detail I do the one design part design part I do like is at least just like the strapped swords to him you know that oh, he yeah. just like you know has all like in a row on his body you know kind of almost looks like a almost like like flintlock pistols like up along like a pirate's body or something oh, yeah, yeah. where you just look in those and you're just like oh that guy's like strapped to go <laughs> he's gonna unleash some uh, hell out there yeah Zuru puts his plan into action as he first has Rem launch him towards the real whale with the help of a giant ice shard he then taunts the whale jumps off of it, and then he stinks himself up with the witch's scent by talking about return by death. This attracts the whale to him. I mean, that was clever, you know, use, like, like just using himself as bait with, like, the like stench of the witch, you know. That's that's where it, like, really set in for me right there. Like, okay, this could be really useful. Yeah. So they make it to the tree as the armies use explosives to blow up the base of the tree, causing it to fall and crush the white whale. Then Wilhelm delivers the finishing blow to the whale, killing it and avenging his wife, which leads him to finally say I love you to his long-departed wife as she can now rest in peace. I thought that was cool. The whale is defeated and Subaru is commended for leading and planning this mission and he accepts their gratitude, but he's a lot more humble about it, you know? He's not being all haughty and being all like, yeah, I did that, what of it? Yeah, he's, well, he'll, he'll do it jokingly afterwards, yeah, joking. but, like, you do, but you do recognize that like he's um, grown a bit more humble through all this experience. Yeah. Some soldiers stay behind to assist in the next battle, which is against the Witch's Cult, while Cruchet leads the injured back to the capital, including Rem, who has a sweet parting moment with Subaru. It's fucking cute, and she leaves him by saying, My hero is the greatest, the best in the world. Yeah, My Hero Academia really is the greatest, especially season four. <laughs> Can't wait to talk about it when it's done. Uh, nice. Oh, you're talking about Subaru. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's cool, too. He's cool. Yeah, he's all right. <laughs> the injured leave, and the current forces are joined by reinforcements sent by Anastasia, led by Julius. So, Subaru, cool your hate boner. <laughs> Although, one question I do have, like, now that the whale is dead, they said 
They've said that they wanted to kill the whale because it um, has been like devastating like shit for like uh, how many did they say four hundred years? Four hundred years, so? yeah. Four hundred years or so. Didn't they also mention that they were going to like split some spoils from the whale? Oh yeah, they're gonna. T- they were actually going to take like the uh, the head of the whale back to the capital. Mm, okay, so they were going to take the head back. Okay, that's that's what I was kind of wondering because I was kind of like thinking back to that because it doesn't get brought up again really much. Like you see the the whale later on kind of like decapitated, but like I was like. Did they take, like, anything else from it? Or, like, did they just take the head? Or, like, that's gonna be a f- terrible thing to haul. Yeah, so... It's gonna stink, too. Like, you're gonna have seagulls picking at that thing constantly. Hey, maybe mobbies kind of, like, take a while to spoil. Maybe. It's <laughs> like, are they just gonna, like, strip the blubber and, like, make whale oil out of it? <laughs> Is there a high demand for whale oil in this world? Yeah, probably. Well, it's a med- medieval world, so they need something to, like, burn their lamps with. Yeah, probably. So, yeah, hey good thing for the kingdom of Laguna. That's a clean burning whale, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> and now we move on to the final part of the arc, the battle against the witch's cult. Despite some early bickering between the two, Subaru and Julius are able to reconcile a bit and agree to let bygones be bygones. So, you know, it's just all like, hey man, you said some stuff, I said some stuff, You, I kicked your ass a lot, you kind of laid there all bloody and injured, you know, let's, uh, you know, agree to disagree, you know. But they do have a little bit of, like, playful banter where, like, they still kind of, like, you know, mockingly keep up the uh, the, the rivalry and uh, yeah. hatred for each other. Yeah, but it, it's all, I feel like it's now come down to a bit of a friendly rivalry where they're just kind of messing around with each other at this point. Like, they, they, they've got, it's it almost feels like schoolyard boy respect almost. Yeah. So the first step into taking out the witch's cult is to take out the head Beetlejuice in charge. Cut off the head and the body will die. So Subaru is able to find and confront Beetlejuice and he's able to trick him into thinking he's another witch cult archbishop. And then when he asks Subaru if he has given a copy of the gospel, which is like the book containing all the uh, the scriptures and tomes of like the uh, the witch of envy, Subaru then like uh, replies saying like, oh yeah, I, I defiled it, you know. No, no, I think he actually uh, bullshits a background where he says that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I had a gospel like that before, but uh, unfortunately I uh, used it as a coaster and got it all wet. He he makes the coaster point just to, like, you know, push Petalejuice's buttons. Yeah, which it does, and causes him to lose his composure, and he lets his guard down, which opens him him up from an attack from Mimi and Tivi, while Wilhelm deals the final blow. Petalejuice is now no more. Yeah, that was easy. Guess you all you need is a little help from your friends there, Subaru. It was like too easy. <laughs> and I like how they make extra extra sure that Beetlejuice is dead as Mimi just uses magic to just blow him up. It's a magic world, like there's probably some like, you know, safe from death magic out there or something. Like so yeah, you'd want to make sure. Yeah, but it's just like, okay, fine, I'll make sure he's dead. Boom, Beetlejuice guts everywhere. That enough for you, Subaru? Make sure, like, you know, like, he doesn't, like, have, like, a giant beetle or something crawl out of his mouth and, like, attack everybody once he's dead <laughs> or something. Uh, but, uh, Beetlejuice may be gone, but he still has subordinates to deal with, specifically the Ten Fingers, which are disciples of the Archbishop of Sloth, whose bodies can be taken over by him and used as vessels. Yeah, this cult is deceptively big. Like, yeah. we don't, we don't, we only see, like, snippets here and there, but, like, they're fucking massive. They are. I mean, we really don't, like, I mean, this season, this season we really don't learn much more about, like, the larger hierarchy of this group, so it's like, you y- can only go on so much here. So they have to make it to the village before any more fingers attack. Subaru tries to get everyone to evacuate, but this doesn't stop the villagers from assuming that the witch's cult is attacking because of Amelia, since she looks like Satella and all. Guys, can you please leave your elf racism behind you? You know, we have worse things to worry about here. 
Rom is able to intervene and convince everyone to evacuate, but it's a bit too late as Felix discovers that one of the carts meant to take the villagers away was rigged to explode by a witch cultist. Then all hell breaks loose. Yes, see what happens when you dilly-dally and act all prejudiced against the half-elf girl? Mmm, yeah, it's like terrorist attack now. <laughs> yeah. The fingers are attacking, and we see how the body swapping works here, as when one finger goes down, another takes his place. And each time a finger is taken over, they still maintain the uh, the Beetlejuice mannerisms here. And that's when you realize, like, the sloth angle comes in, like, oh, he uses other people's bodies yeah. to, like, do his bidding. Okay. All hope seems to be lost until Amelia comes to the rescue. She's here to save you guys despite your elf racism. What a good gal. She's able to finish off the final finger, as he was much too distracted by her resemblance to Sotella, and the day is saved. All's well that ends well, right? And Saru even looks to confront Amelia and apologize for his jackassery at the start of the arc. That is, until something happens to him, and he panics and runs to the forest. Felix and Julius go after him, and when they do find him, it turns out there is no Subaru, only Beetlejuice. Yes! I, I mean, no. No. Definitely no. Mm. So yeah, Subaru got, uh, he got juiced here. Yeah. <laughs> As uh, he can take over his body too, and I'm guessing the reason he's able to do that is because of uh, his connection with the witch, because of Return by Death. I know, like, bullshit move here. <laughs> yeah, Subaru tries to fight it, but it's no use, so in order to protect his friends, he asks Felix and Julius to kill him right here. You really should have just said, like, kill me. I'll be right back. <laughs> no, should have pulled off, no, should have pulled off, like, a Terminator move or something. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> uh, they hesitate at first, but they eventually muster up the courage to kill their comrade and friend, with Julius being one to reluctantly deliver the final blow. And I'm so glad this next time he gets revived, they just, like, speed run through it while only revealing, like, a few extra details. Yeah. Also, I want to bring up something with this scene, like, you know, as serious as it is, you know, and I think it's still, I think it's a good scene. I kind of find it amusing that the uh, the end credit song starts playing over this, so, like, Subaru's going, like, kill me, kill me now, save yourself, and the song is, and you just hear, stay, yeah, 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 alive. I, I know, they, could they have maybe switched that out with some more dramatic music or uh, something to sell it better? It's like, I like the scene and all, but it's like, you know, mixed messages here, ReZero. Yeah. Also, just a, a, a weird aside here, you know, like, you know, this whole thing with like Beetlejuice taking over people's bodies and all them and acting and them acting like him is as kind of honestly giving me a really great and weird fantasy booking idea for uh, Bray Wyatt's fiend character in uh, WWE. <laughs> like, I want to see something where like every wrestler he beats, they should become a fiend too. And also, so they inherit his personality. And also, and also a kid show host, you know, like he beats up Finn Balor at SummerSlam. He's all like, hey, we're going to have a new friend at the Funhouse next week. And then Spin Balor dressed up as, like, Steve from Blue's Clues going like, oh, Bray, I'm so happy to be here. Yowie, wowie. And he kind of yeah, plays it up like he's a guest on Pee-wee's Playhouse yeah. or something. And then when he wrestles a match, he wears a fiend mask, too, and he starts doing all the fiend mannerisms in the ring, too. Oh, that'd be a pretty good angle. I'd like they, that. And then they do the same thing with Seth Rollins, and then Seth Rollins becomes a fiend. And then he beats up Daniel Bryan, and Daniel Bryan becomes a fiend. And then when they wrestle, they're fiends, but then they're like, Happy Pee Wee's Playhouse Blues Clues hosts on like the Firefly Funhouse. Oh, and stuff. that'd be pretty clever, actually. And then the only way to like stop him and to save the babyface wrestlers is for uh, a big wrestler to like uh, rise up. So Roman Reigns rises up and uh, big dogs the fiend Bray Wyatt and saves everyone from being fiends. Nice. I would actually look forward to that. It's got to be better than anything WWE's got currently. Yeah, there's a free booking idea for you, WWE. Fucking use it. <laughs> you definitely like, need. Sounds it. like they need it. Yeah, if you want to beat AEW, you're gonna need storylines like this yeah yeah <laughs> uh, 
But anyway, enough of my fantasy booking ideas. Uh, Super I don't know, it was, they're all welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> Subaru is killed, but he returns by death at his new starting point, which is at the meeting after the battle with the White Whale, so not too far behind. Now that he's aware of the Archbishop of Sloth can take over people's bodies, including his own, Subaru now has a plan to stop him and save everyone. First, get to the mansion early and clear up the misunderstanding with Rom. Second, convince the villagers to escape by begging them and groveling. That may not have worked for Crochet, but it totally works fine with normal Joe and Jane Schmoes here. Third, Emilia must evacuate with the village kids as a way to endear herself to the villagers to show that she's not all bad. Hashtag not all half-elves. And fourth, take care of the witch's cult spies before their sneak attack and steal their meteas. All that works, and all that's left is the final battle with Beetlejuice. Subaru finds him and leads him to the cliff area where he died during the second arc, and Subaru is not alone as he has Julius backing him up. And through the use of Julius's magic, he's able to transfer Subaru's sight and feelings to him in order to combat Beetlejuice's unseen hands, which only Subaru can see. So this final battle straight up turns into a JoJo stand fight, in all honesty. I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, everything yeah. around here is just, like, kind of, like, a nice little uh, wrap-up where things are kind of, um... Where, uh, is, Subaru has finally, uh, taken my advice, and he's taking advantage of all this, um... Of learning uh, pretty well from uh, his deaths and stuff, and uh, knowing that uh, death can be a pretty good strategy to employ. <laughs> yeah, so it's Beetlejuice and his stand, the Unseen Hands, or Reach Out and Touch, which is a Diana Ross song. <laughs> versus Subaru and his stand, Julius, or Know Your Enemy, after the Green Day song. <laughs> By the way, I hate that song. It's so lame and lazy and not Green Day's best work. <laughs> really? I did not know that. I hate Know Your Enemy, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you loved everything from him. I like most things. Okay. So they beat down Beetlejuice through their combined efforts, but Beetlejuice tries to take over Subaru's body as a last-ditch effort. And you've fallen into my trap. Subaru planned this, and when Beetlejuice is inside him, giggity, he speaks out about Return by Death, which summons the witch as usual, and she rejects Beetlejuice when he comes in contact, thus kicking him out of Subaru. I thought this was really smart. Yeah, that was actually a pretty clever move. Beetlejuice is finally killed. However, there's still half an episode left to go, so we have one more conflict. Remember that surprise cart bomb from the previous loop? Turns out that bomb is still in that cart, and said cart is carrying Amelia and the kids. So with the help from Otto, yeah, he's still around, Subaru makes a beeline for Amelia and the kids, but it's time for one more hurdle as Beetlejuice still won't die. His body is being held together by the unseen hands. I'd like to see what that looks like to regular people, because pe regular people can't see the unseen hands, or are they just seeing this corpse flying across the field? A corpse just barely being, like, kept together by some invisible force. Like, you see, like, his intestines seeping out a little <laughs> bit there or something. Yeah. Like, blood dripping, but, like, it's, it's where, like... It's like keeping a broken vase together by sheer, <laughs> by merely keeping your hands wrapped around it, and if you take your hands off it, it will break apart. Like if Otto were to like look behind, he'd be like, hey, Mr. Natsuki, what's the deal with that dead body floating in the air with its entrails dragging behind him? Like, don't, don't worry about that, Otto, just focus on driving. You're better off just focusing on the road. <laughs> so yeah, Beetlejuice is doing all this because he just wants to steal Subaru's body so he can be with Satella, and I'm just like, bro, she's just not that into you. Yeah, Amelia is the one she loves. Subaru mm. <laughs> is able to finish off Beetlejuice by setting him on fire through the use of a spirit given to him by Julius. And then he hits Beetlejuice with a Roman Reigns big dong Superman punch. And then he uses the blood on his hand to write the end in the gospel book, which he picked up from him. And Beetlejuice gets tangled in the wheels of the cart and thus is crushed and no more. For real this time. Like, Finally. Fucking how many episodes we've known this guy for now. Yeah. Fuck. Still satisfying to see him finally die. Yeah, satisfying, definitely. 
Subaru reaches Amelia and the kids in time, grabs the explosives from the cart. Well, it's a real, like, action movie scene, too, or something, yeah. where, like, he's, like, he goes in, he takes out, like, the, the explosives and stuff, and he's like, I'll be back! And then he just runs out, he's, like, with, like, the bomb or something, and he's gotta get rid of it. He's, like, Batman with, like, a bomb or something. <laughs> Subaru should have pulled, like, a, a samurai cop here and be all, like, keep it warm for me <laughs> to yeah, Amelia. Yeah. Keep it warm for me. <laughs> runs off in the distance. He should have just, like, you know, unzipped his jacket a little bit. It showed his pecs a little bit yes. as he rode along. Flex the beef. <laughs> That'd be the one moment where I'm like, dude, you, you, if you want, if you want to take like your victory lap, you can just like take off your jacket and show off your pecs. You know, yeah. this is like such an obvious like action movie scene right here. In all honesty, he's kind of earned it at this point. Right, right. And so it looks like they're not going to go off immediately. So he's pretty. He's, he should know he's pretty in the clear here. Yeah. So he throws the bomb into the whale carcass and gets away right at it as it explodes, and he's caught in the blast. But uh, ah, best dragon girl Patrice saves him. I know. Unfortunately, he couldn't stick that landing. You know, he was supposed to ride away from the explosion, all cool like. Yeah, but... and not look at it too. I know. Unfortunately, he had the force of like sixty tons of dynamite because fuck, it blows up. Yeah, it does. Jesus, it destroys that whale carcass. Yeah, dude, completely. Like, wow, <laughs> those cultists—they don't—they uh, don't mince words with their explosives. Yeah. <laughs> and then when Subaru wakes up, he finds himself resting his head on Amelia's lap as the two reconcile, and I shall splice in the ending. Subaru, you're finally awake. Thank goodness. I'm so glad. I'm laying down, and Neely's kneeling. Hold on, I need to get my bearings here. Considering my perspective, our distance from each other, and the heavenly sensation that's under my head, could it be... You don't have to go through all that, silly. Your head's on my lap. It's not too uncomfortable, is it? There's no finer, more divine pillow I could possibly imagine. <laughs> hey, um, would it be okay if you told me how things turned out? Well, to be perfectly honest, I'm the one who wants to ask what's going on. Is Patrice alright? I want to become the wind with that critter again. She was pretty badly burned, but she's strong. I think she'll be fine. Felix is looking after her. Oh, Felix joined us too? Wow. <laughs> so, have I been up for a long time? Um, about an hour or two. Then, I guess everybody's together now. Julius, too. <laughs> Even him. I was really surprised. I never expected to see you two getting along, much less working together. It was for the very best of reasons. One's bluer than the mountains, taller than the seas. Dear Melee. Finally. I finally made it all the way back. Feels like I was having a really long dream. A terrible one. Maybe not that bad. Then it was a good dream? More like a good reality. Hmm? Back then, you asked me why I was doing all the things I was doing. Why I desperately tried to save you, and why I always seemed to put in so much effort. You asked me why. <laughs> Your answer confused me. You said that it was because I saved you, but I... I haven't done anything like that at all. I've never been able to. It seems like you're the one who's always saving me. I could never do anything for you. And every time, you get hurt and say that it was for my sake. 
No, I was pretty messed up back then. I was only thinking about myself. I said it was all for you, but I really just liked the idea of doing it all for you. I had it in my head that if I just kept telling you that, you'd accept it. Subaru... I'm sorry. I used you for my own stupid self-satisfaction. All the things you said back then were true, every word of it. I was just so wrong. But... There's one thing I wasn't wrong about. I want to save you. I want to help you. I honestly mean that. It's not a lie. I know that. Tell me, why do you always rescue me? I do it because I love you. I want to stand beside you and be your strength. I know that. I'm a silver-haired half-elf, and people... So many people hate me for no other reason than because I look like the witch. They despise me. They absolutely detest me. I saw, I know. Those guys are completely blind. I don't have much experience with people, so I don't have friends. I'm naive and not worldly, so I say strange things sometimes. And the reason I want to be the ruler of this kingdom is really, really selfish. No matter what anyone else says about you, no matter what you happen to think of yourself, I love you with all my heart. I mean it. I'm crazy about you. I want to be with you all the time. I want to hold your hand all the time. You could sit there and come up with a list of 10 things you hate about yourself, but I'd just reply with 2,000 things that I love about you. That's the kind of special treatment I want to give you. That's the depth of the love in my heart. You know, that's the first time I've received special treatment. That actually made me happy. <laughs> I don't get it. Why 2,000? Because a hundredfold just isn't enough. Doesn't come close to how I feel about you. don't have to stress over it. I'm not demanding an answer right away. The way I see it is this. I'll get your answer one day, and I'm confident of what that answer will be. Really? I mean, is it okay for someone like me to be given such pure happiness all the time? To know such joy in my heart that it, it actually feels beyond indulgent? Sure it is. Go on and be indulgent. As far as I'm concerned, you can never have too much happiness. If there's so much it overflows, you can share it, you know? Don't worry. Take your time, Amelia. Take as much as you need. Then, little by little, you'll fall in love too. I'll always be there at your side. That way I'll be sure to catch you when you fall head over heels for me. Thank you. 
ReZero. Or does it? Well, yeah, as we mentioned, uh, there is a Season 2 in production, as it was announced March 2019, with a simple yet effective uh, teaser trailer, too, where it was like, Subaru was just walking through, like, uh, you know, kind of the Windows XP background, the green grassy fields, <laughs> and he's only shot from, like, the uh, legs down, but as he gets, continue walking, we see, like, dead bodies start piling up around him as he walks closer and closer. We even see the dead bodies of, like, Ram, Ram, Amelia, and Betty, too. And then when he, like, looks up, we see a single woman sitting at a table, you know, one of those tables with, like, the little umbrella on top, sipping tea. And said woman is a silver-haired half-elf. Hmm, okay. I can assume who that might be. Yes, we can probably assume uh, Subaru. He's gonna probably try and, uh, kill himself and then go back in time and try and save the 14 guys that died in the whale attack. <laughs> yeah, don't we care about them? That was another moment where I was just like, hey, Subaru, uh, 14 guys died back here during the whale attack. You gonna kill yourself and go back in time and save them? Uh, you know, can't make I thought everyone mattered, though. Uh, you know, can't make an omelet without scrambling a few eggs. No no casualties, though. Uh, you know, um... Uh, you sure as, sure as fuck cared about those villagers, huh? They died for their country. <laughs> They're heroes. Oh, that old, that old excuse, huh? They died for their country. They'd be much happier as ghosts. They had families. They had children. They don't remember them. It's <laughs> such a fucking brutal thing to say. It's true. <laughs> that was probably super in his mind. He's just like, fuck it, I can't do this all the time. <laughs> Bro, I'm not Superman. I gotta worry about my own problems. It's like he was probably thinking like I'm not a hundred percent speedrunner. <laughs> like I can't do this like no death run. <laughs> I can't do the pacifist run in uh Undertale, man. That was probably one of the funniest parts where when he just looked at all those dead bodies and he just <laughs> he made the conscious decision to just say, eh, not gonna save these. <laughs> yeah. Or or maybe he wanted to, but like he realized, oh my save point is like right after they died, so he can't go back further. That's the best explanation I can give, you know, but it was just like they, they just don't ever address it. <laughs> Final thoughts on Rezero. Final thoughts on ReZero. On Re um, this is where things get complicated, I have to say. <sighs> yeah. This is where things get... Uh, this is where I think I kind of have to disappoint you a little bit. Go ahead, I was already prepared for it. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, I can actually say that this is probably... Um, I, I, I think I can say definitively that this is the best of the uh, that the isekai genre has had to uh, offer thus far. Uh, it certainly does tower over, like, any other isekai uh, out there right now. You know, I, I've heard good things about, like, you know, like, Rising of the Shield Hero and whatnot. Really? And, uh, and, and, yeah, because, like, I have heard Inklings here and there. Um, although, uh... That shit looks like bullshit. Not, not enough to where I could say that it, like, even compares to ReZero, though. I think among uh, particularly dramas, I mean, I can't say much for, like, uh, comedy. At least, at least from the tidbits I've seen from Konosuba. Konosuba, I would say... Uh, towers above other um, towers above as the best comedy isekai, but I would actually say that ReZero is the best that I've seen uh, amongst them all. 
Now for the disappointment. <laughs> as much as I can uh, say that uh, ReZero is the epitome of Isekai, I, I'm far from saying... If, if Okay, if you had to ask me if I could recommend ReZero, if I could recommend ReZero to anybody, here's what I would say. I would not recommend ReZero to anybody outside of anime. And even to people within anime, I would tell them, only watch it if you want to watch an isekai. Otherwise, you do not feel need to feel obligated to watch ReZero. Because as much as I do think um, ReZero uh, did, did clear over that bar that many isekai do not clear over, I, I have to say, like, it's... It feels like the kind of shit I should expect from, like, a good anime, though. Like, this is the kind of shit I should... This is the kind of quality I should expect, like, all the time, you know, that should have existed from, like, the get-go. Like, this is a bar that, like, any anime should already clear over, you know? And it's like, I'm not gonna give it special preferential treatment for that, you know? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like, give it anything over like that, because, like, there's still some things I just... I just don't care for about it. Like, much like many other isekai out there, I don't feel too much of a sense of, like, um... I don't, I don't feel too much of, like, a sense of, like, awe or, like, um, sublimity from it or anything. I haven't, I didn't feel, like, too particularly, like, wowed from, like, its, like, visuals or, like, its environmental design or its, like, character design. I think it's honestly, like... Honestly, I think it is actually kind of lacking a little bit in overall character design and world design and environment design, you know, and even, like, creature design. I, I think it's honestly just, like, okay in all those regards, to be honest. I mean, if anything, they at least knew how to draw marketable characters. Yeah, that, is, at least, that is true. They, they, they only knew how to draw marketable characters <laughs> that you can just focus on and then put in these little backgrounds. It's kind of like how I feel about uh, most of the characters in Evangelion. I think it's a good show and all, but like a lot of these characters do feel very marketable. And it yeah, shows. right, right. And um, but uh, but yeah. Other than that, like nothing else. Nothing else in the actual world looks really unique compared to like any other isekai out there. And I'm judging it well within like the isekai genre, but also as like uh, a fantasy work because like there's such heavy like fantasy elements in there. Just because it's isekai doesn't mean you rule it out as a fantasy work. And I still think it comes up uh, very short in uh, some of those uh, fantasy aspects, which I think ties into a larger problem I have with uh, isekai, is that like many of them are fantasy, and almost all of them fail in like uh, offering anything really original as far as fantasy goes. Uh, the the ground the ground the benchmark I still use up to this point, which I gotta say I loved even more after I got disappointed by so many isekai, was the anime and manga Berserk. Because that is a that is a fantasy series that is completely detached from the isekai genre. It's its own self-contained fantasy work. Use, uh, you know, it's also coupled with, like, excellent characters and writing, but, like, it's a world that, like, feels larger than life. Every time you see a monster on screen, it is massive. It is, like uniquely and well-designed that takes, like, artistic inspirations from, like, real-world um, inspirations and whatnot. When you see, like, horrific shit happen in that series, you feel genuine horror. Like, you feel a wide variety of things. But with Isekai, I feel like I feel so many few, so much lesser feelings than I can feel from other anime out there. 
Like, fine, I see the cute shit. I see, like, the big, awesome, like, cool moments and stuff. But, like, outside of, outside of that, I'm all like, what more do I get from an isekai? And I feel like as much as I do think uh, ReZero tells a good story, I feel like it's it's existentially lacking in many other areas that I feel that other isekai inevitably make me feel in the end. That I feel like I don't gain anything. Like, if I'm being sent to another world, what does that mean, like, like existentially, philosophically, you know? Like, what feelings are we really plunging out of this? And I feel like many of them do not um, plunge those emotional depths as much as I believe they could actually like delve into like what if you were sent to another world what are the range of feelings you would feel why don't any of these fucking protagonists try to return home to their family their friends the real fucking world that exists <laughs> by the way like i should probably bring this up uh the creator uh Nagatsuki, he was asked about like hey what's up with uh subaru's parents back at home do they know that he's gone and he actually has gone on record saying like Oh yeah, time still passes while he's gone and his mother is actually worried sick about him. Fuck that! I want to explore that! No isekai I've seen this far like actually gives a shit about that question. Or any of the fantasy series that have like come off of like this whole fucking trend we've been going through recently. I that's that's what it, that's I guess that's like the I guess the the problems I have I have with ReZero really stem from like the larger problems with like Isekai, but I feel like that, but I feel like ReZero it cannot be detached from like this context. You can't just pluck it out and then just plop it here and then say that like you can consider it and then say like it should be considered among the likes of um, other series that have had like grand moments like a. Dragon Ball Z, or, like, um, Evangelion, or Attack on Titan, or, like, blah, 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 blah. Just name your, you know, big, name a big notable anime that had a big moment, you know. Like, My Hero Academia, United States of Smash, and stuff. I still feel it has uh, many elements that uh, make it uh, come up lacking. And, um, I, I, no, I would not, and as, going to that, uh, that one first point I made, too, I would not recommend this to, like, any newcomer that wanted to get into anime. I have to be completely honest. I would not give this to, like, someone who wanted to get into anime. I would give them something uh, a bit more uh, accessible, I would say. So, um, yeah, I feel... But, uh, but uh, again, I, real, I realize that that one angle, too, is also more of a... Can also be seen as, like, an appeal to popularity, I suppose. But, like, I don't know. I think there are some, maybe, some elements that kind of uh, still detach it a little bit from, like, uh, connecting to a greater amount of people out there, I believe. I mean, mostly in, like, the age of the protagonists and, like, in, like, um, the, the, mar the cutesy marketable design of the characters, I suppose. But, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's for those reasons that I, um, I say, I say it's good. It's, it's probably the best of the isekai genre, but compared to, but as it stands within, like, anime in general, I still feel like it embodies, like, some problems that I have with like the current trend in isekai right now that just make me feel uncomfortable and like personally unfulfilled. So that is the angle I'm I'm approaching towards ReZero to where I would recommend it to a regular anime fan if they wanted to watch an isekai, if they wanted to understand this like entire genre and to that to that other point, I unfortunately uh, would not be able to recommend this to 
anybody who just wanted to uh, get into anime or anyone that uh, was just a passive anime fan, I suppose. It just just stemming from those larger problems that uh, I mentioned before. Yeah, I kind of already had a feeling that you weren't probably going to give this a favorable review because I know your hatred of Isekai is legendary, and I knew, like, it being an Isekai, it was already going to fight an uphill battle for it. But I, I just wanted to, like, yeah, I, I, I talked very long there. Yeah, I was, like, I was always close to going, like, wrap it up. But, like, I, I but like I, my feelings on, like, Isekai are really complex, and I just wanted to hopefully help you understand, yeah. like, where I'm coming from here. And this uh, is you. Zero. This is just your opinion. This is just you. E yeah, but, like, it's, 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 it's an opinion that stems from uh, larger problems I've seen with this uh, uh, genre. Yeah, right. And the concerns I have for that. The implications. Alright, not for me to go on a very long-winded thing, <laughs> as I do a 360 and say, I thought this series was absolutely fantastic. Like, when I first watched this uh, a few months ago before watching it again for the podcast, I kind of went into this with little expectations considering how most post-SAO Isekai is garbage. But uh, in all honesty, this kind of blew out my expectations out of the water and then some. Like, I was super impressed by this and I understood the hype now. And I did kind of feel like going into this, if either of us was going to like this, it was probably going to be me. Mm -hmm. Guess I'm that easy to impress. You kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that it brought, I feel that does bring a new fresh take on the Isekai genre. And like you said, I do agree with the point. If anyone is going to watch an Isekai that hasn't seen one yet, they should go with this one because I feel this is the best and it does the best job for it. You know, it's, uh, it's just something that the genre really needs and I feel like, more people, more people, if they want to do more isekai, they need to look at this as a good example on how to do it right. And the genre needs this, and they still need this to this very day, because we're still getting garbage after garbage, even though we have these diamonds in the rough here. And also, I love that how this has, like, an actual interesting and likable isekai protagonist. He isn't perfect, he's loaded with faults, but you know what? That makes him interesting, you know? I would much rather have someone with faults than being a boring old blank state for a horny otaku who wants a power fantasy. Right. And I love that the series acknowledges this you know, through its cast and its storytelling, and we get to see him go through this hero's journey to kind of, like, fix himself and make sure that, yeah, he can be the best while still acknowledging that he is a weakling. Right. And I appreciate that it strays away from most of the usual East Sky tropes. You do get some here or there, but, you know, we... Right, like, 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 as I said, like, it does break through, like, some barriers, but I don't think it really broke through to the bedrock, unfortunately. Yeah, like, it, it definitely breaks through the whole bland lead or, like, having all the girls, like, fall over this guy. Like, they especially do not do that, because, you know, Amelia is the lead girl, but she currently sees Subaru as a very good friend with some romantic hints, but she's not quite there yet. Right. There's Rem who does fall in love with Subaru, but I feel that was very much earned, and it's also pretty understandable why she loves him. She doesn't love him for the sake of loving him, because we need a love interest. Mm -hmm. And there's also, uh, you can even see stuff with, like, Crochet later on, where she just simply respects him, but if this were, like, say, SAO or any other bullshit, she'd just be thirsting hard over him, and she'd probably be all cindery about it, like Noelle or something. Right. There's, there's, there's a myriad of ways this all could have gone. Yeah, like, the, one, of the one of the angles I'm going at, I'm just thinking, like, a lot of this could go wrong... But they didn't go that way. They went with the better choice, and I thought, good. Not everyone can do that, but the fact that you did that makes it all the more special. You right, know? and I can res I can respect that angle there. And, you know, yeah, Subaru being a weakling, staying a weakling throughout most of the show, and it definitely makes it more interesting being all like, okay, you're basically level zero. How are you going to do this? And then when he does go through the situations through trial and error and dying and dying and dying a lot, it makes it all the more 
it just makes it all the more engaging for me going like how is he going to get through this and everything like that so that's my whole take on this whole story thing of ReZero and how it is able to do that and how I was engaged with this even though I binge watched this pretty much twice already right and I would say the English dub side of things is brilliant. And everyone who worked on this dub, from the actors... To the oh yeah, like dub-wise, it's, it's all fantastic. It's really passed with flying colors. Praise, all the praise in the world, and I would say Brianna Knickerbocker especially, is she is my MVP of this dub, because she is friggin' fantastic with yeah, Sean it, Shiplock. Being yeah, it was, it was a tough job, given all the emotions that need to be... Given that the characters get so emotional and like have like real big breakdowns, you know. It wasn't an easy job, but they all pulled it off. Yeah. Yeah, and for me personally, I honestly regret not watching this earlier when it came out. Like, uh, this gave me huge Steinsgate vibes, and not just from the story, but also, like, the, the directing and everything like mm-hmm. that. And not just because it was from the same studio, you know. My first viewing of Steinsgate is one of the best anime viewing experiences I have and will ever have. And I have always been hoping, like, one day I will find that one anime that will capture that feeling of me just being on the edge of my seat after every episode, after every moment, watching from minute zero to minute whatever. And ReZero got really close. The only thing that kind of, like, didn't put it up towards Steins Gate is because I binge-watched it. I watched it all in pretty much a week when I should be watching this week in and week out over the course of, like, say, six months to, like, get the better feel of, like, uh, watching this journey go from uh, beginning to end. Really? Well, that was the only thing that put it below Steins Gate? Yeah. Like, I feel like if I watch this week to week, I would probably be all like, ooh, this could be on the same level. So you, you missed that anticipation? Yeah, I wanted the anticipation, because <laughs> that's what, and just, like, the feeling where, like, I gotta wait a week for another episode to see what happens, like, happens next, you know? It's like when we were talking about Megalobox, and Tony talking about how, like, he watched Megalobox week to week, and how, like, we have a fight where Joe is on the ground, and you now you have to wait a week for everything to see how it concludes, you know? That anticipation, that kind of, like, stress intense going, like, what's gonna happen next? I want to feel that feeling again, because Steinsgate gave me that feeling, and I feel that ReZero could have given me that feeling, but the thing is, I couldn't get that feeling, because I can just, like, oh, what happens next? Oh, I can just play the next episode. Right. <clears throat> but, there is a chance for me to feel that, because, you know, Season 2 is coming up, it's going to be a weekly airing series, and I feel that maybe if they keep up this good work, I can uh, get that feeling again. Hmm, nice. And also... One thing I'm going to add here that I haven't really added before in like these final thoughts, I'm going to throw this out here. Jason DeMarco, if you're listening, and I know you are, re-zero for Toonami, please. Mm-hmm. I feel this would be a good thing for Toonami. It's action, it's got fantasy into to it, and uh, while you think newbies wouldn't be into this, I would love to see the reaction to newbies watching this week to week. And also the fact that it's popular enough, you have the current fans too. They'll probably be watching it too. It'd probably be a good ratings get. And especially season two is coming along. Why not do it? Take the chance. Hell, even Adult Swim has a Crunchyroll as a partner right now. And they license the series. Only if they replace SAO with it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's my one condition. Only if you replace SAO. Or better yet, don't air SAO Underworld, whatever the fuck. Right. So yeah, come on. I would love to see ReZero on Toonami. Right. I'd, be, I'd be fine with that, I guess. I mean, I wouldn't watch it, but <laughs> it'd be there at least. It would at least find a decent home. But I will ask, would you want to do a season two podcast? If uh, somewhere down the line, eventually, in the future? Um, you know, I'm going to have to burst your bubble and say no. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I just can't do season two. 
guess I'll just have to find someone else to do it with me. <laughs> it's been nice knowing you, my friend, but, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Feel free to replace me with somebody else in the podcast for that episode. I'll make you... I give you free reign to do that. I'll do it like how they do an OSW review when they replace OOC with Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll back down for that. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> I make no promises. Right. Like, it's... it's Yeah, because I'm, I'm just... I'm just so done with the genre really <laughs> like i'm sorry if like i felt like yeah I, I apologize if there were some parts during this where i felt a little like a uh, low energy or something but like well, then again we've, we've been recording for what four and a half hours now we we have and we've also been drinking uh hot apple cider and hot chocolate yeah so <laughs> <laughs> but uh no it's just uh this uh this this whole genre has just been very tiring for me <laughs> i'm i'm so tired like just mentally <laughs> of all this like i think i feel like maybe the only other i feel like the only other isekai i would consume would be um konosuba and would you do both seasons of that fuck like is it 26 episodes total uh two 10 episode seasons in a movie two 10 episode seasons yeah i'd do that yeah i'd be fine with that Plus, it's comedy, so it's like switching gears, like a little bit, you know. So it's 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 like fine enough, like I can switch easily to that. But then I think after that, I would just be like, um, I'd just be done, I'd just be done with isekai in general, because I'm just because like it's just too many problems with it, just too many problems with it that are not being solved, and that I feel uh, will never will give it a, give a great amount of difficulty to elevating uh, any art form made within this genre. And uh, elevating, I think I think many of those will, and many of those works will find trouble elevating themselves to any kind of classic status. I believe. So I'm guessing that's a no go on a future summer of Isekai. <laughs> no, I'm sorry if you had an idea. About that. I'm sorry if you had an idea like that. No, it was just an idea, but like, nah, I'm glad you tell me now. <laughs> no, um, I'll nip that in the butter right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> But I do like your other other ideas for summer, though. Okay, they, those the other ones are pretty good. Okay, <laughs> stay tuned for those. I, I hope I I just I just hope by the end of all this you um, understood me better about where I'm coming from here on yeah. um, my feelings and attitudes towards all this. Yeah. I hope you all of you out there are enjoyed uh, getting two sides of the same co- of the same coin here. You know, one take on Isekai and another take on Isekai. Though I will be I will say as much as I love ReZero, I still hate modern Isekai with all my passion. Okay, that's 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 good. that's a good concession to make yeah. there. Yeah, there are diamonds in the rough, as I mentioned at the very start of the podcast four hours ago. But for the most part, ninety percent of it is just otaku trash, and I hate most of it. Right, right. And so that concludes our extra special, super size, big chunked, holy goddamn motherfuck. We Ooh. are we are at four and a half hours of recording Christmas holiday gift re zero podcast. Man, what a Christmas gift we got for all of you. If you made it this far, in and in a single sitting, no less, give yourself a pat on the back. You have earned our respect and gratitude. And even if you had to listen to this in bursts, you know what? You still earned our respect and gratitude, too. We're passing it all along. It's the yes, season of giving. Yes, you, you've got stamina, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Mikey. You can find me at my social medias at Mikey Showed on Twitter, MikeyShoda.tumblr.com, and Mikey Showed on Instagram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at Wolfish Green on Twitter and Wolfish Green on Tumblr. Follow the show's Twitter at anime underscore baby. That's anime underscore B A Y B A Y. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to animebebepod at gmail.com, animebebepod at gmail.com. 
Also, sub to us on Podbean at animebebe.podbean.com. Also, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Leave reviews, five stars, thumbs up, wherever you, wherever you find. Say good things about us. We all appreciate it. And just a heads up, we will be taking a break from doing regular from a regular episode for the month of January, as this pod was a lot of work and a lot of time has passed. Yes, we tend to record these things, like, closer to the end of the month, so... Yeah. Uh, and on top of the holiday season and stuff like that, we kind of need a break. Yeah, we could use one. But uh, we will be doing a special 2019 year review podcast for the month of January, so you will be getting a, your uh, monthly dose of us just in a, a different way. Yeah, no worries there, we got you covered. You know, going through all the news within the, this past year and also uh, what anime brought us in 2019. So look forward to that, and we will be back to doing a regular episode starting in February. Thanks again for listening, and this has been... Anime, baby! baby. And Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Crazy Kwanzaa, a tip-top tet, and a solemn, dignified Ramadan. Happy Holidays, everyone. Love at first sight, you're making little Ram pouty wowdy. I'm not pouty, whatever you said.